What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, warmer for Vivo! Welcome to Bloody Las Vegas for Chris Kosoops with myself, Greg Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. We've got an excellent podcast for you. No recap from Friday's small card, no guest interview today. We are going to be cutting out the bells and whistles because from my count, hopefully I counted correctly, we've got 152 games on the Las Vegas betting board. That means that we got to get you guys picks and analysis on every single one of these games. We're going to be hitting bank shots all throughout the show. Nothing but picks and analysis on these games. We're going to try to get you guys as prepared as humanly possible. This is going to be well north of a five and a half hour podcast. It's going to be a lot of work, but it's going to be a lot of fun. So buckle up for safety there. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what I have before this podcast, do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at Jaden underscore D1. Keep in mind letters M. Name does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. I'm going to try to go a little bit quicker with these games and with these breakdowns just because, my goodness gracious, we've got a whole bunch of games that we are going to be covering. So if I'm going a little bit faster than normal, that is the reason why. Because when you've got 152 games, you're going to need to cut some things along the way. But only two commercial breaks on this podcast. Guys, you're probably not going to get the first commercial break until like three hours in, so this is relatively interruption-free, and I think that we have covered everything except for the fact that we're going to be going with the normal Las Vegas rotation games first, and then the games at the bottom, these involve these smaller conferences. That would be the America East Conference, the Big South, the Patriot League, the MEAC, the SWAC, Independence, that would be you, Chicago State. 
Atlantic Sun. I believe we've hit everything except for the Southland, so I believe that that is everything. If there's anything else I need to mention, it'll probably be mentioned within like the next 30 seconds, but let's dive in with some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side in total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. And we start with 601-602 on the betting board. Georgia hits the road face off against Florida. Florida is a favorite of 7.5 points in your total on this game between 159.5 and 160. I did set my total at 160.5. I'm going to be looking at the over, by the way. It is the Florida-Georgia line for those that love country music, but that said, I do think that we're going to get a relatively high-scoring game with a Georgia team that has been able to kick into form a little bit more with regards to their offense, and this is a Florida team that should be able to get a lot of second and third chances. This team ranks in the top 20 nationally in terms of percentage of misses that turn into an offensive rebound. You've got three separate guys that give you at least seven rebounds per game. Alex Condon, Micah Hanglott, and Terry Samuel, and that's been the main form of their offense because Past that, this Florida offense really doesn't impress me too much. They turn the ball over 12 and a half times for contest. They shoot 68% the free throw line, 33% from three, but when you get misses from guys like a Will Richard who's shooting 36.5% from three, 11 half points per contest. Walter Clayton shoots 34% from distance, 16 points per game. You've got guys to be able to clean up the mess, but you do have a Georgia team that they themselves have been able to get a lot of production out of Noah Thomason, Alon Jabari, Abdul Rahim. They've been able to combine for about 26 points per contest with Abdul Rahim. Shooting about 40.5% from three-part range. This is a Georgia team that does a relatively solid job of being able to keep things clean with about 11 half turnovers per game. They're an okay rebounding team. They're not an amazing rebounding team, but they do a solid job by committee. And this is a Florida team that they're going to give up a little bit from the outside. This is a Florida bunch of with regards to their three-point shooting defense, 122nd in all of college basketball. I think that there's going to be real regression with their home and road splits. They're allowing opponents to shoot 38.5% from three away from home and 25% at home. I think that the three-point shooting defense on the road will improve and it'll suffer a little bit at home. Meanwhile, this is a Georgia team that they're probably 66th in the country with regards to opponents three-point shooting percentage, but this is a Florida team playing at warp speed. They're in the top 60 nationally in terms of total possessions per game, and Georgia's right around about 100th as well. This has been a Georgia team that has been all over the place with regards to their defense in the last five games. They have given up fewer than 70 points in three of these games, and they've given up 85 and 105 points. Meanwhile, for Florida, they've been able to get to at least 79 in four out of their last five games. So, this is a total I did set at a 160.5. I think that you get a little bit of higher scoring game looking at the over, but with Georgia, I think that they hold in there. This is a Florida team that I think is rather wobbly. They're a team that's well outside the top 50. Because points a lot on a per-possession basis, so going to be looking at the over and willing to take seven or more. Georgia set them as a six-half point dog. 6-0-3, 6-0-4 on the betting board. Maryland plays host to Nebraska. Nebraska is an underdog of four points, settles between 140 and 140.5. With Maryland, I did set them as a three-point favorite, so here at four, I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Nebraska. It's a Cornhuskers team that has been able to do a relatively solid job with their defense. Now, it's really regressed. Going into the month of January, this was one of the best defenses on the road in all of college basketball, but the good news for them is that they get to go up against a Maryland team that is still shooting about 29% from three-point range. That is the bottom 40 mark in all of college basketball. You do have Dante Scott, Jameer Young. Your top two scorers that made at least one three are both shooting at least 35% from distance. One other guy on the roster shoots starts the 32% from three-point range, and Young's having to do a little bit of everything. Four assists, four and a half rebounds, 21 points, seal and a half per contest for a Maryland team that has been tremendous with their defense. They're a top three team 
turns points allowed on a per possession basis. And even though Maryland is about 160th with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, which actually goes up to 37.4% at home, they don't allow a lot of three-point shots. They run you off the arc. They're a top-10 team in all of college basketball in terms of percentage of shots that come from three-point range, so they don't allow a lot of those. Meanwhile, it is a Nebraska team that has Casey Shomanaga being able to supply about 14 points per contest. He's been able to shoot about 38% from three-point range. I do think that Rink Bass going to be able to keep this team very lively. 13.5 points, 8.5 boards, 3 assists, going up against someone in Julian Reese, who's been able to give you about 9 or so rebounds per contest. Dante Scott has a little bit of versatility for Maryland, but thought that he'd be able to give you a little bit more this season, but when it comes to this Nebraska team, it's a pretty well-rounded bunch. With regards to their rebound rate, they've been able to do a nice job on that front. I'm not saying they're supreme, but they're about 81st in all of college basketball. I do think that they're going to be able to get some good facilitation in this one. Been able to get about three assists per contest out of Bryce Williams, shooting 37.5% from three-point range. And it's a Maryland team that has been tremendous with their defense. Offense really leaving something to be desired. Going up against a Nebraska team that they have gone to at least 75 points in each other last five games, but this has been a defense that they themselves have been able to do a relatively okay job on that front as well. In regulation, they have now allowed 69 points or fewer in each of their last three games and 72 or fewer in four of their last five. So I do think that you get a lower scoring. And fair stuff, I told 139. So here at 140, looking at the under and at anything north of three, take the points with Nebraska. Six of five, six of six on the banging board. Northeastern plays us with William and Mary. You don't just get William. You don't just get Mary, but you get both. And you get eight points with them as Northeastern is an eight-point favorite. Total on this game is 140. And with Northeastern, made them a favorite of nine and a half points. So, going to be willing to lay the eight with them. It's a William & Mary team that they're a bottom 50 team with regards to total possessions per game, and they are in the bottom 10 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're not doing it on the interior. They're not doing it from the outside as opponents are just absolutely launching from three-point range against them, which is big because this is a Northeastern team that is not very good on the glass. William & Mary, 318th at all of college basketball in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Allowing opponents to shoot 39.5% from distance in a roadside shoot recorded environment. Though I will say this is a Northeastern team that is outside the top 275 themselves. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and for Northeastern. 346th in all of college basketball. In terms of their opponents, three-point shooting percentage. Allowing opponents to shoot 38.5% from three at home against them. Gabe Dorsey has been solved for William & Mary. He and Trey Moss been able to combine for about 27 points per contest. Dorsey, your main shooter at 40% from distance. You've also been able to get about 36% three-point shooting, throwing there above seven and a half points, two and a half assists out of Charlie Williams. He's may have stepped up a little bit for this bunch. William & Mary really doesn't have a lot down low due to the injury to Noah Collier the team as well outside the top 250 with regards to rebound rate, but Northeastern doesn't have a ton of rebounding either. Pat Chris Doherty, the Mr. Do It All for the team, three assists, six and a half boards, 12 and a half points, tries to pop threes, but only shoots them at a 24% clip, and to the advantage of William & Mary, they face off against a squad in Northeastern that's only shooting about 31% from three-point range, but Northeastern still the far superior team on the glass. They rank 69th in the country with regards to rebound rate, despite the fact that Doherty is the only guy in the roster that gives you north of 5.1 rebounds per game. Got guys like Lucas Sakota, Hunter Woods, who are able to give you about 9 to 10 points per contest as a committee. This team does a solid job for Northeastern. The 13 turnover 
turnovers per game are unsightly, but William & Mary, one of the worst teams in all of college basketball, generating turnovers. And it's a William & Mary team that, while they don't play any defense, they're also a bunch that has scored 70 points or fewer in each of their last four games. That is not a very good combo. And for this William & Mary team, they have scored fewer than 70 points in five out of their last six games. Meanwhile, you've got a Northeastern team that is starting to bust into form. 72 points or fewer surrender in four of their last five games. You do have a super-duper slow pair of teams in this one, so I did set my total at a 141.5. I do think that this could be close enough for late-game felling, and both of these teams are really giving up the arc, so I do think that there's going to be just enough shot-making for the over, so looking at the over, but Northeastern, I think that they win from within, willing to lay up to 9 with them. 607-608 on the betting board. Houston plays those to Kansas State, and Kansas State, an underdog of 15 to 15 and a half points. Total on this game is 127. I said Houston has a 16 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. It's a Houston team as number one in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. This is an offense that does leave a little bit of something to be desired, but I feel like this Kansas State team is fool's gold. They had to get taken overtime at home against the likes of Oral Roberts, North Alabama. They're just pulling games out of their rear end, and I just don't think that this game is going to be close enough for them to be able to do so. This is a Kansas State team that has been able to get some production out of a pair of guys in Tyler Perry, along with Cam Carter in the backcourt. These two guys been able to combine for about 31 points per contest, but they're shooting above 32% from three. It's a Kansas State team as a whole. They're shooting 31.7% from the outside. They're turning the ball over 15 times for contest. And I do like Arthur Kaluma. He, along David and Gesson, both give you 7.6 rebounds per game. Kaluma, 15 points on 40% three-point shooting. He's been able to do a rock-solid job, but this is not the same Kansas State team that we've seen in past years on offense. 165th in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. And Houston, I mean, they're giving up more than 25 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot-to-court environment. And you're just getting nothing by Houston from beyond the arc. They're allowing opponents at home to shoot 26.2% from three-point shot. To the credit of Kansas State, they have been a much better defensive team this season as well. For Kansas State, they're shooting from three-point range only about 31.5% themselves, but they're allowing opponents to shoot 31.5% from three-point range, including 29.3% in a roadside shoot court environment. So they've done a good job of being able to lock down there. They're not allowing a lot of second chances, but this is a Houston team that they'll just come at you with so many waves in the backcourt. You've got LJ Cryer is able to give you 18 points per contest. Shoots in the high 30s from three-point range. When it comes to Houston, you've got Jamal Shedd as well, who does a tremendous job being the floor general out there. He gives you about 10 or 11 points per game, but he also chips in there north of four and a half assists. He gives you north of two steals. He does a very good job of just calling for whatever the game needs. If he needs a score, he'll score. If he needs a pass, he'll pass. If you need defense, he'll play defense. And then with Houston, they don't commit silly turnovers. 9.1 turnovers per game. In terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, that is a top 20 mark in off-college basketball. You throw in there someone like a Damian Dunn who's able to get her done, give you about 8 points per contest. Jamal Roberts is able to do a solid job down low. And with regards to rebound rate as well, Houston always won the best in off-college basketball and not allowing second chances. You take a look at their overall rebound rate this year, and they're once again towards the top of all of college basketball clocking in number 15 in the country and for Kansas State they've been much better with regards to being with the boards this season they're right around about 72nd but they just don't compare in this spot I do think that for Kansas State the uh, close results that they've been able to get those are going to be fading away they're not going to be able to pull this one out I did set Houston as 16 and a half point favorite I think they just maul on the glass so I'm going to be willing to lay the number and did set my total at 127 and a half this is a Houston team that while they pride themselves on defense this has been a team that's been able to do a better job on offense as well. They've gone to 75 plus points in two other last three games and 
This is a Kansas State team that they themselves have now been able to get to at least 67 points. Doesn't sound like much in four of their last five games. I think we went just a touch too low. We're going to add the 127 over and one to lay up to 16 with Houston. 609, 610 on the bang board. Louisville plays us to Virginia. Virginia is a seven and a half point favorite. Your total on this game is 129 and a half with Virginia. I did set them as a favorite of seven points. So here at seven and a half, I'm going to be willing to take those points with Louisville. It is a Louisville bunch that has been really rough with regards to their defense. I'm Outside the top 200 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, but all of a sudden they're getting more out of Mikey James. James has really been able to elevate this offense, shooting 40% from three point range, 14 points, five and a half rebounds per game, and they've got a modicum of rebounding. Louisville is actually the better rebound rate team in this game as they've got Brandon Huntley Hatfield, who's able to give you about eight and a half rebounds per game out of their top four scores. Three of them do supply you with at least five rebounds per game, and for Virginia, Ryan Dunn is the only guy getting her done on glass. He's the only guy on the roster that gives you north of four rebounds per game. It's a Virginia team that is currently 214th Ashley with regards to rebound rate, but it takes a precipitous fall off in a roadside search court environment. They are a bottom 10 team in the country with regards to rebound rate when they leave home, and they're just not the same team from three-point range away from home as well. They're shooting darn near 40% from three-point range at home, below 33.5% in a roadside search court environment. Now, they are a top 20 team with regards to turnovers forced on a per possession basis going up against a Louisville team that is turning the ball over 12 times per contest. You've got Dunn, who I mentioned before, along with Reese Speakman, providing about 4.1 seals per contest. They combined about 22.8 points between the two of these gentlemen, and Isaac McNeely, along with Jacob Groves. They're both still shooting north of 42% from three, but now out of your top five scores, three of them are shooting below 31% from distance. That's a little bit of a concern, and outside of your main four scores, you don't have anyone else that gives you north of 5.2 points per contest. Virginia does a good job taking care of the ball in that turnovers game, and it is still a Louisville team that is currently under not such great coaching, to say the least. That's very, very spirit, as you say, but that's that for Louisville. I do think that they're going to be able to hold in there on their home floor, and this is a little bit of a revenge spot. These two teams, they hooked up a little bit earlier in the campaign. It was a spot where Virginia won at home by a count of 77-53 to 53 in that game. Virginia shot 11-26 from three-part range, and... They won the turnover battle 8-3. to I think that Louisville does a little bit of a better job on the glass. And they hold in there in a game that I think is going to be a bit of a low-scoring slog. As Virginia, once again, in the bottom 20, with regards to total possessions per game, did set my total at 125 as a result. I'm going to be taking a look at the under. I think that Virginia has a little bit of a rougher time on offense than they did the first time around when they scored north of 75. So, went at the under, and I'm going to be willing to take 7.5 for more here with Louisville. 6-11, 6-12 on the betting board. Boston College is going to be on the road facing off against Notre Dame. And Notre Dame does find them themselves as a uh, underdog of two to three points total on this game between 134 and a half and 135 and when it comes to this Boston College bunch I did set them as a favorite of two points so here at the three I'm going to be willing to take the points with Notre Dame this is a Notre Dame squad that has really been doing a nice job of locking down with their defense a top 75 team with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis they allowed north of 70 points for like the second time in their last 10 games when they went up against Miami I mean they were able to actually hold in that game relatively well given all the circumstances as it's a Notre Dame team that's in the top one with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Just a Notre Dame team that can't hold on to the ball. Right now, in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, a bottom 75 team in all of college basketball with Marcus Burton. His 4.3 turnovers game among qualifying Division One players. That leads the country, and that is not a place where you do want to be leading the country. Now, I will say this about Notre Dame. Each other top three scores are shooting at least 81% of the free line. With Burton, he's the main man. He gives you a four assists, 16 points, seal and half per contest, and then JR 
Kozinski, along with Brandon Shrewsbury. These two guys have been able to give between 8.5 and 9.5 points per contest, so they've been able to make some nice contributions. And it's a Notre Dame team that's the top 125 team in the country with regards to rebound rate going up against the Boston College team that is really having a kryptonite with regards to guarding the three-point arc outside the top 250 with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, but do have Quentin Post, and he has been a menace in the post, and he's been a menace from the outside. Seven and a half boards, chips in there, three assists, 17 points on 44%, three-point shooting as a true seven-footer. That is going to be tough for Notre Dame to be able to match up with, to say the least. And then you've been able to get about a block, 10 and a half points, six and a half boards out of Devin McLaughlin as well. He's been able to do a solid job now. Really, nobody outside these two guys have done a good job of being able to hit the boards, but Jaden Zachary, wacky Zachy, has an assist-to-turnover ratio of three. He's done a really quality job of just being able to give this team some facilitation and some just stability when it comes to their backcourt. He's not shooting from three-point the way that he did a season ago where he was actually during the 2021-22 season, two seasons ago, shooting well north of 45% from three-point. And it is a Boston College team. that's still right around about 188th with regards to their rebound rate, but he's been able to do a nice job helping out this offense. I do think that in the end, the shot making itself a Boston College, along with them shooting north of 75.5% of the free throw line, is going to win out, but I do think that Notre Dame is going to hang relatively snug in this game. It's a Boston College team that's relatively mid-tempo. Notre Dame, in terms of total possessions per 40 minutes, they're a bottom 40 team in all of college basketball, so I do think that this is once again going to be a Notre Dame slog, as it's a squad that, in regulation, so take out the overtime session. This is a team that has not gotten past a 65-point plateau, really, since the month of December. I think the last time that they were able to do so, you have to go all the way back to when they played against Western Michigan and I foresee the same thing here. I think that's a first, like, 62-63 game wins. I set my total at a 132. Could get some late game fouling to be able to help out with this total, but looking at the under and at north of two, going to be taking a look at the points with Notre Dame. 613, 614 on the betting board. Georgetown. It's the red face off against Providence. Providence, an 11 to an 11 half point favorite. Totals between 142 and 143.5. So Providence as a 12-point favorite here at 11 to 11 and a half. I'm going to be willing to lay it. Don't want to lay anything more than this, but I do want to lay this number with a Providence team that has been banged up, not having Bryce Hopkins in the full, but coming off of a nice road win against Seton Hall. And you've got Devin Carter doing it all for the team. 18 points, 8 boards on 36% three-point shooting for a Providence team that is a top 25 team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're doing an exceptional job of being able to guard the perimeter as well. Providence at home is a lot opponents to shoot just 31.8% from three-point range and the dunk I know they're trying to call it a Mika Fieldhouse but it's the dunk. It's been one of the best home court environments at all of college basketball over the last few years and this is a Georgetown team that actually do an okay job of being able to guard the arc. They're about 118th in all of college basketball with regards to opponents three-point shooting percentage and it's a Georgetown team that has improved as the season has went along. This is still a relatively rough team though. Georgetown 155th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis but scoring 13 0.2 points fewer per 100 possessions in a roadside shoot court environment rather than at home. When it comes to their road defensive efficiency, they're well outside the top 200 with that regard as well. So, leaves a lot to be desired other than Supreme Cook. Great name. He's been able to give the team right around 8.5 rebounds per game. You just don't have a lot down low. Jaden Epps has carried the offense with 19 points on about 34% three-point shooting. And all in all, it is a Georgetown team that they do shoot about 34.5% from the outside. But Jay Heath, after he was a double-figure scorer last few seasons, he has taken a bit of a fall off. He's now shooting just 33.5% from three-point range. Has been very hot and cold. Has given the team nine-plus points each out of the last four games, but... 
He's not been reliable this far this season. Roland Brumba has been able to give you about two and a half assists, but he turns the ball over a little bit as well. This Providence team, I think, is going to once again just do a solid job with regards to their defense. They've now given up 70 points for fear in three of their last five games. Offense has been a little bit more of a work in progress for them, but this is also a Georgetown team has been getting lambasted recently on defense. 80-plus points surrendered in each other last three games. The game against DePaul was able to be a nice little slump buster for them, but if you take out that game that they played against DePaul, this team has now given up 70 plus points in 7 out of their last 9 games so I do think that Georgetown really going to be up against it against a Providence team that is so good at home. They are another one of those teams that does have those very demonstrative home and road splits with regards to this Providence defense in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They are giving up about 6.5 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot court environment. They should be able to lock down on defense with their overall rebounding by committee and again I think it's going to be a little bit lower scoring. I am going to be taking a look at the under in the spot. I did sub my total at a 142 and when it comes to Providence, want to lay up to 11.5 with them. 615, 616 on the bang board. Duquesne is going to be playing us Fordham. Fordham is an underdog of 9 points. Total on scheme is 143.5. I did sub my total at 145. I'm looking at the over. It's a Fordham team that does rank in the top one in terms of total points allowed on a per possession basis. That said, this is a Fordham team that actually plays very quickly. Fordham is in the uh, top 50 with regards to total possessions per game, which I always find to be very befuddling because this is a Fordham team that I feel like they would have much more success if they slowed it down a little bit. You've got someone like an Abdul Sambilia who's able to give you 8.5 rebounds per game. Andrell Charlton doesn't do one thing great, but he does a lot of things solid. He's able to give you right around about 7 points, 3 assists, a few rebounds, a steal per contest. You need him to sell hot dogs at the hot dogs, and he'll do that. And very interestingly with Fordham, they're actually giving up 2.4 points fear per 100 possessions in a roadside shoot court environment rather than at home. And they face off against a Duquesne team that is coming off of a nice win against St. Bonaventure, but again, I just don't quite know what this team does well. They rank about 109th in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're okay, but not great at being able to hit the glass. They're about 220th with regards to total possessions per game. In terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, they're not great. They're not terrible. About 202nd. Actually scoring about 2.1 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than in a road slash or court environment. And I do think that they're going to be a little bit more lively on offense after neither team in their last game got to 55 points. But... When it comes to this Duquesne bunch, they do have a nice big two that I do like for this team, as you've been able to have Dady Grant along Jimmy Clark just headline the team with about 34 points per contest. They combined to be able to give you about five and a half assists with Clark. So able to throw in their 2.3 seals per contest as well. Nobody else on the roster gives you north of 7.3 points per game. You got one guy on the roster that gives you north of 4.2 boards per contest in Fusami Drame. So that's a bit of an issue. And then you've got Yusuf Metter on the flip side for Fordham, who's been able to give you about 12 and a half points, shooting 38% from three-point shot. Fordham, 13 and a half turnovers per game. They are shooting just 65% of the free line, but a top 75 team with regards to turnovers force on a per-possession basis. I do think that this is going to be a game that's going to be close enough for late game fouling, and even though it's a Fordham team that has a pretty efficient defense, they are a team that they really do crank up the tempo in a lot of games, so I do think that you're going to get a bit of higher scoring affair, which is why I did set my total at 145. I'm looking at the over, and I do think that Duquesne is better than that like 0-4 slash 0-5 start that they had in conference. Still, I've got my question marks with them as well, though I do think that the offense going to be a bust out against a Fordham team that really has been all over the place with regards to their defense, giving up north of 74 points in three out of their last five games. So it is a spot where I'm going to be looking at this total over, and at north of seven, I'm going to be taking the points with Fordham set them as a seven.
11-point underdogs. 17-618 on the betting board. It is Western Michigan. They play out to Central Michigan. Central Michigan does find themselves as a 2.5-point underdog. Your total on this game is 143.5. And Central Michigan, I did set them as an underdog of 7 points, so I'm going to be willing to lay it. Western Michigan has been a completely different team recently. They were one of those squads that, under the radar, they very much benefited from the uh, two-time waivers because with... Javante Brown coming into the fold. He's really been able to elevate this team. A true seven-footer who began his career over at UConn and Texas A&M. And he's been back in the fold for the team for 10 games. Has been able to supply 12.5 points, 5.5 boards, 1.3 blocks per contest. And ever since he has been back, this has been a Western Michigan team that all of a sudden has been able to really launch with regards to their offense. This team has been able to get to at least the 70-point plateau in all but two of their games thus far this month, going up against a Central Michigan team that, to their credit, defense has been significantly better recently. This team has now given up 64 points or fewer in four of their last five games. If you want to go 71 points or fewer, they have done so in all but two of their games here in the month of January. They do have a guy in Anthony Pritchard that had like 14 points, five boards, five assists, but it is also a Central Michigan team that's well outside the top 225 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. You really don't get a lot down low either. Brian Taylor at 6'6". Six six, he's been able to supply the team with about 7.5 rebounds per game. He's the only guy in the roster that does give you north of 5 rebounds per game. And still, overall for the season, Central Michigan is a team that ranks 233rd in the country with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up 16.1 points more per 100 possessions in a roadside shoot court environment rather than at home. Facing up against a Western Michigan team that is 268th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but I do think that Western Michigan is going to be able to do a relatively solid job on the glass. Top one our team with regards to rebound rate. Even Titus Young is able to give you about five plus rebounds per game. You've got quite a few guys who are able to do a nice job by committee. And then you've got Seth Hubbard, who's really been able to supply the team with quite a bit of offense. 15 and a half points per game. B.R. Despite, though, he's a little bit Hermes. Gives you 10 points. Three assists per contest. Going up against a Central Michigan team that's just 245th in all of college basketball with regards to their rebound rate as well. This is a Western Michigan team ascending with their offense. A Central Michigan team ascending with their defense. So, good old something's got to give scenario with regards to this total. I did set my total to a 141. I'm going to be looking at the under. It is a Western Michigan team that's still well outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game, and Central Michigan has really been playing slogs of games, so going to be diving in on the under, but with Western Michigan, I feel like they should be a bigger favorite than this. I set them at a minus 1.7, so want to lay with Western Michigan and looking at that total under. 619-620 on the banking board. Akron is going to be on the road facing off against Miami of Ohio. Miami of Ohio just find themselves as a underdog of 7.5 points, so on this game is 141.5. With Akron, I set them as an 8.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Ali, Ali, I do think is going to be able to find a stroke from three-point range. He has been back for 11 games, 15.5 points, shooting just 31% from three. Last time he was at Akron two seasons ago was a 40% three-point shooter, but has really been able to help this team elevate ever since he has been back in the fold as this Akron team has been playing much better defensively since he has been back. This team has now given up 71 points or fewer in all but two of their games here in the month of January. And you want to date it back to the beginning of the month of December in games that wrapped up in regulation. So that takes out the Gardner-Webb game that went to overtime. 71 points or fewer surrendered in all but three of these games. And Enrique Freeman has been able to do amazing work down low. 18 and a half points, 13 rebounds, which leads all of college basketball 
Paul blocking after contest. Oh, and he's shooting about 33% from three point 13 plus rebounds in far of the team's last five games. Eight blocks in the last three contests. There's just nobody on Miami of Ohio that's going to be able to match up. This is a Miami of Ohio team that has one guy that's averaging north of 4.3 rebounds per game. That'd be Bryce Boltman at six foot five. He just doesn't stand a chance. It's Miami of Ohio team that ranks outside the top 300 with regards to a rebound rate. And this is a Miami of Ohio team that also doesn't do the world's greatest job just with regards to their defense in general, despite the fact that they're actually really good at being able to guard the arc. Miami of Ohio is 19th in all of college basketball with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, but teams just gash them up inside instead. As this Miami of Ohio team, 229th in all of college basketball, turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, allowing 16 more points per 100 possessions in a road-slash-short-court environment. You do have Anderson Marmot back in the fold for Miami of Ohio, 14 points, 4.5 boards per contest, and a rushy hunter leads the backcourt with 12.5 points on 36.5% three-point shooting, and it is a Miami of Ohio team that is shooting about 37.3% from distance, but Akron has been able to do a relatively solid job locking down from three at home. Opponents at home are shooting just 30.4% from three-point range against them. I do think that with Akron, even though they are going to be on the road in this spot, they are going to still be able to do an okay job of being able to lock down from three-point range, still about 139th in all of college basketball with that regard. It is an Akron team that certainly has been getting some good production as well. Out of guys like a Sammy Hunter, they would give you about eight points per contest. It's a Miami of Ohio team that has been doing a relatively okay job of being able to take care of the ball, right around about 12 turnovers per game, but I do think that with Akron, getting a little bit more facilitation out of the Northern Illinois transfer and Caleb Thornton, he's giving you about three assists and just 1.3 turnovers per game while shooting north of 40% from three-point range, and Akron in general shooting about 36% from the outside, that they should be able to persevere. Miami of Ohio, a much better defensive team at home, but this is an Akron team that is starting to come into their own offensively as well, which is why I did somebody tell 144.5, I'm going to be taking a look at the over. This is also a Miami of Ohio team that has gotten to at least 71 points in four of their last five games. And when it comes to the spot for Akron, did set them as an eight and a half point favorite. So one to lay up to eight with them. 621, 622 on the banking board. Marquette is going to be playing us to Seton Hall. Seton Hall, an eight and a half to a nine and a half point underdog with your total 146. With Marquette, I did set them as a favorite of seven and a half points here at the eight and a half slash nine and a half. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Seton Hall. It is a Seton Hall bunch that is banged up. Kadari Richmond was out in the fold a few nights ago. Now, I'm thinking that was just a little bit of a stomach bug slash an illness. I think they'll probably be back, but not quite at 100%. So that's sort of the way that I'm playing. That one will make a slight adjustment if Richmond is out of the fold. But even if he's out of the fold at 9.5, I'd still be willing to take this number. So just want to make that known. But that's said, when it comes to the Seton Hall team, you do have a pair of guys in Elamir Dawes, Dre Davis, who are currently combining for just below 29 points per contest. And they're both shooting between 36.5 and 37% from three-point for a Seton Hall team that has been able to do a pretty surprising job down low. Dylan Adi Awusu is known a little bit more for his shooting, but he's been able to give the team right around about six rebounds per contest. Jaden Bediaco has been a nice find. He's been able to give the team about seven and a half rebounds per game, and Seton is going to have an advantage down low. Oso Oguidero has been able to do a relatively solid job down low for Marquette. He's able to give you double figures. He's able to give you two plus assists per contest, but he's really the only guy in the roster that gives you north of five and a half rebounds per game, and it's a Marquette team that's 235th in all of college basketball with regards to the rebound rate. Seton is 22nd with this regard. Now, this is a Marquette team that has been quite supreme with regards to their defense, a top 25 team in terms of turnover sports on a per-possession basis saying they're a little bit of a different animal at home rather than on the road. They are giving up about 12.6 points fewer per one hour possessions at home rather than in a road slash shoot record environment. And this is a Seton Hall team that they themselves had a little bit of a shaky start to the season. They're about 139th of the country. There's points a lot on a per possession basis, but they've been playing quite a bit better here 
recently. So I do think that this is going to be a spot where we are going to be able to see Seton Hall be able to hang in this game. They're starting to get a little bit more three-point shooting, and Tyler Kolek has been a bit hit or miss when it comes to this bunch. Now, Tyler Kolek, it seems like he's been able to find it a little bit more, and he's still putting together a really nice season. He's been able to supply the team with north of four and a half rebounds, 6.9 assists at 2.8 turnovers per game, 14 and a half points per contest. Then you've been able to have Cam Jones go off for 14 and a half points, but and it's still a Marquette team that's only shooting about 32.5% from the outside. It is a Seton Hall team that it will get them a little bit from the outside as well. 213th in all of college basketball with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, allowing opponents to shoot 39.3% from three in a roadside shoot court environment. Meanwhile, Marquette, they're about 200th in the country with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage as well. So, interesting spot here. I do recognize that Richmond's status is a little bit questionable, but especially at a 9.5. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Seton Hall. I did set my total at 145.5. Here at the 146, it's my minimum buy point on the under, but going to be willing to take a look at the under to go along with the points with Seton Hall. 623-624 on the bank board. Missouri and sort of face off against South Carolina. And South Carolina is a 5.5 to a 6.5 point favorite. Your total is between 135.5 and 137. And when it comes to Missouri, I did set them as an underdog of 9 points. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. It's a Missouri team that has just been a mess all season long. This team has been rough with regards to their rebounding. 158th in the country with regards to opponents' 3-point shooting percentage as well as being outside the top 200 with regards to rebound rate. And they go up against the South Carolina team that they just don't beat themselves. With South Carolina, a top 75 team with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, they're turning the ball over less than 11 times for contest. They've been able to do a good job of just having everyone know their role as well. Now, this is not a South Carolina team that is going to have that one guy that absolutely lights it up and is going to give you a whole bunch down low, though you do have a nice go-to scorer, Michi Johnson, who's been able to give you about 16 to 17 points per contest, shooting it quite well from three-point range, but it's just really a whole is greater than some of its parts collective for this team to become a top 50 rebound rate team. And for Missouri, they just haven't gotten a lot out of Connor Vanover, and they really haven't given him a lot of minutes. He's been playing about 11.5 minutes per contest, giving you about four points, two and a half rebounds per game. You just need much more out of a guy with size that this team horribly needed last season. They've been without Caleb Grill throughout much of the campaign, and despite the fact that your top two scorers in Shawnee's Tamar Bates, both of these guys combined for just under 29 points per contest. They both shoot north of 47% from three-point range. Well, they combined to shoot about 46.5% from three Bates is around 46%, east 48%. As a team, they're only shooting about 32.5% from the outside. They do a good job of being a win the turnover battle, but that's about it. And when it comes to South Carolina, you've got Delon Cooper. He's done a nice job doling out the ball. One turnover to about 4.3 assists per game. B.J. Mack is the only guy that gives you an earth of 4.6 rebounds per game, but he's a well-rounded, six foot eight do-it-all player, 13.5 points, 5.5 boards, shoots in the low to mid-30s from three-point range. It's been a South Carolina team that has just been able to execute all season long. Now, do you have to have your question marks as to how they respond after a massive win over Kentucky, but this offense has really been able to get rolling. They've gotten to at least 69 points at each other last four games, and South Carolina, they went on the road. They knocked off Missouri a few weeks ago in a game where they only shot 7-24 from three-point range, and they actually lost a turnover battle in that game, 16-7. to I have to figure that some adjustments have been made. And in that first contest, you saw South Carolina win the rebound battle 43-32. to I do think that that's going to be a constant in this one. Noah Carter had 23 points the first time around, and I think that he will be able to give Missouri a relatively solid effort. And I do think that Missouri, once again, is going to be able to threaten like 67, 68 points in this one. So I did sell my total at a 141, recognize that you needed overtime to be able to get to 140 points the first time around. But both of these teams were relatively 
relatively cold from three-point range. I do think that both teams heat up a little bit more here, so going to be taking a look at the over. But with South Carolina, I think that they get it done once again against Missouri, set them as a nine-point favorite, want to lay the number and looking at the over. 625-626 on the banking board. UW-Green Bay plays us to Detroit. Detroit is an underdog of 12.5 points with your total 138. And with Green Bay, I made them a favorite of 13 points. I'm going to be willing to lay the 12.5 with Detroit. They're currently 0-21. They have hit blackjack and man. Just rough for them. The good news is they do have Jaden Stone back in the fold. That is their top scorer. When he's been out there, he's been able to give the team north of 19 points per contest. And his three-point shooting is much better than most on this team. He shoots about 31.6% from three for a Detroit team that's shooting 26.6% from the outside. For Detroit, it's just all bad for them right now. They are outside the top 20 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Outside the top 50 with regards to rebound rate as Eduardo Del Cadiz is right now the only guy in the roster that gives you north of five and a half rebounds per game. For Detroit, 344th in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. And... After things were rocky to begin the season for UW-Green Bay, things have really ticked up, and they've been able to see a nice boost at home. They're averaging 14.2 points more per 100 possessions at home rather than in a road-slash-shoot-court environment. Noah Reynolds, 18.5 points, 3.5 boards, 4.5 assists, one of the better mid-major players out there in all of college basketball. For a team that all of a sudden is shooting 35.5% from three-point range, Foster Wonders, who comes in from Southern Illinois, is now shooting 45% from three-point range. You don't get a ton down low as Elijah Jones is the only guy that gives you north of four boards per contest. He's been able to Supply 6.3 rebounds per game, but the Achilles heel of UW Green Bay not necessarily having a ton of size down low. And despite that, by the way, they're actually 127th in the country with regards to rebound rate. That is not going to be unearthed against a Detroit team that are just dysfunctional, sad, and for this Detroit team, my goodness, the defense has went straight down the toilet bowl. Last time they allowed fewer than 80 points in a game was against UW Green Bay. Problem was, they still lost that game by 18 points because they scored 51. Ever since then, they've been a little bit better with their offense, but they've been absolutely putrid with regards to their defense. This is a Detroit team that I mean, they are just all out of sorts right now. They're one of the worst cover eight teams in all of college basketball. Last time they faced off against Green Bay, granted it was without Jaden Stone, they lost by 18 points at home. It's just really hard to think we're going to get some other result, especially with UW-Green Bay just being able to fire on all cylinders when it comes to their offense and defensively. This has still been a relatively solid team, giving up 71 points or fewer and now five out of their last eight games. I do think that UW-Green Bay gets it done once again against a Detroit team that at this point is just rudderless, sad, and out of sorts. I did set my total at a 139. I do think that Detroit is going to show a little bit more of a modicum of defense here, but I mean, they set this total at 138 on the opener. I was a little bit surprised there. I thought that this was going to certainly be north of 140, but here at the 138, I'm going to be willing to go over with the way that Detroit is playing defense, and with UW-Green Bay, I'm going to lay up to 12 and a half with them. 627, 628 on the betting board. It is Kansas. They throw the face off against Iowa State. Iowa State, a three and a half to a four point favorite. So this game is between one 145 and 145 and a half. I said I would say it as a two and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to uh, take the points with Kansas State. I'm also very surprised by this 145 total. This is one that I fully expect to be coming down. I saw my total at 136 and a half. This is an Iowa State team that they're not slugs with regards to their tempo, but by no stretch of the imagination is this an Iowa State team that's going to be absolutely running in and gunning it. And this is an Iowa State team that is a top five team nationally in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. This is also a squad that's one of the best in the country at being able to generate turnovers. And this is just a completely different Iowa State defense when they are at home rather than in a roadside shoot recording environment. Overall for the season, this is an Iowa State team that there's a points allowed on a per-possession basis. They are still clocking in at number... 
two in the country, and they're giving up 29.5 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside shooter court environment. And Kansas has been quite good with regards to their defense when they've had to hit the road. As a matter of fact, for Kansas, this is a top 30 defense with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. Whenever they do have to leave home, they've been only giving up about 4.2 points more per 100 possessions in a roadside shooter court environment. So I do think that they're going to be able to hold up there. It is a Kansas team that they certainly have their big three. Hunter Dickinson, he's been able to give you a double-digit amount of rebounds. He's shooting north of 40% from three, north of 15 points per contest. Kevin McCuller, he's doing it all. Just under 20 points, just under eight rebounds. I mean, this guy, he does it all for the team. Shoots the ball from three-point range. And then Dewan Harris, he doesn't give you much scoring, but he does a really good job of being able to facilitate. I do think that he's going to allow the team to hold on to the ball better than most opponents against Iowa State. And if there is one place where this Iowa State defense can be had, they're about 159th in all of college basketball with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. But, I mean, this is a Kansas team that they're going to do a good job locking down the arc. Opponents are shooting about 32% from three-point range against them. And this is a Iowa State team that has been dealing with the injuries to Taman Lipsby. So that is something that needs to be factored in a little bit in this spot as well. Now, I do fully expect for you to have a full allotment of guys out there for Iowa State. You saw Lipsby return in the last game, so he should be relatively good to go, but might be more at like 80-85% rather than 100% as he and Kashawn Gilbert have been able to combine for about 20 points per contest in Lipsby. Well-rounded game. Five and a half boards, five and a half assists, 3.2 seals, shooting 37% from three-point range, and it is a team that has Milan Mimosilovic shooting about 40% for three with 13 and a half points per contest, but when it comes to Iowa State, I do fear how they're going to be able to match up with Hunter Dickinson because this is a little bit more of a rebound by committee sort of team and while that's very good for them being number 53 in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate, just facing off against a 7-footer like that, I do think it's going to be a relatively tough task here. Now, I do think that in the end, Iowa State with Hilton Magic, they're going to be able to get it done, but I do think that this is going to be a nip-and-tuck game and I certainly think that this total is too high at a 146. I'm going to be taking a look at the under. I probably should have made this a write-up in all honesty, but I said we've got one that's coming up a little bit later, but I said I do like the under in this spot. And with regards to Iowa State, I did make them just a two and a half point favorite, so we'll take three plus here with Kansas to go along that under. 629, 630 on the banging board. Huster hits the road face off against Monmouth. Monmouth does find themselves as a two and a half point underdog. Donald's game is hanging between 145 to 144 and a half, and this is a circumstance where I'm going to be diving in on this total over. I did some at 147 and a half. It's a pair of teams that do rank outside the uh, top 200 with regards to total possessions per game, but both of these teams are able to launch relatively well from three par range, and this is a Hofstra team that is not playing the same way on defense as they did in conference play a season ago. You notice last season, Hofstra was a relatively wretched defense out of conference, and then in conference, they were really able to find their footing, and they've been a little bit better in conference this season than they were out of conference, but still, it has been a team that has been really an all-gas, no-breaks team with regards to their outside shooting as you've got a pair of guys who are combining for about 40 points per contest in Darlson Dunbar along Tyler Thomas. Both of these guys launching very well from three-point. Dunbar, 39.8% from three-point. Thomas, around 35% from the outside. You've been able to have Thomas give you about five boards, 3.2 assists per contest, but other than Dunbar and Thomas, you don't really have anyone other than Yako Fritz that's able to give you a rebound on this team, and I do think that that's going to be a bit of an issue. Not that Mamas is some sort of an amazing rebound rate team, as they're a team that is clocking in currently about 238th with regards to rebound rate. If you noticed a few seconds ago, yes, I did kick the table. That'll happen when you're breaking down 152 games, but that's it. When it comes to this Hofstra team, they are a team that ranks as 305th in all of college basketball with regards to their rebound rate. They do a solid job taking care of the ball. Only about 11 turnovers per game, but they don't generate a lot of steals since young. 
Juan Carlos, who's been able to give you about 6.2 assists, 1.6 steals, just about 35.5% for three with 11 points per contest, but Carlos Dunbar-Thomas, they're all double-figure scores. Nobody else gives you north of 6.1 points per contest. Monmouth, a little bit of a top-heavy team themselves. Xander Rice, 21.5 points, three assists on 37% three-point shooting. You've only got two other guys who give you north of 7.5 points per contest, but those guys, Jack Collins, Alon Nikita, Kutsanatsovsky, they've been able to combine for about 14 rebounds per game. And then you've got a 50% three-point shooter in Abdi Bashir Jr., who's really starting to pick it up a little bit. Eight-plus points in each of the last three games. I like what he's been bringing to the table. It is a Monmouth theme I very much have been warming up on recently. I do want to see them get a little bit more depth here. I did set Monmouth as a very slim one-and-a-half-point favorite in this spot, just because I do think that they're going to be able to win the battle down low. Both of these teams, I think, are certainly going to be giving it up from three parts but this is a officer team that they're about 248th in all of college basketball with regards to their opponent's three-point shooting percentage. When it comes to this Monmouth team, they're about 154th and they're a little bit better when they are at home. So I did make Monmouth the home favorite. I'm going to be looking at them outright on the money line and I think that both of these teams do go bounce away from three-point shot by total 147 and a half. So also looking over 631-632 on the board. It is Evansville playing us at Illinois State. This is a pick'em game with the total between 136 half and 139 and with Illinois State, I did set them as a two and a half point favorite. I'm going to be one to take them on this pick'em line. It's an Illinois State team that is relatively solid on defense. The offense is very much a work in progress and for Illinois State, if you do have bugaboo with this team, they are about 223rd in all of college basketball regards opponent's three-point shooting percentage, but this Evansville team just has not been the same without Ben Humoriches. He was really a solid player for the team throughout the beginning part of the season, averaging 16-plus points per contest. He was by far their top scorer, and ever since he's been out of the fold, this Evansville team has went straight to mush. You've got Yassan Toomey, who's able to give you about 11.6 rebounds per game, doing an okay job down low for an Evansville team that, outside of him, you really don't have a lot in the post. Kenny Strawbridge has been able to give you a double-figure amount of points. Chips in there, about four boards per contest, but you can tell that without humor riches. This is just a completely different team. Evansville also 277th in the country with regards to rebound rate. Not that Illinois State is magical with regards to their rebound rate, but they're about 111th. They do a good job by committee. Miles Foster has been able to give you about seven boards per contest. It's an Illinois State team that's rough with their three-point shooting percentage. They shoot about 28% from distance, but the good news is Evansville, they're 310th in the country at opponent's three-point shooting percentage defense. So there should be some open looks there. Dalton Banks has been able to give you about 35% three-point shooting and he's your floor general. Ten points, three and a half assists per contest. If you could get a little bit more out of some of these ancillary guards like Malachi Poindexter, Johnny Kazinger, who have been able to give you about six to seven points per contest, you're really looking at something with Illinois State with the way that they've been able to lock it down down low. And this is an Illinois State team that while the offense has fallen on some tough times, the defense has been there. 67 points of fear surrender in four of the last five games. Meanwhile for Evansville, this is an offense that is just not clicking on all cylinders. 64 points of fear scored in four of their last five games. This ball, the defense has been really taking their lumps as well. I did set my total at 135 and a half. I think that this is going to be a bit of a lower scoring slog. So, looking at the under and on this pick of mine, I'm rolling with Illinois State. South them as a two and a half point favorite. 633, 634 on the betting board. It is Brown and they hit the road face off against Dartmouth. What can Brown do for you? Well, need them to win by at least four points to make you money. They're three and a half point road favorites. So, on this game, 132 and a half. 
Dartmouth is right now your best underrated team in all of college basketball. All but two of their games have went under, and I think that you're looking at a little bit more of the same. I set my total at 131 half. I'm looking at the under. This is Dartmouth team that they're just getting absolutely nothing on offense from their backcourt. Ryan Cornish was a double-figure scorer last season. He's now giving you about seven points per contest. He's sort of been in and out of the fold, and he's been dealing with injuries over the last few weeks. He might not be able to go on this one. Dusan Deskovic, Brandon Mitchell-Day are a pair of guys that have missed four-plus games already this season. I expect both of these guys to be out there on the floor, but they've both been not necessarily themselves recently as well. You're getting between the two of them about 25 points, 10.5 boards, but for this Dartmouth team, among guys that have been able to give you at least one point per game. Yes, I have to use that disclaimer. You've got one guy in the roster shooting north of 32% for three-point range. That'd be the 41.5% three-point shooting of Jaden Williams. He's been able to do a relatively solid job with about eight and a half points per contest, and he just went down with an injury against Princeton about a week and a week and a half ago, so, man, it's not good. Meanwhile, you've got a Brown team that was one of the best mid-major defenses in off-college basketball last year. They're not well outside the top 175 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they should dominate down low. Nano, Wusu, Anane, Kalu, Ania. These two guys have been able to combine for about 14 rebounds per game. Kino Lilly Jr. is by far the best scorer in this game. 19.5 points, shooting 34.5% for three. Now, Brown shoots 64% at the free line. That's relatively ghastly, but they get to go up against a Dartmouth team that they can't throw the ball in the ocean. They're 301st in the country with regards to rebound rate. This is just a really, really rough Dartmouth team that's going through a whole bunch of injuries right now. They're an unbackable side in this spot. I did set Brown as a 5.5 point favorite. Brown has been a big, giant disappointment. 5 and 13 straight up. Defense has gotten gashed for 71 plus points in each other last four games. Offense itself has been able to get to at least 70 points in each other last four games, but for the Dartmouth team, last time they were able to exceed 60 points, yes, we have to use the word 60 points in a game. You have to go all the way back to December 13th, and if you're looking overall for the season against Division One opponents, Dartmouth has not gotten past 68 points, and now they're injured. So, it's up my total 131. I've diving in on the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay with Brown, 635, 636 on the board. Hampton plays us to Elon. Elon, a one to two point favorite. Totals between 158 and 159.5. When it comes to Elon, I did have to make them the favorite of two points in this spot. So here at a one, I'm going to be willing to lay the number. It's an Elon team as wretched on defense. They are well outside the top 300 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And it is an Elon team that's starting to dry up with their three point shooting percentage that was so hot towards the beginning part of the season. That said, now they get to go up against a Hampton team that has been one of the worst teams defensively in all of college basketball. 353rd in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And they're giving up more points per possession at home rather than in a road-slash-shoot-to-court environment. The fourth least efficient defense in all of college basketball at home this season, allowing opponents to shoot well north of 36% for a three-part range. They're getting completely tattooed. Now, for this Hampton team, they are starting to get a little bit more out of Jordan Nesbitt. He was their top scorer from a season ago. He returned to the fold after missing the first, like, six or eight games of the season and did not look right and still for the season has not been himself. Nine and a half points, right around five boards, 4.3 assists per contest. But recently, he's been able to do a little bit of better work for the team. He's supplied 15 plus points in four of the last five games. He has been seeing the turnovers go up, but he certainly has been much more productive. And you do have Curry Smallin, who's able to give you about 9.3 boards, 15 and a half points per game. Has got a pair of teams in general that are struggling on the boards, but he should be the best overall rebounder in this game. It's a Hampton team that is about 308th in all of college basketball. The guards rebound rate, Elon hovering right around about 200. 56, but for Elon, you do have a big four with this team. TK 
Simpkins, Rob Higgins, Max McKinnon, along with Nick Dorn. They all give between 9.8 and 12.2 points per contest with McKinnon, Higgins, and Simpkins. They've been able to combine for about 8.5 assists per contest. And McKinnon and Higgins are both shooting north of 38% from three-point range as a whole. Elon has been able to shoot about 36.5% from the outside with about 11.8 turnovers per game. And it is an Elon team that's just consistently giving up points right now. Elon has allowed at least 78 points in each of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Hampton team that they themselves have gotten tattooed for at least 80 in each of their last four. Both of these offenses, though, are quite struggling, though I will give a little bit of credit to Hampton, despite the fact that overall for the season, the offense has been brutal. They've gotten to at least 75 points in each of their last four games. That said, I do think that Elon going to get it done in a game that I think is going to be seeing plenty of scoring in this one. I said Elon is a two-point favorite, so one to lay the one. Did sub by total 154. I do think that we're going to see a little bit of regression with regards to Elon's three-point shooting come to the forefront once again, and this is a Hampton team that they themselves, I do think that they're going to have a little bit of a tough time in terms of just being able to get things formulated against, and Elon team has been playing a little bit more slowly. Elon outside the top two arm with regards to the total possessions per game, so did semi total 154, looking at the under, and with Elon, one to lay up to one and a half with them. 637, 638 on the banking board. It is Bowling Green on the road facing off against Toledo. Toledo does find themselves as a six-point favorite, and your total is 155 and a half. With Toledo, I did set them as a favorite of seven points, so here are the six I'm going to be willing to lay it. It's a Bowling Green team that I've been very warm on for really the entire of the season, but I do think that it's a real rubber-meets-the-road sort of scenario, and for Toledo, this defense has actually been a whole heck lot better recently than they have been really the last few seasons. Like, last few seasons, you knew that Toledo was going to give you scoring, but you knew that this defense was going to be absolutely ghastly. How about this for Toledo? They've now given up 73 points or fewer in four straight games and 75 points or fewer in six straight. Considering they're a relatively up-tempo team, that's actually not too bad. You've got Raheem Moss along Tyler Cochran combining for about 29.5 points, 12 boards. They aren't a team that is going to have necessarily the world's greatest, I guess you'd call it turnover ratio or anything like that on defense, but on offense, they protect the ball. They only turn the ball over 11 times per contest. And I will say, each other top three scores have been able to generate at least a seal and a half per contest as you do have your main three-point shooter in Dante Maddox, who shoots about 40% from three, generating a seal and a half to go along with his 15.5 points per contest. It's a little bit of a top-heavy team. Going up against a Bowling Green team that they have had their issues with regards to being able to stroke it from three-point at 31.5% from distance. So, you do have Rashawn H along with Trey Thomas being able to give you both 12.5 points per contest piece. AG, nine boards, both shoot 36 plus percent from three points. Jason Spurgeon, six boards, 11.5 points per game. It's a Bowling Green team I think is going to be able to win the battle down though. A top 125 team with regards to rebound rate, but this is a Toledo team that is far more advanced with regards to their offense, and now that the defense, I'm not going to call it great by any stretch of the imagination, but I, it's presentable. It's a relatively halfway decent defense for the Toledo team. In the last three games, they have given up 12 points per one-arm possessions fewer than they did towards the beginning part of the season. I do think that Toledo going to be able to get a do- job done in this spot. Do have Marcus Hill still for Bowling Green who's been able to give you about 20 points per contest, but I do think that the overall athleticism takes hold, and this is a Bowling Green team that has really been looking to crank up their tempo as well. Todd Simon's style is really playing very up-tempo. This is a Bowling Green team that they have been able to get to at least 78 points each out of the last five games. They've now given up 72 plus points each out of the last five as well. So, interesting circumstance here. I did set to 
Toledo as a seven-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. And with regards to the total, I did set out 157. While Toledo is playing a little bit better with their defense, they're still a rocket ship on offense. And this is a Bowling Green team that's cranking up their tempo. So when I be over and want to lay it with Toledo. 639, 640 on the Bangor. Campbell plays us uh, Charleston. Charleston, a nine and a half to a ten-point favorite. And your total on scheme between 150 and a half at 151. And with Charleston, I did set them as a favorite of eight points. Here between nine and a half and ten, I'm going to be willing to take the points. It is a Campbell team that is going to slow you down and just stick you in the mud. For Campbell, bottom 30 team in the country with regards to total possessions per game and when it comes to Charleston. They were playing relatively mid-tempo towards the beginning part of the season. They've been speeding up quite a bit recently, though. 82nd now in the country with regards to total possessions per game, and this just isn't the same Charleston team that we've seen in past years. This team is outside the top 150 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're really not generating a lot of turnovers. They're about 54th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, and to their credit, they travel quite well. They're only scoring three points fewer per one hour possessions in a road-slash-shoot-court environment rather than at home, and if you just take a look at road offensive efficiency. This team is in the top 35 in the country with that regard, but you're just not getting a lot down low other than Anthony Bedozovic being able to give you about six or so rebounds per game. And with this Campbell team, Anthony Deloroso, he's been able to do a really good job just providing everything for this team. 18 plus points, six plus boards. He's able to give you three assists, but Laurinaitis Vesterius has now been able to give you about 10 points. He's shooting nearly 40% for three-part range. It's a Campbell team that's just a hole is greater than some of its parts. Sort of collective. They're not really going to blow you away with regards to any one statistical category. They're about 271st in the country with regards to their rebound rate. Their team that in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. About 167th without really any demonstrative home and road splits. But this is a Campbell team I do think is going to be able to do a good job of just not beating themselves. They turn the ball over about 11.5 turnovers per game. It's a Campbell team that has been able to do a relatively solid job of guarding the arc as well, especially at home. They're allowing opponents to shoot just 26 7.8% from three-par range. This is a College of Charleston team that they always look to launch from three-par range. And Charleston is about 239th in the country with regards to their three-point shooting percentage defense. It is a Charleston team that is very much a holes greater than some of its parts collective as well. You do have Rain Smith, who's been really your main three-point shooter, 11 points per contest, shooting 36.5% from three. And of your top five scores for Charleston. You do have three of them shooting north of 81.5% at the free throw line. You've got guys like a Frankie Poloselli, Kobe Rogers, both give you about 8.5 points, 5 rebounds per game, and Charleston is able to go right around about 8 to 9 deep once again, but I do think the Campbell, with their slow, grimy style, going to be able to hold in there. It's a Campbell team that's now allowed 68 points or fewer in far of their last five games. They're able to slow down the best of them, so we'll take north of 8 here with Campbell, and with regards to my total, I did set it at a 142. I do think the Campbell style wins out in this spot. So I'm looking at the under and the points with Campbell. 641-642 on the board. It is Ball State playing us in Northern Illinois and Northern Illinois does find themselves as a 5 to a 6 point underdog. And your total on this game between 152 and 152 and a half. Semi-total 157. Northern Illinois is well outside the top 300 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. It has not been great for them to say the least. But I did set my number at a 5. I'm going to be willing to take the 6 here with Northern Illinois because Ball State has also been a relative train wreck with regards to their defense. This is a Ball State team that's not going to be looking at post tempo. They're about 268th in the country with regards to total possessions per game, but Ball State, 247th in the country. There's points allowed on a per-possession basis and Ball State getting completely gashed from beyond the arc. 279th in the country with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Now, you've got a Northern Illinois team that is dealing with a few injuries and you've got a Ball State team that has been able to have Bashir Jihad really just going to takeover mode. 19 points, 7.5 boards from three-point. She's hitting 39% from the outside. Ball 
Palisade as a whole. They're shooting 37.3% from distance. Each of their top five scores shoot at least 35.7% from three-point range as you've been able to have Jalen Anderson along with Davion Bailey be able to combine for in that neighborhood about 27 half points per contest. And for Bailey, he was dealing with a little bit of an injury. He's come back and he's looked better than ever, but Ball State also well inside the top 200 with regards to rebound rate. It's a Northern Illinois team that currently is dealing with an injury to Yannick Conan Niederhauser, though, he has been dealing with a, quite a few ailments. Just returned in that last game against Toledo. Four points, three rebounds, but did have four blocks. That was very good. I expect him to be out there, but not necessarily at 100%. And then you've got someone like a David Coit, who's going to be leading the backcourt with about 19.5 points, shooting 37.5% from three-point range. And they're going to need him to step up because they have been dealing with a few injuries in the backcourt. But getting back to Rick Nutter has been big as well. Not a guy that is going to go nutty from three-point range at about 28 percent but 15 points right around five boards so with Northern Illinois now starting to get a little bit more healthy especially with Niederhauser returning in that last game with this team still very rough with regards to our defense Ball State is able to launch from three-point range Northern Illinois not good at guarding the arc they are currently right around about 324th with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, but actually significantly better at guarding the arc on the road rather than at home. This is the spot where I'm going to be looking at the over. I did set my total at 157, but at north of five, going to be willing to take the points with Northern Illinois. 643-644 on the betting board. This Citadel hits the road face-off against Chattanooga. Chattanooga, 9.5 to a 10-point favorite with your total 140 and a half to 141. And with Chattanooga, I did set them as a 9.5-point favorite at 10. That is going to be my buy point on the Citadel. Citadel has really slowed things down. Duggar Bacham used to just run it and gun it. Now the Citadel well outside the top 275 with regards to total possessions bringing. And it's a Citadel team that has a relatively respectable defense. On the road, they're allowing opponents to shoot just 32.9% from three-point range. And that's a real lifeblood of Chattanooga, though I will say for Chattanooga, not bad at guarding the three-point arc themselves, but are 60th with that regard. You've got a, a bunch of guys that were formerly at VMI with their coach and Dan Earl that have come over and have really been able to have a second lease on life and have really been able to ascend in this conference as Honor Huff along with... Trey Bottom, they've been able to combine for about 28 points per contest. These two guys combined to shoot well north of 40% from three-point range. And ever since Bottom has become eligible, missed the first nine or so games of the season, is shooting 48% from three-point range. And you should be able to have Sam Alexis be the best overall rebounder in this game, 11.5 points, 9.5 rebounds per game. But he's got a sift test having to go up against Quinn Melora-Brown. It is a Citadel team that's in the top 80 with regards to rebound rate. Melora-Brown is a big reason why. Comes in for Vanderbilt. He's been able to give you about 9.5 rebounds per game. Doesn't have quite the versatility of Alexis, but does a good job just down in the post with about a block and a half per game. And then your backcourt big two of the Citadel and Elijah Morgan, AJ Smith, they've been able to combine for about 30.6 points per contest. Smith shoots 36% from three. Morgan, 43.5% from the outside. This is not a Citadel team that's really going to give you a whole bunch of turnovers or anything like that, but they've done a relatively solid job with regards to their interior defense. And this is a Chattanooga team that just year in and year out, they always do have their warts on defense, especially when it comes to guarding the interior. Now they're a much better defensive team at home rather than on the road. They're giving up about 17 points for your per runner possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot court environment. But interestingly, Citadel is about 206th in the country with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, but they're giving up two points fewer in a roadside shoot court environment rather than at home. They're a top 125 defense with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis away from home. So I do think that the Citadel going to be able to remain somewhat lively in this game. I did, as a result, set my line at a 9.5. So here at the time, I'm going to be 
taking a look at the points, and did set my total at a 141F. You do have a Citadel team that's able to launch from three-point range, and Chattanooga does have their issues on defense, while offensively, they've been able to do a relatively solid job being able to get to at least 74 points in four of their last five games. So, looking at the 141 or less over, and looking at 10 plus here with the Citadel. 645-646 on the big board. House and it's road face off against Delaware. Delaware, a two and a half point favorite. Your total is 132 and a half to 133 and a half. Delaware, I did set as a favorite of five and a half points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Towson coming off a massive win against Drexel to hand them their first Coastal Conference loss. That said, I do think that this is a little bit of a rough spot against a Delaware team where they just have a whole is greater than some of its parts approach with having a good main rebounder, Christian Ray, that's able to give you nine points, eight and a half boards, right around about three assists per game. They have to go up against a Towson team that's in the top 25 nationally with regards to rebound rate, but where you're able to get this Towson team is from the outside. When it comes to guarding the three-point arc, it's a Towson bunch that is allowing opponents to shoot about 32.5% from three away from home. That compares to about 30% at home, so they're a little bit more vulnerable with that regard. It is a Delaware team that has Jalon Trent doing a nice job doling out the ball. 3.8 assists, 9.5 points per contest. Doesn't necessarily shoot it well from three, but it is a Delaware team that they value the ball. Only about 10.3 turnovers per contest. It is a Towson team that they still have their warts offensively, but they've now been able to get to at least 70 points in four out of their last five games. It has been a game changer that they've gotten into Turk now in the fold. 11.5 points, 4.5 boards, shooting 35% from three-point range, and when it comes to having Christian May give you 12 points, 4.5 boards, that's big. Your main rebounder is actually Charles Thompson, who's able to give you about 8 boards, a block and a half, 9 points per game. Absolutely love his overall game, but this is a Towson team that they do have a bugaboo. It is the fact that they turned the ball over 12.5 times for contest, which doesn't sound bad, but consider Towson being in the bottom 30 with regards to total possessions per game. That's not necessarily great efficiency. And then Jair Davis, 18.5 points, 7 boards, 3 assists, a steal per contest. Just a really nice set. You'd suffer for a Delaware team that they themselves have been able to do quite a bit of a better job defensively as they've now given up 71 points or fewer in three of their last five games. They've been able to do a nice job of being able to neutralize a lot of teams. And when it comes to Delaware, they're actually giving up more points per possession at home rather than in a road-slash-shoot-record environment, but this is a team that they do see a pretty sizable bump with regards to their offensive efficiency when they are at home as well. In a road-slash-shoot-record environment, they're scoring about 12 points fewer per one-hour possessions rather than at home. So I do think that this is a little bit of a rough spot for Towson. I did set Delaware as a favorite of five and a half points in this spot, so I'm going to be one to lay it in. Did set my total 127 half. This is still a Towson team as one of the slowest teams at all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game. Nendatark has been able to give this offense some life, but I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a slow grinder of a game. So I'm going to be looking at the under, and I'm going to be one to lay it with Delaware, 647-648. On the betting board, it is Penn, and they're going to be it in the road face-off against Columbia, and Columbia is finding themselves as an underdog of a point and a half. Total on this game, it is between 145 and a half and 147, and with Columbia, I did set them as a underdog of two points. You're at one and a half. It's really the maximum one to lay with Penn, but I'm going to be one to lay it with Penn. This has been a bunch, and the Quakers have been able to do a really good job of being able to replace Jordan Dingle because they've been doing it by committee. Clark Slager has become that main man for this team, being able to supply about 17.5 points, three assists per contest on 43.5% three-point shooting. And you've got a pair of teams in this game that both are shooting north of 37.5% from the outside. And the question becomes, which of these teams is going to be able to guard better from beyond the arc? This has been a Columbia team that actually has been able to do a halfway decent job with their defense. I'm not going to call it amazing by any stretch, but you know what? In a roadside shooter environment, they allow opponents to shoot 35% for 
three. This comes down to about 28.5% from distance at home. And this is a Penn team that they do get gashed from three-point range, giving up about 36.5% three-point shooting in a roadside shoot court environment. And for Columbia, what I think is very intriguing is that you really don't have a lot of rebounding down low, so I do think that it's going to be hard for them to match up with Nick Spinoso, who's been a little bit of a do-it-all player. North of three assists, seven and a half rebounds, 10 points per contest, really doesn't supply a lot of three-point shooting. That's more Tony Perkins. Shoots 35% from three, 14 points, right around about five and a half boards per contest. But despite that, this is a Columbia team that they haven't been terrible with regards to their rebound rate. I'm not calling them amazing by any stretch of the imagination, as this is a bunch that they're clocking in right in the neighborhood of about 185th with regards to rebound rate. But for Penn, they're really going to need to have Spinoso be able to win the battle down the line. I do think that he's going to be able to do so. It is a Penn team that they themselves have been a little bit up and down with regards to their rebounding in terms of rebound rate this far this season. They're about 90th in all of college basketball, but also for this Penn team, being able to win the turnover battle is going to be big. They turn the ball over themselves about 12 and a half times per contest. For Columbia, more around 12.1 times per contest. And with Columbia, I do like their floor general, Geronimo Rubio De La Rosso. He's been able to give you about 13 and a half points, three assists, shooting 36% from three points. Was dealing with a little bit of injury, came back in the team's last game against Princeton, looked like himself, so should be all good to go here, and Blair Thomas I know is dealing with a little bit of injury as well. He's back in the fold. He's all good to go as well, but I do think that for Columbia, just really not having that size to be able to match up with Spinoza and Blair Thomas being the only guy in the roster giving you north of six rebounds per game is going to be an issue. Now, it is a Penn team that they themselves have fallen on some tough times with regards to their offense. 68 points or fewer in four of their last five games, but they have faced off against some good competition. Auburn and Houston was thrown in there. And this is a Columbia team that they themselves against Z1 competition. 70 points or fewer scored in each of their last two games. So it's been a little bit rough for them and they've been getting roughed up on defense, giving up 70 plus in each of their last four games against Z1 teams. So it is a situation of something's got to give. Both of these teams haven't played a lot of games since Christmas but I do think that Penn, they just have a little bit more depth. I think that they're going to do a better job down low that allow them to win a relative nip and tuck game. I did set my line at two. I'm going to be willing to lay one to one and a half with Penn. Set my total 148. I do think that both of these teams are going to be able to hit some shots. I do think that Columbia sees some regression with their home three-point shooting defense. So we're going to add the over and looking at Penn. 649, 650 on the betting board. Cornell plays us Princeton. Princeton is a favorite of three points. Your total is 159. Did set my total 160 and a half. You've got a Cornell team that they are looking to book it, run it, and go it while this is a Princeton team that has won the slowest teams in all of college basketball. So it is a good old case of something's got to give Cornell 41st in the country with regards to total possessions per game. Princeton outside of the top 340, but with this Princeton team. They're just so gosh darn efficient. They turn the ball over less than 10 times for contests. They do a really good job of being able to knock down their shots in general as the floor spacing, the way that they're able to find open looks is just second to nine. They shoot about 37% from three, nearly 80% at the free throw line. As a matter of fact, out of your top four scores, three of them shoot 86.5% or better from the free throw line with Xavion Lee really leading the way. 18 points, five boards, three and a half assists, shooting 37.5% for three and Madeline Loco has been able to shoot 49% from three. Well, Zach Martini shoots about 46% from the outside. It's not necessarily a deep Princeton team, but they do a good job of avoiding fouls. Now they go up against the Cornell team that the hole is greater than the sum of its parts. They average 85.5 points per game without a single guy that averages north of 11.5 points per contest. Reason why, they've got six different guys that give you between 9.2 and 11.5 points per contest. 
I believe every one of these guys is also giving you at least three and a half rebounds per game, with only one guy giving you north of 4.1 rebounds per game. That'd be Guy Raglan, who's been able to give you about five rebounds per contest. It has been a Cornell team that has been inconsistent with their three-point shooting to say at least 35.5% from three, and they're a team that's going to chuck them up. Sometimes they hit them, sometimes they do not. They go up against a Princeton team that has been a little bit rough with regards to the way that they guard the arc as well. They're about 150th in all of college basketball with opponents' three-point shooting percentage and in a roadside shoot record environment. They do allow opponents to shoot in that neighborhood about 34.2% from three-point range. Going up against Cornell team, that this team has actually given up more points per possession at home rather than on the road. They're allowing opponents to shoot north of 36% from three at home, 32.5% in a roadside shoot record environment. I do think that this game is going to get slowed down a little bit, I think that that's going to bode well for Princeton, but I think that there's going to be a lot of really good shot making in this game. It is a Cornell team that they do sell out a little bit. They gamble for turnovers, and if they don't get that turnover, they allow it a wide open look and I do think the Princeton is going to be able to take advantage of that and this is a Princeton team that despite the fact that they do play relatively slow you just take a look at the way that this team has been able to roll up points it has been incredible this team has been held to fewer than 70 points once this year and that was their opening night win 68 to 61 against Rutgers and we all know about Rutgers meanwhile Cornell has gotten to at least 77 points in each out of their last five games that includes the game against Baylor they themselves have given up at least 79 points in three of these games as well I do think that you're going to get a game that is going to be a little bit more slowed down, more at Princeton's pace, which is why I do think that they get the job done. This has been a relatively good rebound rate team, but I think you get a lot of shot making. I think that this is close enough for late game felling. So looking at the over semi total, 160 and a half, and with Princeton, one to lay up to four. With them, 651, 652 on the bang board. Coastal Carolina plays also Georgia State. Georgia State is a four point road favorite. Your total between 153 and a half and 154. Made Georgia State the five and a half point favorite. Kind of be willing to lay the number. So Georgia State team that has done a really good job of being able to lessen the turnovers. They are turning the ball over only about eleven times for contests. And Dewan Odom has done a really nice job of being a do-it-all guy. 4.6 assists to 1.6 turnovers per game, shooting 37.5% from the outside. 11.5 points, 4.5 assists to go along with 5 boards per contest. And for Coastal Carolina, you just don't have that main trigger man. John Sanders has been able to give you about 2.5 assists, 8.5 points per contest, but it's just been a team that's been all over the place. They're turning the ball over 13.2 turnovers per contest. They really didn't leave their home confines out of conference, and even when they've been at home, they've really struggled in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Coastal Carolina is out outside the top 275 and they haven't gotten much of a boost from being at home. As a matter of fact, they're giving up six points more per 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. And it does help that they have Gianna Ojiako, who down low has been able to give you a little bit of a block, 13 points, 10 and a half rebounds per game. But it's not like this team is doing anything tremendous with regards to their rebound rate. They're currently clocking in about 163rd. And Georgia State, I do think, is going to be able to hang in there with Jaden Turner down for what, giving you about nine and a half rebounds per game. It's a Georgia State team that is 177th in all of college basketball with this regard. Georgia State, not a great three-point shooting team. They shoot only about 32% from three-point, but Lucas Taylor has been able to give you about 14.5 points per contest, and bigger than that, you get to go up against the Coastal Carolina team that they've had their issues being able to guard the three-point arc, as for Coastal Carolina, they're allowing opponents to shoot from three-pointers right around about 34.2% at home. They're about 180th in all of college basketball with this regard. It is the Georgia State team that they themselves have been able to do a really good job of locking down from three-point range. You're in the top 50 with
with this regard. It's a Coastal Carolina team that it just feels like they're a bunch of misfit parts. The 13 turnovers per game has been rather unsightly, and for Coastal Carolina, they have given up at least 73 points at each of their last four games, and the offense has really went dry. 70 points or fewer in four of their last five games. Now, Georgia State, they themselves have given up 75-plus in each of their last three games, but they have at the very least been able to get to 68 points at each of their last five games. I do think they take it to a Coastal Carolina team that, despite the fact that they've had so many games at home, it really hasn't benefited them too much. I did set my number at 5.5, won't delay the number. Did set my total 151.5 as well with the way that Coastal Carolina has struggled to put the ball in the basket. Looking at the under and won't delay with Georgia State. 653, 654 on the betting board. Yale hits the road face off against Harvard. The smart kids of Harvard are 5.5 point home underdogs. So, on this game is saying between 142 and 143. Say Yale is a 7.5 point favorite. Going to be one to lay the number. This was a Yale defense that was one of the best in all of college basketball last season. And they really had their issues towards the beginning part of the season. It feels like it's starting to come back to them. If you take a look at regulation and regulation only, because the game that they played against Howard went to overtime in their last eight games. They have allowed north of 70 points in regulation once. And the game in which they did, that was against Kansas where they gave up 75 points. So even though Yale's still outside the top 100 in terms of points slot on a per possession basis, they're playing like a revamped team. You've had Danny Wolf do a nice job down low with about 10 boards, 14.5 points per game, a block, a steal and a half per contest for a Yale team that has done a nice job of being able to take care of the ball as well. Only about 10 turnovers per contest. John Poladikas is shooting 45.5% for three, while August Mahoney is shooting about 40% from the outside. Nice ancillary scores. And the good news for Harvard is that they have gotten a bit more healthy as Malik Mack. I know that he was out due to illness towards back half of December. He's been able to return for the last few games for this team. But even with them back in the fold, this has been a team that has been having a rough go of it on offense with Mack in the fold. So these are games specifically that he's played in. They have still scored 72 points or fewer in each other last five, even though Mack has been able to give the team 16 plus points and now three out of the last four games. But turnovers have been the issue for them. Three plus turnovers in four of the last five games as a team. It still feels like they're pressing with Justice Asia Boer dealing with a little bit of injury. He's been able to come back for the team's last two games, but you can tell that he wasn't 100% a combined nine points. Four fouls, five rebounds in these two games. So while they're getting him back, they're getting a very much muted version of him. So that means that Chisholm Opara, who's been able to give you about five boards, 18 half points per game, he has to turn into a little bit of a do-it-all sort of player for a Harvard team that they've been playing a little bit better defensively. They've now given up 74 points or fewer in far of their last five games, but I do think that this is a Yale team that's going to be able to take it to them. This is a Harvard bunch that, when it comes to their three-point shooting defense, they were getting very fortunate towards the beginning part of the season. We've seen regression take hold. They're still about 30.5% with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, but it's been going up and up and up as the season goes along, and this is a Yale team that probably saw some bad fortune with regards to their opponent's three-point shooting percentage at 35.1% overall for the season, but last three games has gone down to 31.4%. They've actually done a better job of defending the three on the road rather than at home, so did say Yale is a seven-half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number, and did set my total at a 139.5, so going to be willing to lay the number with Yale, and going to be looking at the under. 6-6-5, on the betting board. Oklahoma plays us to Texas Tech. Texas Tech is a underdog of 4-4.5 to points. Total on this game is 141.5 with Texas Tech. I did set them as a underdog of 5.5 points. I'm going to be one to lay this number. It is an Oklahoma State team that they continue to be a relatively good team on defense. And this is an Oklahoma bunch and they are vastly different when they are at home. Now, the opponent's three-point shooting percentage, that's 28.5% both at home and on the road. So this has traveled very well, but this is an Oklahoma team that they really lock you down. 15th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, giving up 16.2 points fewer when they are at home rather than in a roadside shoot recording environment. Go 
going up against the Texas Tech team that has been able to do a relatively solid job of being able to lock down defensively as well. But when it comes to Texas Tech, you do have to wonder where the scoring is going to be coming from against a team that does such a good job of being able to guard the arc. As Texas Tech clocking in 66th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but they've got their own splits, giving up 16.5 points more per 100 possessions when they do leave home. So that's something that's going to be hurting them, though they do have Warren Washington down low, who I do like as a big man. He's been able to give you eight rebounds per game, and then Darian Williams, he's been able to do a solid job, being able to contribute about nine and a half points, seven boards, about a steal per contest for a team as collective. They're shooting 36.5% from three with 10.5 turnovers per game. Pops Isaacs has been that main go-to guy, giving you 17 points per contest. He and Joe Toussaint combined for about seven assists per game, but with the way that Oklahoma has been able to really bomb it from three-point range, they shoot as collective only about 34% from three, but your top guys, each of your top four scores, shoot at least 36% from three. That's big for them and for Oklahoma. Despite the fact that you don't have anyone that gives you north of six rebounds per game, Javon Moore gives you 9.7 points, six rebounds per game. This has been a top 50 team with regards to rebound rate. JVM McCollum, along with Otega Owe, these two guys, they've been tremendous at being able to give you about 20.5 points per contest, and Away has continued to shoot 56.5% from three points. It's been relatively ridiculous for Oklahoma. They do need to cut down on the 12.5 turnovers per game, but this is not a Texas Tech team that's done an amazing job of being able to generate those turnovers, and it's a Texas Tech team that's been all or nothing on offense. Last five games, they have scored 78, 90, 60, 54, and 85 points. Meanwhile, for Oklahoma, certainly they got cash against Texas a few nights ago, but this has been a squad that overall has been able to do a really good job with their defense at home when they've left home. That's when the issues have really started to fester, and I do think that they're going to be able to bounce back after losing to Texas a few nights ago. I did set my total at a 141.5, so seeing a lot of 141.5s, this was an opener of 140.5. On that opener, looking at the over, at the current number of 141.5, we'll be looking at a little bit of line movement if we could get back down to that 140 or so, looking at the over 142 or higher, looking at the under with Oklahoma, wanting to lay up to five with them. 657, 658 on the bank board. Oklahoma State plays us to West Virginia. West Virginia is an underdog of five points. In your total, that is 143.5. It has been a rough year for Oklahoma State, but I think that this is too short. I set my number at eight. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. This West Virginia team has been much different when they've been away from home. I feel like West Virginia is starting to get a little bit overvalued after that win against Kansas as well. They knocked off Kansas at home. They knocked off Texas at home. And in their last three road games, they've lost every one of them by at least 13 points. This is a completely different team when they're in Morgantown. As a matter of fact, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, this is a West Virginia team that's currently clocking in more in that neighborhood, about 219th, where they really see the drop-off, though, is with regards to their offensive efficiency. This team, with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis, they're 258th, but they're scoring 15 points fewer per 100 possessions when they do leave home. You've got Kirk Carissa back in the fold, and with Kirk Carissa, you know that he'll probably give you about 10 or so points per contest. He'll dole out some assists, and he'll make some mind-numbing turnovers with about three and a half per contest. Raekwon Battle has been able to give the team 18 points per game, but it feels like he's been really starting to get figured out, and he was limited to just 19 minutes in the last game against Central Florida, not due to injury. He fell out of the game, but I mean, it has been a case where his efficiency, it just feels like it's all over the place, to say the least, and he's a little bit of a black hole whenever you pass him. The ball's not coming back out, and this team just doesn't have anyone that's able to give you north of five rebounds per game with Jesse Edwards out of the fold, so they'll get dominated there against an Oklahoma State team that's still a top 125 team with regards to rebound rate. They they don't have a single guy that really gives you north of 5.7 rebounds per game as you've got Keon Williams couple with Brandon Garrison who have both been able to give you about 5.5 rebounds per game but this is an Oklahoma State team that shoots much better from 3 point range than they have in past years. Javon Small 
14 points, 5 boards, 5 assists, 40% three-point shooter. Bryce Thompson has been able to shoot it at a rate of about 35% from the outside. And this is a West Virginia team that, when they're away from home, they certainly do give it up from the outside. They are 189th in the country with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. That balloons to about 34.7% when they are away from home. And for Oklahoma State, they're a team that ranks in the top 95 with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. For West Virginia, they have gotten their pieces back in the fold, but it just feels like they're a jumbled-up mess that they're able to put it together at home on the road. It's a completely different story, and they get to go up against an Oklahoma State team that, while they have failed to exceed 70 points in each other last four games, defense has been relatively sturdy, giving up 74 or fewer in three out of the last four. So, I do think that this is going to be a spot where Oklahoma State is going to be able to get it done at home. I did set them as an eight-point favorite. Won't delay the number. think that this is going to be a bit of a lower-scoring slog with the way that West Virginia has struggled with their offense away from home. So, my total 142. So, diving under and looking at Oklahoma State laying the number. 659-660 on the Bangor Florida State plays us in North Carolina. North Carolina is a favorite of seven points on the road. Total on this game between 152.5 and 154. I did set North Carolina as a six-point favorite. At the seven, I'm going to be one to take the points. Florida State coming off of a really nice win against Syracuse and has been a Florida State team that hasn't been tremendous with their defense. Jameer Watkins has really had to become the do-it-all sort of guy for this team. 14 points, six boards, and it's going to have his hands full with a North Carolina team that all of a sudden, they have really been playing some good defense. North Carolina has ascended into the top 35 nationally towards points allowed on a per-possession basis. As a matter of fact, they are number 18, and this defense travels. Top 10 team in the country. There's a points allowed on a per-possession basis in a roadside shoot-to-court environment, but this is a Florida State team that they have been able to do a better job with regards to offense when they have been at home. You've got Darren Green, who's able to give you about 12 points per contest, shoots in the high 30s from three-point range, is scoring about six points more per one-arm possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot-to-court environment. Would like to see Primo Spears be more efficient than shooting 24% from three-point range, but he's been able to supply the team with about 11.5 points per contest, and this is a North Carolina team that they've actually had Armando Baycott doing a little bit less this year. He's been able to give the team 14 points, 10 boards, 2 blocks per contest, but he's been showing off a little bit more versatility this season. It's really been the R.J. Davis show. 21 points, seal half, shooting 41.7% from 3 point range for a North Carolina team that has only turned the ball over about 10.5 times per contest. North Carolina, they're still pushing tempo, and for this North Carolina team, they've actually been a little bit more vulnerable inside rather than outside. North Carolina Carolina, 13th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, but they're allowing opponents to shoot 24% from three-point range in a roadside shoot-to-court environment. I fully recognize that this is a much better defense. We are going to see some regression with that, though. And this is a Florida State team that they certainly have been getting gashed from the outside, about 142nd with that regard with opponents at home shooting 34.8% from distance against them, but I do think that with North Carolina being a little bit top-heavy, they could use a little bit more out of the likes of Jalen Withers, Seth Trimble, the two of these guys have been able to combine for about 10 points per contest. Meanwhile, with all the injuries that Florida State has sustained, they've had to mix and match. I do think the Florida State is going to be able to hold in this game. It is a Florida State squad that has been able to get to at least 84 points in three other last five games, so I do think that we're going to see quite a bit of scoring here. I did set my total at a 156, so seeing what we've got right now, right in that neighborhood, about a 153-154, looking at the over. Anything north of 6 won't take the points with Florida State. 661-662 on the board. It is BYU playing us to Texas. Texas is back to being a 6 to a 7-point underdog. Total between 150 and a half and 151. 
BYU was right there with Houston in the final minute of that game, and then they let it slip slide away, and I don't think that they're going to let another opportunity go to waste. And I think that this is a better matchup for them. I set them as a seven-point favorite, so want to lay the six to six half with a BYU team that entered in that game against Houston, number five in the country in both offensive and defensive efficiency, along with rebound rate. They're still a top 15 team in all of college basketball in all these metrics. They still get a tremendous boost when they're at home as they're giving up about 13 points fewer per runner in possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. And this is a Texas team that they were able to get a big win earlier in the week against Texas Tech on the road, but you still do have to have your question marks with regards to the Texas team. It has been a squad that has been able to do a solid job on defense. 38th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, but they're giving up 20.3 points more per one hour possessions when they are away from home. Max Aismas, he's been able to do tremendous work for this team, supplying 18 points, four and a half assists, and this is a Texas team that you know that they're going to be able to shoot it from three-point range. They shoot 37.8% from the outside. The question is being able to match up down low. It's BYU. They've done a good job of being able to rebound by committee. Meanwhile, Dylan Mitchell for Texas is the only guy in the roster that gives you north of four and a half rebounds per game. Ten and a half points, 8.8 rebounds per game, and They've been able to have he, Dylan DeSue, Caden Shudrick all be able to give you at least a block for contest, but this is a BYU team that is not afraid to get down and dirty as well out of their top five scores. You've got four of them giving you at least four rebounds per game, and then Jackson Robinson, he's able to stroke it at 36% from distance, 13.5 points per game. They go up against a Texas team that they certainly aren't a disaster with regards to their three-point shooting defense, but not like they're amazing by any stretch of the imagination, and in the roadside shoot court environment, they do allow opponents to shoot 38 half percent from the outside. BYU has really been able to lock it down with regards to their perimeter defense. Being able to get back into the fold, Ali Khalif and having him firing all cylinders. He only gives you about six points, but four boards, four assists for a versatile big man. I think that that's going to be very difficult for Texas to match up with even with Dylan DeSue, giving the team what he's given the team and for the Texas team. They have scored between 71 and 75 points in each of their last five games. Meanwhile, it's a BYU team that they have now given up 72 plus points in four of their last five games. So, a little bit of an interesting ordeal here. BYU, a little bit more of an up-tempo team. Texas has been a bit more mid-tempo, and I do think that BYU, their offensive numbers were a little bit warped by the lack of competition that they played out of conference. So, did somebody total 147 looking at the under, but I do think that BYU able to lock down from three-point range, and I think they do a good job of fitting the glass. Plus, this is just a great home court environment in general. One to lay up to six half with BYU and looking at this total under. 663, 664 on the betting board. Drexel plays us in North Carolina. A&T. A&T does find themselves as an underdog of 17 half points. So, on this game, 142 and a half to 143 and a half. I did set Ante as a underdog of 17 and a half points. Seeing a few 17s out there, I'm going to be willing to lay a 17 and not a half a point more. This is a Drexel team that they continue to be a top 80 team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And for Drexel, they do a supreme job of hitting the glass. A top 20 team with regards to rebound rate going up against a North Carolina A&T team that, man, it's just really not been too tremendous for them in terms of their rebound rate. They're in the bottom 50 in all of college basketball and more importantly, this team just has not been able to guard a soul all season long outside the top 340 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. I will say things have been a little bit better for them recently. Landon Glasper has still had to be Mr. Doodall for this bunch as he's been able to supply the team with north of 20 points per contest and came on shell. He's been able to give you about four and a half assists per contest. So like what he's able to bring to the table, but Amari Williams is going to be able to take over the game down low. He's been able to register about nine points, eight rebounds per game. And then Justin Moore, no relation to the gentleman from Villanova. He's been quite superb for the team as well. He's been able to deliver for the team right in that neighborhood of about 
12, 13 points per contest in a Drexel team that they were failing to get to 70 points all throughout non-conference play. All of a sudden, their offense has been able to crank it up quite a bit. They were held to 67 points in that game against Towson, but other than that game in the month of January, this is a Drexel team that they've gone to at least 70 in all but one of their other games. That game was, ironically enough, their game that they played previously against North Carolina A&T where they went just 2 of 12 from 3 prior and A&T went just 4 of 16 from the outside. Now for A&T in that game, you were able to get a little bit out of Evan Joyner who was able to give you 5 rebounds and you had 9 rebounds out of Jason Murphy. Ever since he has come back into the fold, he's been able to give the team right around 7 rebounds per game, so that helps him out in the post. That said, I do think that Drexel this time around, they're going to be a little bit more efficient. They lost that turnover battle 12-6 to and for A&T, to their credit, they only turned the ball over about 10 times per contest, but I do think the Drexel could utilize their rebounding. I do think the Drexel is going to be a bit better from 3 par range, while they themselves have been one of the better 3-point shooting defenses in all of college basketball, so I'm going to be one to lay this number with Drexel. Did set them as a 17.5 point favorite, and did set my total 143.5. Drexel has been playing completely differently than they did towards the beginning part of the season, so here at a 143, I'm going to be looking at the over, and one to lay up to 17 with the Dragons. 665, 666 on the betting board. Murray State plays this to Southern Illinois. Southern Illinois is an underdog of 3 points, seeing a 2.5 out there as well. 133 to 135.5 is your total. Did set my number at a 134. Mostly seeing 133 out there. Personally, I would rather have a 135 and a half under rather than a 133 over. This is a Murray State team has been outside the top 275 with regards to total possessions per game. And for Murray State, it has been still a rough defense. This team is clocking in well outside the top 240 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. But it's been improvement for this team going up against the Southern Illinois team that I've been thoroughly impressed by them. Top 95 team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis while they do allow a little bit more than nine points more per one hundred possessions when they are away from home. This team does have Xavier Brown, who's been able to do a nice job of just being able to give this team absolutely everything. He's a top three player nationally with regards to points per game, being able to log north of 24 points. He's doling out 6.1 assists to three and a half turnovers per game, shooting from three par range 41%, which balloons to 42.9% in a roadside shoot court environment. This guy's just been absolutely superb, and that's why I feel like Southern Illinois should be the favorite. I did set them as a two-point favorite. Looking at them outright on the money line while Murray State does have Jacoby Wood, Rob Perry in the backcourt who have been able to combine for about 25 points per contest and now you've been able to get a little bit more like 11.5 points per contest out of Quincy Anderson as well. They're just outgunned down low. Nick Ellington, he's been able to give you about 6.5 rebounds per game, but he's the only guy on the roster that gives you north of 5 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, Clarence Ruper, part of that St. Peter's team that went to the Elite 8 a few seasons ago, he's been able to give you 6 rebounds per contest. Trent Brown is shooting north of 40% from 3 par range. Southern Illinois, about 144th in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate. We've got a Murray State team that's clocking in more around 200, so I do think that the rebound battle should be won by Southern Illinois. And for Southern Illinois, You've been able to get quite a bit more recently out of a man that was banged up to begin the season in A.J. Ferguson. Ferguson has come back in the team nine points, four boards per contest, double figures in four out of the last five games, four plus rebounds in four out of the last five games. That's been a nice Robin to the Batman that is Xavier Johnson for a Southern Illinois team that they only turned the ball over about 10.8 times for contest. The um, offense has been a little bit intermiss for Southern Illinois, but the defense, it has been there. This has been a squad that has given up 70 points or fewer in all but one out of their last 12 games. Meanwhile, for Murray State, offense has been on the fritz quite a bit. They've scored 63 points for fear and throughout the last four games. Now, credit to the defense, 72 points for fear, surrendered 
third in each other last five games, and one of those games was against Indiana State, which is why I would rather have like a 135, 135 and a half under rather than a 133 or so over. I did set my total 134, but I feel like Southern Illinois should be the favorite in the spot. So looking at Southern Illinois, all right on the money line and taking a look at the 135 plus under. 667, 668 on the bank board. Pittsburgh It's for a faceoff against Miami. Miami is a 5.5 to a 6-point favorite. Total is 150 and with Miami, set them as a 5.5 point favorite. Now we're getting to 6, which is my buy point on Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has had quite a few struggles in step-up games this season, but it does feel like that Duke game was able to be a little bit of a turnaround and a little bit of a bust-through game for them. You've got Carlton Carrington, who does a tremendous job of being so versatile out there on the floor. He had a triple-double to begin the season, and has been Mr. Do-It-All for the team. He's able to give you about four and a half assists, throws in there about five rebounds, a double-figure amount of points, and that's going to be big against Miami team that they don't do a ton great defensively, but they do ball hawk. They they're able to give you about eight steals per game. And I will say this about Miami as well. This is low-key, one of the best three-point shooting defenses in all of college basketball, especially when they're at home. 16th in the country with the guards' opponents' three-point shooting percentage, allowing opponents to shoot just 27.6% from three-point range when they are at home. And... This has been a Pittsburgh bunch, and they've been able to do a relatively solid job of locking down the arc this season as well, but much of that did come against outgun competition. They're allowing opponents to shoot 28.8% from three-point range away from home. I think that there's going to be quite a bit of regression there, especially against the Miami team, that they just shoot it the way that they do. Each other top six scores, shooting at least 35.7% from three, and the man that's shooting 35.7% is no Chad Omir. 18 points, nine and a half rebounds per game. Going to be fascinating to see what happens down low in this game, because other than Omir, you don't necessarily have a ton down low with regards to this bunch. Meanwhile, you've got a Pittsburgh team that got someone like a Frederico. Frederico is able to give you four boards. He's able to give you a block. Zach Austin, who comes in from the Big South, he's been able to do a relatively solid job as well. The uh, Diaz Grand Brothers have been solid but not great, but this is a Pittsburgh team that they do rank about 35th in all of college basketball with regards to the rebound rate. This is a Miami bunch that they're clocking in more in the neighborhood about 95th. They do a solid job being able to grab some second and third chances, but this is also a Miami team that they do turn the ball over about 13 times for contests. They have a few more turnovers in order to be able to get those good looks from three-par range. And for Pittsburgh, each of your top five scores have been able to give you at least four and a half rebounds per game, one of the best marks in college basketball that you're going to find. And they do take care of the ball with about 10 turnovers per game. Even though Pittsburgh not going to go into flamethrower mode from three the way that Miami does, I do think that they're going to hold in there at a six plus. I'm going to be willing to take a look at the points. I did something I told 153 and a half. I think that this is close enough for late game following. Miami is a team that's looking to play relatively up-tempo and for Pittsburgh, I do think we're going to see a little bit of regression with regards to its defensive numbers, especially the three-point shooting numbers, and I think that Miami, they've got a relatively unsustainable mark from three-point range as well. So, looking at the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Pittsburgh. 669, 670 on the betting board. Illinois, they are playing those to Indiana. Indiana does find themselves as an underdog of between 14 to 14 and a half points. So, it's between 153 and a half and 154 and a half. This is a grody Indiana team that just doesn't have too much of a backcourt. That said, I did set my number at a 13. I'm going to be willing to take the points. It is an Indiana team that they still have a lot of guys down low, despite the fact that they're not a top 100 team with regards to rebound rate, which is a crying shame. When you've got Malik Renew, when you've got Khalil Ware, these guys should be able to dominate the game, but I mean, this just feels like a very rudderless bunch right now, but it's a talented rudderless bunch that has been able to get relatively good production out there in the backcourt with about 13 or so points per contest of Trey Galloway. Now, for Galloway, he was a really good three-point shooter for them a season ago, and we have seen a massive fall off thus far this season. He's only been able to shoot about 30% from the outside, but 
We've seen Mackenzie Mogbo finally be able to step up for this team. He's been able to give the team 13-plus points each out of the last four games. I apologize for saying his last name incorrectly, but Mackenzie's able to shoot about 34% from three. And then for wear and renew, they're giving you about 15.5 rebounds per game. Now, the problem is Illinois is a top 25 team with regards to rebound rate, and every one of their top five scores have been able to give you at least 4.1 rebounds per game, including the versatile Coleman Hawkins. 12 points, six half fours, two seals, shoots 36.5% for three, and it's an Illinois team that's really went into inferno mode recently with their offense. This team has been able to get past the 80-point plateau in each of their last three games, and for Illinois, they had a little bit of a rough stretch against Maryland along with Michigan State, but I mean, really, sans that, this has been a team that has scored at least 75 points in, I believe, now six out of their last eight games, 74-plus points in all but two of their games ever since the beginning of the month of December, and this is an Indiana team that they are well outside the top 175 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. It's been an all over the place Indiana team though. They have given up 87 and 91 in their last two games, but prior to that, they had given up 65 points or fewer in each of their previous three games. I do think that you're either going to get a really, really good or really, really bad Indiana effort. There's really not a lot of in between, but I mean, this is an all-night team that they themselves are in the top 35 nationally with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis. They very much do benefit from being at home. This is an all-night team that on the road, they certainly have been getting gashed, but at home, this is an Illinois team that I do think is going to be able to do a good job of locking down and doing just enough for the under as in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They're giving up about 20.8 points fewer when they are at home. And strangely enough, this is an Indiana team that they actually don't see a big giant drop off with regards to their offense when they do go away from home. This is a team that's only scoring about 5.3 points fewer per one hour possessions when they're away from home, but they're about 163rd in the country with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. Though Xavier Johnson looking a little bit better recently. That is hardening for an Indiana team. I think he's going to do a solid job down low and do just enough to hold in there. Semi line at 13, so going to be willing to take 14 plus here with Indiana. Did semi total at 153, so out of 154 plus looking at the under. 671, 672 on the bank board. Butler is playing us to Villanova. Villanova is an underdog of a point. Total on this game is 142. Did semi total at 139. I'm looking at the under. It is a Villanova team that is still well outside the top 275 in terms of total possessions per game, and this is a Villanova team that has been touch and go with regards to offense for Villanova 113th in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis and for Butler, very encouraging for them. Posh Alexander, after a rough year last year, has looked like the Posh Alexander of old. That's a big reason why Butler is back in the top 60 with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis. That along with Pierre Brooks coming in from Michigan State and really being the man for this team. He's been able to give them 15 plus points per contest with Brooks, DJ Turner, up Davis. They combined to shoot well north of 35% from three-par range. It is a Butler team that isn't supreme down low. You've got Dylan Thomas, you've got Andre 3000 screen, giving you a combined about 11.5 rebounds per game, and they do have to go up against Tyler Burton along with Eric Dixon, who have been able to give you about 12-plus rebounds per game, but this has been a Villanova team that they've had a rough time executing late. We did see that in their loss against UConn about a week or so ago. This has been an offense that has been a little bit ghastly recently. 65 points are fearing each other previous two games. Um, I will say it's been an all-or-nothing defensive effort as well. Last five games, they have given up 81, 69, 87, 66, and 70 points. So it has been very much up and down yo-yoing for them. And it's a Butler team that has gotten past 70 points in each of their last four games. But this has been a Butler team that has been able to step up a little bit more defensively as well. For Butler, they do a nice job taking care of the ball with only about 10 and a half turnovers per game. And while Villanova is the better free-throw shooting team in this one, it's not like Butler is that much worse. If you do get into a free-throw shooting expose, it's relatively 
relatively even up as Butler does shoot nearly 79% at the free throw line. Villanova top five team in the country with that regard at 81.6% with DJ Bamba stepping up, giving you about nine and a half points per contest. But it's a Villanova team that is shooting only about 32.5% from three. And in recent years, Villanova's had a really rough time guarding the three-point arc. Villanova currently 167th in the country with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, but actually guarding the arc better away from home rather than at home going up against a Butler team at 67th of the country with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. I do think that this is going to be a slow-down slog of a game. I did set my total 139. I'm looking at the under, but I do think that Butler, in their just tremendous home court environment, gets it done, set them as a three-point favorite. So, laying out with Butler and looking at the under. 673, 674 on the betting board. Stone Cold Steve Adafossum plays us to Cal Baptist. Cal Baptist is a 4-5 to five point underdog. Your total is 134.5 with Cal Baptist. Did set them as an underdog of 6.5 points. I'm going to be willing to lay out with Steve Adafossum. Just so hard to prepare for this Stephen F. Austin team. One that nearly took down Grand Canyon a few days ago for Stephen F. Austin. They play at warp speed. Top 40 team with regards to total possessions per game. While they are a bottom 30 team with regards to turnovers per possession off on offense, they are a team that is in the top 20 in terms of turnovers force on a per possession basis on defense. Going up against the Cal Baptist team that they're not great. They're not terrible at taking care of the ball. 11.6 turnovers per game. But they are a team that's rough with their three-point shooting. Just 31% from three-point inch. And that's typically the way that you're able to take down Stephen F. Austin, though. They've been a little bit better with regards to their three-point shooting percentage defense this season rather than in past years. For old stone-cold Stephen F. Austin, in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, they are clocking in at 228th in all of college basketball, but allowing opponents to shoot just 32.3% from three-point when they are at home. This is a Gal Baptist team that has Ivan Odriogo, who's been able to do a solid job down low, along Hunter Goodrick. They've been able to combine for about 17.5 rebounds per game for Gal Baptist. They do cut you off from the three-point line. They're in the top 60 nationally with that regard, but it is a Stephen F. Austin team that they haven't gotten the same amount of three-point shooting that they did a season ago, and other than Day-Day Hall, who's been able to give you about 11 points per contest, you don't have a single double-figure score. It's a whole greater than the sum of his parts effort with this team. Meanwhile, Dominic Daniels is clearly the man for Cal Baptist right now. Three assists, 18 and a half points per contest. And Brantley Stevenson has been able to shoot about 39% from three-point range. But I just don't think the Cal Baptist is ready for what they're going to be seeing at Stephen F. Austin. It's a Cal Baptist team that's riding high. They've been able to win four straight games. They have given up 63 points or fewer in four out of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Stephen F. Austin team that they got held by... Grand Canyon to 51 points, but prior to that, this had been a real rocket ship with regards to their offense, getting to at least 70 points in each of their previous eight games, and I do think that this is a Stephen F. Austin team that's going to be able to pick it up a little bit more in this spot. The 134.5 I think is too low. I saw my total at 144.5, so if you're seeing a 10-point differential on the spreadsheet, that is not a typo. I do think that things get sped up a little bit more in this spot, and Cal Baptist, say themselves, have been able to get to at least 68 points in three of their last four games. It's a Stephen F. Austin team that plays very fast, so looking at the over, that was Stephen F. And made them a six half point favorite. I think that they get their tempo and they get their style. So, want to lay the number and looking at the over. 675, 676 on the betting board. New Mexico State is on the road facing up against Louisiana Tech. LA Tech is a 11 to 12 point favorite. Your total between 135 and 136 with Louisiana Tech. Set them as an 11 half point favorite. Mostly seeing 11 out there. And personally, I'd rather lay 11 rather than take 12. This is still a New Mexico State team that they had to replace every single piece from a season ago. This is still season number one for Jason Newton out there in New Mexico State. And they're just not doing the little things well. 13.2 turnovers per game. They're shooting only about 34% from three-point range. Jalen Jackson Posey has been able to shoot about 45% from three-point range, but he's now injured and out of the fold. So it takes away 
any sort of outside shooting for this team. Going up against the Louisiana Tech team, that is a top one on our team with regards to rebound rate with Daniel Pacho. Everything at double-double down low. Louisiana Tech, they're about 150th in the country with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, but they've been able to get some really nice pieces out there in the backcourt to fire on all cylinders. Going up against a New Mexico State team that they're okay at generating turnovers. Femi Otakale has been able to give you about 11 points, five and a half boards, but you don't have a single guy in the roster that gives you north of six rebounds per game, so they're going to have a tough time matching up on the boards. And then you've got Talik Chavez, Isaiah Crawford, combined to shoot 42% from the outside. Chavez, 12 and a half points per contest, while Crawford, he's a statue sufferer, two steals, block and a half, 15 and a half points, five and a half rebounds per game. Absolutely love what he's been bringing to the table. And this is a Louisiana Tech team has really been hitting mock turbo with regards to their defense, giving up fewer than 60 points in three out of their last four games. And if you're looking in regulation because the Liberty game went to overtime, this has been a Louisiana Tech team has really been locking it down. The Seattle game also did go to overtime as well. So if you just look at regulation and regulation only, this team has allowed 70 points or fewer in all but two of their games since the beginning of the month of December. This is been a New Mexico State team that they just have not really been able to break the 73-point plateau really all season long. The last time they were able to do so, you have to go all the way back to their game against Louisville. That was back and it went to overtime in November. So I do think that Louisiana Tech is going to be a sick New Mexico State in the mode here. I did something I told 135 and a half. Seeing the 136 out there looking at the under of Louisiana Tech. I'm going to lay up to 11 with them. 677, 678 on the main board. Grand Canyon is road faceoff against UT Arlington. Arlington is an underdog of 6 points. Their last game is 148 and a half with UT Arlington. I did set them as an underdog of 6 points. So we're going to be looking at a little bit of line movement here. We were seeing a little bit earlier on this number was at five. It was at five very, very briefly, but if we could get back down there, I would be willing to lay this number. It is a Grand Canyon team that they just barely got by Stephen F. Austin a few days ago, and going against UT Arlington should be a breath of fresh air. A UT Arlington team that, while they've been much better on the glass, you've got a pair of guys that are able to give you north of eight rebounds per game, and Shamir Wilson along with DeWan Gordon. This has been a team that has been outside the top 325 in terms of ball security, even with Philip Russell getting out eligibility after missing the first 12 games of the season giving you 15 half points for assists per contest he turns the ball over three times per contest it's a average three-point shooting team at 33.9%. And this is the Grand Canyon team that's just been a completely different animal on defense than a season ago. Typically, Bryce Drew teams are very good on defense. Last year was just clearly an outlier for the same time. Grant Foster has become one of the most versatile mid-major players in all of college basketball. I mean, he does it all. He's a matrix because every single column of the set sheet is filled up. Block and a half, seal and a half, five and a half rebounds, 19 and a half points on 33% three-point shooting. He just does winning things for this Grand Canyon team. And then this is a Grand Canyon team that's in the top 50 with regards to their rebound rate as you've got your main rebounder game, but Glaufflin giving you 7.5 rebounds per game, but Duke Brennan at 6 foot 10, he chips in their 6.5 rebounds per game. Sidney Curry has really fallen off favor with regards to this team, but he still is able to give you a few rebounds per game as well. It's a Grand Canyon team that's 24th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and we always talking about the tremendous home crowd for Grand Canyon, but I mean, in a roadside shirt to environment, top 15 team with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, and now they've got Javon Blackshear back in the fold. He's been just coming off the bench, shooting 48% from three-point range. That's just another weapon for this Grand Canyon team. Going up against a uh, 
Arlington team that's been a really good cover team, and the offense has really been able to crank it up 73 plus points in far the last five games. But the way that this Grand Canyon team is playing on defense really sands that game that we saw against Seattle. They have now given up 65 points or fewer in far the last five games. I do think that they're going to hold down this UT Arlington team. So at a five and a half or less, I'm going to be willing to lay the number. And I do think that you get a bit more scoring in this game. I did some, I total at 148, but I think we've went a touch too far. At 148 and a half, 149, look at under and willing to lay anything below six with Grand Canyon. 679, 680 on the betting board. More and safe. Plays us Western Illinois. Western Illinois is a underdog of 10 to 10 and a half points. Total on this game between 131 and a half and 132 and said more is a seven and a half point favorite. Western Illinois I feel like is getting short drift for the tremendous work that they've been able to do on defense. They have to undergo a coaching regime change after Rob Jeter heads on over to Southern Utah. The team they've really slowed it down. They're outside the top 275 with regards to total possessions per game and for Western Illinois they've got one of the best rebounders in all of college basketball which has took them to the top 135 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. I'm going to be looking at the point the rebounder I'm talking about is Drew Cisse, third in the country with regards to total rebounds per game. He's been able to supply the team with 8.5 points, right around 11.8 rebounds per game. And then the transfer that comes in from Iona in Ryan Myers. He's been able to supply the team with 46.5% three-point shooting, 13.5 points per game. Now, the issue that you do have with Western Illinois, turnovers. They turn the ball over 13.8 times for contest, and typically that's an issue with Moran Satan. It's still a bit of an ancillary issue. They've been turning the ball over about 12.5 times for contest, but they haven't been as bad on that front this season. This is a Moran State team that also does a really good job of locking it down from three, but very interesting split here. They're allowing opponents to shoot 28.9% from three-point range at home, 37.2% in a roadside environment. So, very much buyer beware there. This is a Western Illinois team that, they themselves, they've got some relatively good triumphs with regards to being able to guard the three-point arc. They are in the top 60 nationally with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage and you've been able to have James Stent be able to give you a double-figure amount of points per game. He's been able to do a nice job. He does sometimes get a little bit loose with the turnovers on the offensive side of things, but more, I'd say, just 294th in all of college basketball in terms of turnover sports on a per-possession basis. This is Western Illinois team that they themselves are about 332nd, so should be seeing a lot of clean possessions here for someone like Riley Minix, who has been a do-it-all player, but a, a block, 1.3 steals, 19 points, 9 boards per game. Absolutely love what he's able to do. And then you've been able to have right around about 5.5 boards, 7.5 points out of Eddie Ricks. I love his overall game. And more at State as a whole. They are shooting about 35.2% from 3 points. Question is, are they going to be able to do a good enough job on the glass to be able to cover this game? And I think the answer is no with more at State being about 28th in the country with regards to overall rebound rate. But Western all night, they're going to be able to hold right in there at 19th. So this is a spot where I did set my number at a 7.5. I'm going to be willing to take the double figures here with Western Illinois and think that you get a slog. I set my total 129 and a half. Looking under and looking at the points with Western Illinois. 681, 682 on the bank board. Arkansas State and Louisiana Monroe is postponed. Arkansas State had to play yesterday. This is going to be a game that we're going to be seeing down the line. 683, 684 on the betting board. Buffalo, it's the road they're facing off against Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan, a three to three and a half point favorite. Your total is 141. Said Eastern Michigan as a three and a half point favorite. The three is the max I'm willing to lay, but I'm going to be willing to lay with two teams that are very sorry out there in the back. I mean, man, Eastern Michigan, they've been relying upon Ty Acuff to do everything for the team. And for Buffalo... 
It's been a case where they've been relying much more on the post for everything of theirs. As you've got Janavia Smith, who's able to give you 9.9 boards and does shoot north of 40% from three-point range, but the issue that you've got for Buffalo, turnovers. They are turning the ball over north of 16 times for contest. Not like this Eastern Michigan team, one that is outside the top 275 in terms of total possessions per game, is doing anything tremendous as well. They only shoot 30% from three, 68% at the free line, but Acuff is by far the best scorer in this game. 22 points, 2.8 assists, only shoots about 29% from three points, but now you're getting Orlando Lovejoy to be able to give you about 9.5 points per contest. Yusef Jihad has been able to shoot north of 40% from distance, so few pieces are starting to come to the forefront. Anquan Bolton Jr. on the flip side for this Buffalo team. He's been able to do a solid job with the steal. 7.5 points. Shoots about 35.5% for 3. But for Buffalo, 26.1% 3-point shooting team. And both of these teams, they do have their warts defensively as well. Buffalo, 244th in all of college basketball. The guards opponents 3-point shooting percentage. Eastern Michigan, 282nd with this regard. But Eastern Michigan, why opponents to shoot just 32.3% from 3 points when they are at home. And Buffalo's 3-point shooting defense has actually been better in a roadside church court environment. Cy Chapman should be able to help Buffalo win the battle down low. This is a Buffalo team that is in the top 175 with regards to rebound rate, and Eastern Illinois, they certainly are not, as they're clocking in more around 300th in the country with regards to their rebound rate, but I do think that for Eastern Illinois, they're going to do a little bit of a better job around the perimeter, and just flat out, them being able to hold on to the ball, them committing four turnovers per game fewer than Buffalo, I think is going to be very big in this ordeal. While Eastern Illinois is outside the top of 280 with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. That does improve to sub-33% at home, and I do think that Eastern Illinois does just enough at home to be able to get the job done. I'm willing to lay up to three with them, and both of these teams outside the top 175 with regards to total possessions frame. Eastern Michigan playing quite a bit more slowly, and both of these teams have just been really rough with their offense. Up my total, 137F, looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay up to three with Eastern Michigan. 685-686 on the main board. Mississippi State plays with Auburn, and Auburn is a Favorite of between two and a half to three points. So, on this game, between 145 and a half and 147, I said Mississippi State as a favorite of two points. I'm going to be looking at them all right on the money line. Auburn coming off of a rough loss in the Iron Bowl, but just hitting the road in the SEC is a completely different animal. I remember two years ago, we saw some pretty dramatic home and road splits with Auburn. And keep in mind, Auburn has already lost on the road to Appalachian State. Granted, a good Appalachian State team, but not quite what Mississippi State is. Mississippi State still a top 35 team in the country with regards to rebound rate in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and now they've gotten to Lou Smith back at the fold, who's giving you 18 points, 8 rebounds per game, going up against an Auburn squad that they themselves are a very complete team. Auburn is in the top 30 nationally in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they do have G&I Broom doing a nice job of cleaning up down low. He's been able to do good work with regards to giving this Auburn team a boost, with them being 40th in the country with regards to rebound rate overall, but if you look at them in a road-slash-court environment, they are in the top 15 nationally with this regard. It is an Auburn team that they're better from three-point range than they were a season ago. Really, both of these teams are. Both of these teams were a wreck a season ago. Now, Chad baker Mazar shoots 38% for three with about nine and a half points per contest for Auburn. You've been able to have Jalen Williams give you about 12 and a half points, five and a half boards on 42% three-point shooting in Aiden Allway. The numbers aren't, like, demonstrative. Three and a half assists, nine and a half points, but 
He's really helped flow some very efficient offense. Meanwhile, it's been all about Josh Hubbard in the backcourt for this Mississippi State team. Nearly 15 points on 36% three-point shooting. He has been massive for the team of Mississippi State. They still do a really nice job being able to generate turnovers. They're able to get about 8.5 per contest. They go up against an Auburn team that, with regards to the three-point shooting defense, they have been very supreme. They are 22nd in all of college basketball with this regard. But Mississippi State, they continue to do a really good job of locking down the three-point arc. Number four in all of college basketball. I think that this is going to be a tremendous display from really both of these teams. It's all going to come down to which strength wins out. Auburn should be able to win the turnover battle. They're a top 60 team. Turns the turnovers for us on a per possession basis, and they hold on to it themselves. But Mississippi State, they're so south down low. I do default to the home court advantage, and I do default to the rebounding. I did set Mississippi State as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be looking at them out right in the money line. And did semi total 142. I think that both of these teams are going to be able to play some good defense versus 70 wins, in my opinion. I'm looking at the under and Mississippi State on the money line. 687, 688 on the banking board. Valparaiso plays us to Missouri State. Missouri State is a favorite of between 3 and 3.5 points. So on this game is 140.5 with Missouri State. I did set them as a favorite of 7 points. I'm going to be one of the this summer. So Valparaiso team has been able to improve quite a bit on defense. They just still don't really have a lot of rebounding. Jerome Palm was looking very solid at the beginning part of the season, but he's just fallen out of favor with the team. And for Valparaiso, they're allowing opponents to shoot 35% from three-point range at home. They are outside the uh, top 235 with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. And they do go up against a Missouri State team that they've been wobbly with their offense. There's no question about it, but they have top flight guys. They're able to put the ball in the bucket as Olsen Mason has been your main guy. 18 points, 3.5 assists on 36.5% three-point shooting. Now for Missouri State, they should have collected about 31% from the outside, but this is a Missouri State team that, even though they're playing much more up-tempo this season, in terms of the overall defensive efficiency, it really hasn't slipped up from where it was a season ago when they were one of the best mid-major defenses in all of college basketball. They're still about 110th in the country with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, allowing only 0.7 points more per 100 possessions than they did a season ago. So have N.J. Benson who's been able to give you 7-plus rebounds per game down low with Donovan Clay, Chance Moore combining for about 24.5 points per contest and then flip side for Valparaiso. Not a lot of outside shooting outside of what you're able to get out of Cooper Schweiger, who's been tremendous with about 11.5 points, 6 boards, shoots 37% for 3 for a team that overall they shoot about 32.5% from the outside. Now, Jahari Williamson has really stepped up recently. He's shooting 41% from 3, 7 plus points at each of the last 4 games, but he's very much an all-or-nothing player. He doesn't really give you anything outside of outside shooting, and I do like Davies Diviero, 8 points, 5 assists, seal per contest, shoots in the low 30s from 3 par inch, but again, this team not really getting a ton down low outside of like Cooper Schweiger giving you about six rebounds per game. That's a little bit of an issue. Missouri State I think is going to be able to do a relatively solid job down low with Missouri State. The team has been very solid at being able to guard the three-point arc in recent years as well. For Missouri State they're allowing opponents to shoot in the neighborhood about 39% from three-point range. That's a top 35 mark in all of college basketball. I think that Missouri State going to be able to win out with their defense. They're playing a little bit more up-tempo, but I do think that this is going to be a slog with Valparaiso improving very much on defense recently. Offense, still averaging about 68 points per contest. They're still having a rough go of it there, so I do think that this is going to be a lower scoring slog. Going to be looking at the under of the Missouri State willing to lay up to 6.5 points with them. 689, 690 on the bank board. He sent his T-State plays those to Samford. Sam I. Amford is a 6.5 point favorite. Your total between 156.5 and 157 sets Amford as a favorite of 7 points. Here at the 6.5, it's maximum willing to lay, but I'm going to be willing to lay. Samford has been all over the place in Airbrain. They got held down by Furman a few days ago, but on all, this has been a bunch that has been looking to run it and gun it. It just absolutely 
absolutely rip it down your throat. This Sanford team is very efficient as well, despite the fact that they do have some turnovers with them. They do turn the ball over about 14 times for contest. That's not due to Ryland Jones, though. Jones, 5.5 assists and 1.3 turnovers per game for Sanford. You've also had Anchor Anchor do a really good job down low. He's been able to give you in that neighborhood about six boards, 15 and a half to 16 points per game. He's got really good versatility, and you get to go up against an ETSU team that they themselves have been able to do a nice job of cleaning up the glass. They're about 180th in all of college basketball with regards to the rebound rate. Karen Boyd, Jaden Seymour have been able to combine for about 13 half rebounds per game, but where you want to hurt the Sanford team is from the outside, and they shoot about 29.5% from three-point range. That is going to be an almighty issue, as for Sanford, they're 268th in all of college basketball with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. E.B. Asamoah has been able to shoot about 33% from the outside. He's been able to chip in there about 15 points, four boards per contest. And for ETSU, by committee, they've been able to do a relatively solid job of being able to the glass. It's the Sanford team that they've been dealing with the injury to Jermaine Marshall for quite some time. But A.J. St. McRae, he's able to come up with nearly two steals per contest. And this is the Sanford team that, if you're having a tough time holding on to the ball, which ETSU, about 12 turnovers per contest. They're not great. They're not terrible. But... This can turn into a very, very long night for you. This is a Sanford team that they just get things out of control. Hairbrain, top 25 team in all of college basketball. They're going to turnovers force on a per-possession basis, and I just don't think that's something ETSU is accustomed to, and I do think that they're going to get thrown sort of out of their style, which is why I think that Sanford gets the job done. I did set my total 157. You're at the 156 half. I'm going to be willing to lay the number Sanford in the top 30 with regards to total possessions per game, and set my line at 7. I'm going to be willing to lay 6.5 with Sam I am for it. 691 692 on the betting board. Utah State it's on the road facing off against Boise State. Boise State at 3 to 3.5 point favorite totals between 145 and a half at 146. And I did set my total at 142. I'm going to be taking a look at the under. Boise State not an up tempo team at all. They are once again outside the top 240 in terms of total possessions per game. And both of these teams have been able to do a nice job with their defense. Boise State, they've got a really nice home court advantage. It's tough to get out there to Boise, Idaho. So that is going to take it out of this Utah State team quite a bit. And for Boise State, 58th in the country. Terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, giving up 8.7 points fear per one hour possessions when they're at home rather than in a road slash shoot court environment. But this Utah State team has stepped up to the plate. 59th in the country with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, giving up a full point less per one hour possessions when they're away from home rather than when they are at home. A top 20 defense in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis when away from home. This is a Utah State team that they're not going to go out there and generate a whole bunch of turnovers or anything. They're about 129th in the country with that regard. Meanwhile, you've got a Boise State team that is right in that same category as well. But both of these teams, they do a really nice job of locking you down from three-point range. Boise State, 15th in the country with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. This is a Utah State team that is seventh. So I do think that open looks are going to be very few and far between. And that means that you've got to hit the glass. And Grado support, he's the best rebounder in this game. 15 points, nine rebounds per game. You've also got a very efficient point guard in Darius Brown, who gives out north of six half assists to fewer than two and a half turnovers per game. He's done a flawless job of executing this Utah State offense. One that doesn't really shoot it well from three. They only shoot about 33% from the outside, but Utah State, 25th in all of college basketball. They're to rebound rate. Now, Boise State, they're 54th in the country with Dyson Dagenhart doing a solid job, giving you about six rebounds per game. And the best three-point shooter in this game is going to be Chabuzo Egbo. He's able to give you 12-plus points per contest, shooting north of 40% from three-point range for this Boise State bunch. But I do think that for Boise State, even though I do think that they get the job done outright on their home floor, I think that's just such a tough place to travel. I think that this is going to be nip and tuck. I think for Utah State, this is going to be very, very similar to that game that they somehow won against UNLV. I don't know how they won that game, but I think it's going to be like a one-possession game coming down to the closing seconds. Utah 
State, 83-plus points in three of their last four games, but the defense is really starting to lock down for Boise State. This team, the last time they gave up more than 68 points in a contest, I should say 69 points in a contest because they gave up San Jose State to 69 points against a D1 team. You have to go all the way back to November. They actually gave up 70 points to Western Oregon, but they scored north of 100 points themselves. So I do think that this is going to be a lower-scoring game. 7 by 12 142, looking at the under at anything north of 2, looking at the points with Utah. State 693 694 on the betting board. Stony Brook plays us at UNC Wilmington. Wilmington a four to four and a half point favorite. Totals between 139 and 140. And with Wilmington, made them a four point favorite. At a four and a half, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Stony Brook. It is a Stony Brook team that's starting to heat up from three par range now. The one thing that Stony Brook is going to need to do a better job of locking down the three point arc. They're allowing opponents to shoot 36.8 percent from three, 327th at all of college basketball. But at home, that's only 33 and a half percent. Meanwhile, in a roadside shoot record environment, that balloons to 40 percent and for Wilmington, this is not the same defense that we've seen in past years here. Outside the top 175, turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, and away from home, they are allowing opponents to shoot 36.5% from distance. Sony Brook and UNC Wilmington, both relatively okay rebound rate teams. They're not amazing, they're not terrible, but for Sony Brook, you've got Charles Madeau, Lothar Andre, 3,000 Snotty, being able to give you a combined about 12 rebounds per game with the Sony Brook team. They do find themselves about 225th in all of college basketball with regards to their rebound rate for Wilmington, they're clocking in more around 253rd, but they do have Tarzarian White. Tarzarian White will be able to give you 20 points, 6 boards. He's just one of the best mid-major players. They're able to find an all of college basketball, and for Wilmington, they don't t- hurt themselves. They're in the top 8 nationally in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis. Shaikin Phillips, KJ Jenkins have been able to combine for about 25.5 points per contest. Jenkins shooting about 40% from 3-par range, but for Sony Brook, you've gotten Tyler Stevenson more going. 14.5 points per contest on 39%. Three-point shooting. Keenan Fitzmaurice at 7 feet tall is able to give you 10 points on north of 36%. Three-point shooting. So, even though UNC Wilmington has gotten hot, they've won five straight games and they've lost so many points or fewer in four of their last five games. I do think that they're going to have a tough time with the Sony Brook team. That defense has been a little bit hit or miss for them, but in regulation, because the Towson game that they played, that went to overtime. They've been able to do a little bit of a better job. They have given up now fewer than 70 points in regulation in five out of their last eight game, so I do think the things are going to be a little bit more buttoned up here, and I do think that this is going to be relatively nip and duck. It's semi-total 144 here at the 139 after 140. I do think we've went a little bit too low, as I do think that both of these teams are going to threaten to and exceed 70, and especially with Lake Infelling, I do like the over. And with Wilmington, set them as a four-point favorite, so at four and a half, looking at the points with Stony Brook, 695, 696 on the banking board. Little Rock plays those to Southeast Missouri State. Simo finds himself as an underdog of 14 and a half points, and your total on this game is one 54, and I think that's very much warranted. I said Little Rock has a 14 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number for Southeast Missouri State. I just need someone to explain to me what they're doing well. Because this team is outside the uh, top 275 in terms of points scored, points allowed on a per-possession basis in terms of rebound rate, and this team is giving it up from three-point range. Southeast Missouri State, about 206th in all of college basketball. The guards opponent's three-point shooting percentage, but that balloons at 36.5% when they are away from home, and now they have to go up against a Little Rock team that has Kalen Robinson along Jameer Chaplin combining for about 32 to 33 points per contest. And for Little Rock, they always play at a very fast pace. They're once again back in the top 50 in terms of total possessions per game, but 
Now they're doing a much better job of just being able to take control of the ball. They're only turning the ball over about 12 and a half times for contest in Southeast Missouri State to start with. They're not really generating a lot of turnovers, and I mean, it's a SEMO team that they have really been brutal with regards to their offense. If you take a look at them against D1 competition, because they played a few games that have gone up against non-D1 teams, they have been held to fewer than 70 points in now each of their last seven games. So this has been a sad display for them. You've got Rob Martin, who's able to give you about 12 points per contest contest, but really, it's a team that shoots 30% from three-point range. They don't have a single guy in the roster, by the way, that is currently giving them north of 4.1 rebounds per game. Not a lot of facilitation. It's a little rock team that certainly they're going to give up their points. They're well outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but four other top five scores give you at least 4.9 rebounds per game. They should be able to dominate with that regard. It is a little rock team that, once again, from three-point range, they are allowing opponents to shoot at about a 34.7% clip, but that lowers the 30 33.1% at home. I do think that this should be a Little Rock domination and Southeast Missouri State just right now needs to find some answers. So I did set my number at a 14.5. I'm going to be willing to lay the number in. So I told 154.5. Boy, recognize that Zemo has had a tough time being able to get to 70, but this is a Little Rock team that is a rocket ship with regards to their offense. I do think that for Southeast Missouri State, they might not get to 70, but I think that they're going to be able to threaten 70, and for Little Rock, they themselves have gotten to at least 72 points in every single game this month, so I do think that Little Rock is going to be able to do their part with regards to this total, so going to be taking a look at the over, and I'm going to be one to lay with Little Rock. 697, 698 on the bank board. Wyoming is going to be playing us to Colorado State, and Colorado State does find themselves at 7.5 to 8-point favorites. So your total is between 148 and 140 with Wyoming. I did set them as an underdog of 5.5 points, so I'm going to be willing to take the points. Always have to award more for home court advantage in that Wyoming elevation with the Wyoming team that has been able to shoot very well from three-point range. They're a top-20 team in all of college basketball with regards to three-point shooting percentage, and this is a Colorado State team that they are 247th in the country with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Yeah, that actually improves to 33.1% away from home, but again, I do think that the elevation factor does need to be taken into account, and this is a Wyoming Wyoming team has actually been much more sorry with regards to their defense at home rather than on the road. Their offense is really elevated when they're at home. Their defense is actually giving up about 1.6 points more per 100 possessions when they're at home rather than in a roadside shooting court environment. Wyoming, as a matter of fact, they're about 298th in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. So we should see both of these teams hitting a lot of shots. You do have along with Isaiah Stevens, who's been amazing for Colorado State. Seven and a half assists, 16 and a half points. Shoots north of 40% from three point. Patrick Cartier, he's six foot eight. He gives you about 12 points. He's shooting 43.5% from the outside. It's a Colorado State team then. Only turns the ball over 10.5 times for contest. They're better on the glass thanks to Joel Scott coming in from D2 Black Hill State. 11.5 points, 5.5 boards, block, steal per contest. Absolutely love his overall game. And this is a Wyoming team that, with regards to opponents' three point shooting percentage, they're only about 101st in the country, but they allow opponents to shoot 37.5% from three at home, sub 30% in a roadside shoot court environment. I do think that that should iron out a little bit, but for Wyoming, the duo of Sam Griffin along with Akulkot has been able to combine for about about 33.5 points per contest. They're both shooting north of 42.5% from three. Now, for this bunch in Wyoming, they do need to cut down on the turnovers. They are turning the ball over right around about 14.5 times per game. That is a big issue for them, and they, along with Colorado State, both are a little bit brutal on the glass, but for Colorado State, they're only about 116th in the country with regards to turnovers force on a per-possession basis. So I do think that Wyoming should be able to keep it relatively clean. I do think that that allows Wyoming to hit enough shots to be a hold in this game. Both of these teams, not necessarily super-duper up-tempo. I did 
mid semi total at a 147.5. I do think that the elevation is going to take it out of Colorado State and their offense just a little bit in this one. So looking at the under and then north of six, looking at the points with Wyoming, 699, 700 on the bang board. George Mason is going to be playing us to Rhode Island. Rhode Island does find themselves as an underdog of 10 points. Totals between 144 and 144.5. Semi-line at 9.5, so at the 10, that is my buy point on Rhode Island. Rhode Island has been a different team ever since David Green has been able to come into the fold. He's been able to register double figures. He's given this team right around about five rebounds per game, so he's been able to do a nice job of upping their production. That helps out the likes of Zeke Montgomery along Jaden House in the backcourt. These two guys, they've been able to do a solid job of being able to combine for about 20 points per contest. You've got House currently shooting 37.5% from three-point shot for Green. He's also shot 47.5% from the outside. This is still a relatively slow Rhode Island team that is well outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis but in terms of the offensive efficiency of Rhode Island with slash without green it certainly has been elevated now for Rhode Island last few games they've been falling on some tough times they have failed to break the 70 point plateau in each other last three games and now they do have to go up against the George Mason team that does rank in the top 25 with regards points allowed on a per possession basis and I like what Keyshawn Hall is able to do for this team. 15 plus points, 9 plus rebounds per game. It's a George Mason team that overall is 41st in the country with regards to rebound rate, while Rhode Island is actually 75th. This is despite the fact that really nobody other than David Futris has been able to give you north of 6 rebounds per game. For our George Mason, they do shoot about 35% from 3-par range. You've been able to get about 45% 3-point shooting out of Amari Kelly. who has been able to give you about 12.5 points per contest. And then Darius Maddox has been able to give you about 13 points. He shoots 38.5% from the outside. So it is very incumbent upon Rhode Island to be able to lock it down a little bit more from three-par range, which has been a struggle for them all season long. 328th in all of college basketball with this aspect, and they allow opponents in a roadside shoot current environment to shoot north of 40% for three. I think there's been a little bit of bad variance there. And George Mason, they themselves, about 208th in the country with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. They've got a pair of teams that are well outside the top 250, though, in terms of total possessions per game. So it's a good old situation of something they had to give, and I do think that Rhode Island is starting to get figured out a little bit more with the offense now having Green back in the fold. Meanwhile, it's a George Mason team that they themselves have had a really rough go of it on offense. 70 points are fearing each other last four games. So this is a circumstance where I did something I told 139 and a half. I'm looking at the under and being able to get 10 plus looking at the points with Rhode Island. 701, 702 on the betting board. It is Charlotte. They had thrown their facing off against Tulane. Tulane is a three to three and a half point favorite with your total between 149 and a half and 150. And with Charlotte, I did set them as a uh, underdog of three points, so a circumstance where I'm going to be willing to take three and a half or more with Charlotte. Battle of Tempos. Charlotte, bottom 30 team in terms of total possessions per game. Tulane, top 15 team in terms of total possessions per game. Set my total at a 143. I do tend to think that things get slowed down. I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and a big reason why I do think that things get slowed down is that Tulane doesn't necessarily have a lot of depth. They are now just getting back into the full Trey Williams. Prior to that, they were pretty much playing like a six-man rotation. Greg Glenn has had to see a few more minutes for this team, and I mean, the top end talent for Tulane is absolutely tremendous. Sion James, Jalen Forbes, Kevin Cross. This trio has been able to generate about 46 half points per contest with Cross. Eight boards, four and a half assists, 36.5% three-point shooter. James shoots 42% from three. All three of these guys all give you at least 1.6 steals per contest. I mean, these guys have been awesome. And for Tulane, they only turn the ball for 10.9 times per contest. It's for a team that they play at warp speed, but while Tulane actually does a relatively solid job of being able to win the turnover battle, this is a team that's going to allow some open looks from the outside. 229th in all of college basketball with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. It's a Charlotte team that's relatively okay with regards to the three point shooting hovering right around about 33%. You've got Igor Milicic 
Gives you 12 points, 9 boards per contest. He should be the best big man in this game, but it's a Charlotte team that, to their credit, they are 46th in all of college basketball in terms of opponent's 3-point shooting percentage. I do always have the belief that it's a little bit easier to slow a team down rather than speed one up. We have seen it with the Charlotte team. They did play that overtime game against Rice. That was a game in which, in regulation, they had given up 70 points. So, if you take a look at regulation and regulation only, this is a Charlotte team that, in an American conference in which you've got a lot of teams, they're playing super-duper up-tempo. They have given up 70 points or fewer in all but one of their games thus far this month. Meanwhile, it is a Tulane team that, well, they have given up at least 79 points in four of their last five games, and they have gotten to at least 80 in every single one of their games. I do think that Charlotte has the antidote to be able to make this a little bit of a slower game. Lucille Patterson is giving you 14 half points. He shoots 35% from three-point in Charlotte. Also does a nice job of holding on to the ball. Nine and a half turnovers per game. That means that they can run their sets. They can really just get into what they're very comfortable with. This is a Charlotte team I think is also going to be able to have some success on the glass as well, which will allow them to be able to slow this game down. It's a Charlotte team that, with regards to rebound rate, they're about 211th in all of college basketball, but this is a Tulane team that they could be had on the glass. 335th with this regard, with Charlotte being able to have a little bit of a leg up on the glass, with them not turning the ball over. That allowed them to be able to get their tempo and hold in this game, so I did set my number at 3, here to 3.5. I'm going to be taking a look at the points and set my total at 143, also looking at the under. 703, 704 on the betting board. UTSA, meet me for the Roadrunners. They have the road. They're facing off against South Florida, and South Florida does find themselves as an 11-point favorite, and your total, that is 159 to 159.5. I did set South Florida as a favorite of 12.5 points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. This is a San Antonio team that certainly has been giving it up with regards to the points. They are well outside the top 260 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and this South Florida team has actually been a pretty supreme defense in the top 75 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They have been all over the place with regards to their three-point shooting, but I think that this is going to be a golden time for them to be able to bust out South Florida with regards to their perimeter defense. They are 80th in all of college basketball with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Meanwhile, the Roadrunners, well, they're running away from guarding the arc 348th in all of college basketball, and in a roadside shooting current environment, opponents are shooting north of 40% from distance against them. This is a South Florida team that they've got better shooters than what they've shown all season long. You've been able to have Celtic Miguel, of course, Youngblood, be able to combine for about 29 points per contest with Miguel. He shoots 43% for three-point and Youngblood after a really rough start to the season since the beginning of the month of December. He's been shooting darn near 40% from three-point. Kishan Pryor has been able to give you about seven rebounds per game, and the one fear that you do have with South Florida in this game is that they might be a little bit outgunned down low. Pryor is the only guy in the roster that really gives you north of five and a half rebounds per game. South Florida about 206th in the country with regards to rebound rate. And for UTSA, you do have someone like a Carlton Lingard, who's able to give you about six boards. He's able to throw in there about nine to ten points per contest. Jordan Ivy Curry has really been able to elevate the offense. 18 points, six boards, four assists, 37% three-point shooter for a UTSA team that, despite the fact that they're in the top 40 with regards to possessions per game, they only turn the ball over about 11.8 times per game. They're about 145th with regards to their rebound rate. Dre Fuller, 10 points, four and a half to five rebounds per game. And then you've been also been able to get five and a half assists, 13 points per game out of Christian Tucker. And despite the fact that Ivy Curry has come back in the fold, he's actually seen his assists per game elevate. So UTSA working in tandem very well there. I do think that even though South Florida has been a really good under team, that this is a game in which it just turns harebrained and just absolutely insane. This UTSA team has just been almightily gashed with regards to their defense. They have given up at least 76 points 
and now seven out of their last eight games. Meanwhile, you've got a South Florida team that they themselves have been able to get to at least 71 points in each of their last five. They themselves have given up at least 68 points in each of their last five. I think that you get an up-tempo airbrain game. I said my total 160 and a half, looking at the over. Now in South Florida, I'm going to be willing to lay up to 12 with them. 705-706 on the betting board. UW-Milwaukee plays also Oakland. Oakland does find themselves as one to one and a half point favorites. Their total is 156. This Oakland team, it has been rough for them on defense to say the least, but they've actually been able to play relatively well on the road, so I set them as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Neither of these teams are necessarily playing super up-tempo, UW-Milwaukee this season has been a relatively mid-tempo team in terms of total possessions per game, 127th, but we have seen ever since B.J. Freeman has returned to the fold, the tempo has been going up and up and up in Oakland, 335th in the country with regards to total possessions per game, but my goodness gracious, this is an Oakland team that is giving it up, 323rd in the country, turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis, but giving up 12.5 points fewer per one hour possessions on the road rather than at home. I'm pretty sure that's the biggest split in all of college basketball as of right now. And right now, Oakland is just really giving it up from three-point range. Oakland, they've always been a rough three-point shooting defense team. And that has translated to this year. They're allowing opponents to shoot 36.4% from three-point range. And for UW-Milwaukee, they're in the bottom 30 with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. At home, allowing opponents to shoot 39.4% from three-point range. And UW-Milwaukee, one of your lowest teams at all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis as well. 340th with this regard. B.J. Freeman has been able to give you 18.5 points. Only guy in the roster giving you north of 5.5 rebounds per game as well. They go up against an Oakland team that has been able to get a lot of production out of Trey Townsend. 16.5 points, 7 boards. Love his overall game. Ketra Pullian on the flip side for UW-Milwaukee does give you about 5 boards per contest, but I do think that Oakland going to be able to win this battle down low. It's an Oakland team that they themselves only shoot about 33.5% from 3-point range, but they do a good job of being able to take care of the ball. About 11 after an nervous game. It's a UW-Milwaukee team that Sometimes they do get out of sorts with about 12 and a half turnovers per game. Freeman, well, he does so many good things offensively. He does turn the ball over 3.7 times for contest. It's a UW-Milwaukee team that does a relatively solid job of being able to rebound by a committee, but man, they just allow way too many open looks. And this is an Oakland team that, to their credit, they've now given up 70 points or fewer in each other the last four games. UW-Milwaukee is squad has gotten to at least 80 points in four out of their last five games. With that said, for this UW-Milwaukee team, if you take out their last two games against Detroit, they've held Detroit to fewer than 80 points, but games not against Detroit, they've allowed at least 80 points in each of their last five. I think that you get a almighty shootout. I set my number at a 162 with the total. Looking at the overhand with Oakland, want to lay up to one and a half with them. 707, 708 on the betting board. It is Northern Arizona in the road faceoff against East Eastern Washington, Eastern Washington, a 13 half point favorite. Total on this game is 150, and I did set Northern Arizona as an underdog of 14 and a half points. I'm going to be willing to lay this number with Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington has just been chucking it up for all mankind from three point range. It is an Eastern Washington team that sees a big giant bump with their offense at home rather than on the road. As a matter of fact, they are scoring about 21 more points per one iron possessions at home rather than in a road slash shoot record environment, and much of that is because the team goes bombs away from three, shooting 45.7% from three-point range at home. That is one of the highest marks that you're going to find in all of college basketball. And then go up against a Northern Arizona team. It's rough. It's really rough to say the least. This is a team that is well outside the top 250 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're outside the top 250 with regards to rebound rate. You do have a trio of guys in... Uh, Carson Basham along with Oakland, Fort Jaden Jackson, that all gave between 9.4 and 
points per contest. To be able to help out your main guy, Trent McLaughlin, 16 points per contest. Advin McLaughlin does shoot 36% from three-point range, but Northern Arizona shooting 31% from three, 66.5% at the free throw line. They don't generate turnovers, and they themselves are really giving it up from three-point range. It's not Oakland-level bad, but that said, with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, they are allowing opponents in a roadside search court environment to shoot 34.3% from distance. That's a little bit below average. Now, they're actually really good with their three-point shooting percentage at home. 26.2% is what they hold opponents to. That's actually one of the better marks in all of college basketball, but too much versatility here for Eastern Washington. Dan Eric Struff is six foot eleven. He gives you eleven and a half points and he shoots thirty nine percent from three point range. Jake Kyman, who comes in from UCLA at six foot seven. He's giving you ten points on forty two percent three point shooting. Cedric Coward Stands right around six foot six, six foot seven. He's been able to give you twelve plus points per contest. He's shooting forty percent from three par range now. Eastern Washington, while they do such amazing work on the offensive side of things, they certainly get gashed defensively. Two hundred eighty eighth in all of college basketball with regards to opponents three point shooting percentage, but that three point shooting percentage dips to thirty two point six percent when they're at home. That's more like thirty six half percent in a roadside shoot court environment in Eastern Washington. Certainly getting gashed with regards to their defense as well. Two hundred sixty seventh in the country. In terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, that does fall by about 11 points per 100 possessions when they're away from home. And kind of Northern Arizona team that they're not really looking to play super duper fast, 195th in the country with regards to total possessions per game. East of Washington clocking in more around 158th, but lots of inefficiency on defense. I do think that there's going to be a lot of made shots in this one, and I do think that Eastern Washington continues to excel at home. I did set Eastern Washington as a 14.5 point favorite. Won't delay the 13.5, and some I told 150 and a half. So, 150 or less looking at the over to go along with Eastern Washington. 709, 710 on the betting board. It is Denver playing host to Omaha. Omaha finds themselves as 4.5 to 5 point underdogs. So, on this game, they're between 159 and 159.5. Set my total at 160. So, anything below 160, I'm going to be taking a look at the over on. It's an Omaha team that has slowed down their tempo significantly. They're outside the top 300 with regards to total possessions per game, but this is a Nebraska-Oma team that certainly has had a tough time guarding the three-point arc. They're outside the top 200 with that regard. Meanwhile, you've got a bunch in Denver that they have been so tremendous with their offense. Top 30 nationally in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis coming off of that Carebrain double-triple overtime game that we saw a few days ago. And for Denver, 334th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. They are allowing opponents to shoot in of 38% from distance when they are at home, but they've got the man that's able to be the elixir to all that. Tommy Bruner, he leads all of college basketball in scoring 26.3 points, four and a half assists, shooting 42% from three in that crazy double overtime game against South Dakota. He had a 49 spot, and this man has been able to get to at least 26 points and now all but one of his last seven games, and for that matter, he has scored at least 20 points in now 10 straight games. It has been ridiculous. Frankie Fiddler on the flip side has been relatively solid for Omaha. 18.5 points, 5.5 boards, shooting 38.5% from 3 and For Omaha, they're a relatively crisp team. 10 turnovers per contest. They shoot in the mid-30s from 3 par range. Each of your top 3 scores give you at least 5.3 rebounds per game, including Markel Sutton being able to give you about 6 rebounds per contest, but Toki Tanamo being able to supply for Denver about eight rebounds per contest, and Jackson Brenchley being a nice Robin out there in the backcourt, three assists, about five boards, 10 plus points per contest. That's very helpful. It's a Denver team that has been able to do a relatively solid job on the glass. 138th in the country with regards to their rebound rate for Omaha. They're clocking in right around 261st with this regard. It is a Denver team that also has been able to get some really nice ancillary scoring out of Isaiah Edo and Correa. Hopefully I said that correctly. Shooting 42.5% from three. 
7.5 points per contest for a Denver team that despite going super up-tempo, fewer than 10 turnovers per contest, and this is a Omaha defense that has been getting very much exposed recently. They have given up at least 74 points in each of their last four games for Denver. This is a defense that has been getting all mightily torched as they have given up at least 80 points in all but one of their last, I believe now, 10 games against Division One opponents. Meanwhile, they've gotten to at least 80 in all but one of them as well. So I do think that you're going to get plenty of scoring here. Anything below 160, I'm looking at the over. Now with Denver, I think that the offense wins out. I'm willing to lay up to 5.5 points with them. 7-11, 7-12 is going to be the DK Network right up pick. This is TCU on the road facing off against Baylor. Baylor does find themselves as a 5-point favorite. And your total on this game, it was a 155.5 when I wrote this up. And I made sure to beam this out as quickly as possible. We are now at a 151 to a 152 and I had the feeling that this was going to just dive way, way down. I still see a nice differential with regards to this write-up. So if you're listening a bit late, you didn't see the Twitter slash X post. I still do like this total under. I set my total at a 148.5. Certainly liked it a whole heck lot more. And just with the way that my Saturdays work, I do have to do these write-ups a little bit earlier. So I do apologize about that. But that said, my write-up is on the under in this spot. I set my total at a 148.5. You do have a pair of teams at TCU and Baylor that Ever since conference play has began, both of these teams are playing at about three to three and a half possessions per game fewer than they did out of conference. And this is a TCU team that has been a top 40 team with regards points a lot on a per possession basis. And while Baylor clocking in more around the 85th in the country range, this is a Baylor team that has been much different with their defense when they've been at home rather than when they've been in a road slash court environment. This is a Baylor team that's giving up more than 18 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than in a road slash neutral court environment. And you've got a TCU team that has been doing a relatively solid job on the glass, nabbing 35.2% of their missed shots as an offensive rebound to be able to get their offense going. But Baylor at home, 54th in the country with regards to their home defensive rebound rate at 21.8%. Now you've got for TCU, a lot of guys are able to throw the ball in the bucket. You've got five different guys that give you at least 9.4 points per contest, six different guys that give you at least nine points per game, including Trey Tennyson, who's been able to shoot 45% from three points. But this isn't any sort of an amazing three-point shooting team for TCU. They shoot about 34% as a collective. It is a TCU team that also has been turning the ball over a little bit north of 13 times for contest. So that does have to have you a little bit concerned. This is a Baylor team that they've done a much better job of being able to take care of the ball. They bring in Ray J. Dennis. He's been able to give you north of six assists per contest. And it's been the Jacoby Walter show being able to shoot it really well from three-point show north of 40%. And for Baylor... His team is in the top five nationally with regards to their overall three-point shooting percentage. As a matter of fact, if you look at games only against Division I opponents, they're number one in the country, shooting 45.5% from three-point at home. I seem to think that there's going to be some regression here, especially against a TCU team that is holding opponents to shooting 31.2% from three-point range. Now, if you do have trepidation with this, this is a TCU team that in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, that does rise by north of 16 when they're in a roadside shoot record environment. And for Baylor, I do think that they're going to have a little bit of a tough time going up against a TCU team that has four different guys that give you at least 2.8 assists per contest. Micah PV, Jameer Nelson Jr., they both give you a combined about six assists, 21 points per contest, but some of these guys have also shot sub-30% from three-point range. I do think that the home court environment for Baylor is going to be able to win out. They've been able to do a little bit of a better job down low with Eves Massey being able to give you about six rebounds per game. You've been able to get Langston Love to shoot 47.5% for three, which I think is going to see regression, but... 
All in all, I do think that you're going to get a little bit of a lower scoring slog. This is a Baylor team that has been slowing down with regards to their offense ever since conference play has began. They've been held down to 75 points or fewer in four out of their last five games. And one of those games in which they did get to 75, that was a game that went to overtime. The only team that they were able to exceed 75 against was BYU. And this is a TCU team that, in regulation, because the game against Cincinnati, that went to overtime, they have now given up 73 points or fewer in every one of their games ever since their close call against Kansas. So I do think that this total was set way too high. I agree with this total just really plummeting. My write-up is on the under in this spot. Again, still see quite a bit of value here with regards to it. And with this Baylor bunch, I'm going to be willing to lay up to six points with them. 713-714 on the betting board. It is Clemson on the road facing off against Duke. And Duke does find themselves as an 8 to an 8.5 point favorite. Your total is any between 150.5 and 151. And when it comes to Duke, I did set them as a favorite of six points. So getting between 7.5, 8.5 points, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Clemson. This is a Clemson squad that sort has been able to light it up from three-point range. You've got P.J. Hall, who's been one of the most versatile players in all of college basketball. He's able to do a nice job supplying this team with 19.5 points, giving you north of six rebounds per game. And Ian Shefflin has been able to give you 9.5 rebounds per game as well. This is a Clemson team that overall, they shoot 36% from three. Not an up-tempo team, and they're well outside the top 100 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, but even though I think they lose the battle down low. This is a Duke team that's about 52nd in the country with regards to rebound rate. I do think that they'll hold their own on glass. And as a matter of fact, they're actually having a better rebound rate this season at 33rd. Meanwhile, it is a Duke team that has Kyle Filipowski has just turned into an absolute menace. 18 and a half points, 9 boards, a steal, two blocks per contest on 40% three-point shooting. And then Jeremy Roach, he's been able to shoot 35.5% from three-point range. He's been tremendous for a Duke team that now has four different guys to give you at least 12 points per contest. And for Duke, they've really been efficient with their offense. This team is outside the top 200 with regards to total possessions per game, but yet they're getting all sorts of good production. Heck, Ryan Young, even though he doesn't give you much scoring, he does a solid job down low for this team, and you've got Tyrese Proctor. While he hasn't done a great job scoring, he gives you four assists to right around about 1.2 turnovers per game, but I like the way that Clemson has been able to set things up themselves. Joe Girard shoots north of 40% from three-bar range, and the key is being able to bust through against a Duke defense that they have been absolutely tremendous in terms of just not turning the ball over. They are a top-10 team in all of college basketball, being able to take care of the ball. Now, where this Duke team is vulnerable is that they will give you a few open looks from three. At home, they're allowing opponents to shoot 34.6% from three-par range. That plays right into the hands of Clemson. Now, Clemson, they themselves are about 238th in the country in terms of being able to guard the arc, but their road three-point shooting percentage of opponents is actually better than it is at home. So I do find that to be a little bit fascinating. And this is a Duke team that's only giving up two and a half points fewer per one hundred possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. While Clemson is 200th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, I do think that they're going to be able to bust through against this Duke offense, be able to get some points on the board and hold in there. I did set my total at a 148. This is a Duke team that is looking to play quite a bit more slowly. I do think that both of these teams are going to be able to bulk up just a little bit more with regards to their defense. It has been a Clemson team that has been quite harebrained recently, and this is a Duke team that they themselves have now given up fewer than 70 points in three out of their last five games, so I'm going to be looking at the under. Now, Duke could only make them a six-point favorite, so I'm also going to be taking a look at the points to go along with the under. 715, 716 on the betting board. Long Beach 8 hits the road 
Detroit face off against UC Riverside, where UC Riverside finds themselves as an underdog of a point. And your total on this game, it is 154 to 154.5 with Long Beach 8. I did set them as favorites of 3.5 points. So I'm going to be willing to lay the one with Long Beach 8. You've got Traore Square as Lucina Traore. He's been able to give you about 10 boards, 11 points per contest. And Abakar Traore, he's able to give you just over 10 points, but also chips in there like 7 boards, 4 assists. Just a very versatile player for a Long Beach 8 team that they don't shoot it well from 3. They're hardly shooting about 30% from distance. That's been an issue. And UC Riverside doesn't shoot it well from distance either. 31.2% from 3. Just 39.3% is what they're shooting from the floor. But Riverside does a good job taking care of the ball with about 9.5 turnovers per game. Long Beach State does have an issue taking care of the ball, but with UC Riverside, this is also a team that ranks well outside the top 250 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and 325th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, allowing opponents to shoot 40.2% from three-point range at home. Meanwhile, for Long Beach State, not saying they're amazing on defense, but they're a top 200 team. They get points a lot on a per possession basis now. They allow opponents to shoot 37% from distance when away from home. And you've got Brandon Hardress along with Isaiah Moses combining for about 24 points, eight emphasis, two steals per contest. And this duo has been able to combine to shoot about 35.5% from three. And then you've got Kyle Owens along with Brandon Garaki who have been able, been able to give you about eight to nine points per contest and both shoot 39.7% from three par range. But it seems as their ancillary pieces being quite cold with regards to their three-point shooting percentage. I do think the Long Beach State is going to take the fight to a UC Riverside team that I just don't think that they're going to be able to hold up down low. With Owens, he's the only guy in the roster that gives you north of four rebounds per game, and he's giving you like 4.8 boards per contest. With UC Riverside, it's been a relatively brutal rebound rate for them, about 197th in all of college basketball. And this is a Long Beach State team with Traore squared. They're about 160th in the country with regards to rebound rate. It's actually better on the road rather than at home. I do think that Long Beach State wins from within. I did set Long Beach 8 as a 3.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number in for the CC Riverside team. It has been a little bit of a just up and down team. They've been able to do a better job defensively giving up 66 points or fewer in far of their last five games. And to the credit of Long Beach 8, they have a lot of fewer than 72 points in each other previous two games. It's been an offense that has been held to fewer than 77 points in four out of their last six games as well. So this is a spot where I'm going to be looking at the under semi total 151.5 and want to lay it with Long Beach 8. 717, 718 on the bank board. Marshall plays host to Southern Miss. Southern Miss does find themselves as underdogs with three to three and a half points. Dolan's game is 149.5 with Southern Miss. Did set them as an underdog of five points. I'm going to be one to lay with Marshall. This is a Marshall squad that has been not quite the same three-point shooting team that they were a season ago, but with Marshall, you do have nice versatility with Obiana Onchele Killian. He's been able to do a tremendous job at right around six foot eight, supplying six half boards. 16 and a half points, shooting 36.5% from three-point range, going up against the Southern Miss team that they're dealing with the injury to Andre Curbelo. He was in the fold, he was out of the fold, and now he's back out of the fold, dealing with the back issue, so that's a little bit less than tremendous. So, for the Southern Miss team, they do a solid job of being able to generate some turnovers. Each of their top three scores are able to give you at least one steal per game, including Victor Hart being able to chip in there, a block, two steals, about 13 half points, six half rebounds per game. Now, this is a Southern Miss team that they have really been brutal with their defense. They're well outside the top 250 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. 333rd in all of college basketball with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. So, you do have your massive issues there and not like this team is necessarily doing a great job on the glass. They're well outside the top 200 with regards to rebound rate as well. But for Southern Miss, they're about 112th in all of college basketball with regards to turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. And Marshall, typically a really good team at being able to force turnovers. They're about 255th in all of college basketball. This is a Marshall team, though, that now it's Camden Kerfman who's able 
able to give you double figures. Heating up from three-point range, he was a mid to high 30s three-point shooter eight seasons ago. It is a partial team that in a roadside shooter court environment, they actually guard the arc better than they do at home. At home, 34.5% is what opponents shoot from three-point range. Away from home, it's more around 33%, but for Marshall, Kishan Boyles has been able to step up with a steal and a half, 12 and a half points per contest, and then this team should be able to win from within. Nate Martin, who comes over from Texas State, he's been able to supply the team with nine and a half rebounds per game. Marshall about 150th in all of college basketball with regards to the rebound rate. Southern Miss, more on 230th, so it is a Marshall team that I do think that they go out there, get the job done in the spot. As a result, I set them as a five-point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the number, and for Marshall, still a top 40 team in all of college basketball with regards to total possessions per game. It is a Southern Miss team that they've been able to get a little bit more going offensively, at least 69 points in three of their last five games. The defense has very much been all over the place, and it's been sporadic, and this is a Marshall team that have been all over the place with regards to their offense as well. This is a total that, as I'm doing this, it's going up to about 149.5. I'm seeing a 150 popping up as well, so now that we're getting to that number, as I set my total at a 149, I'm going to be looking at the under. It's been going up and up and up, and I just don't agree with that with the way that Marshall's shot making has been all over the place, shooting less than 33% for three points, but with Marshall, did set them as a five-point favorite. So, want to lay the number with Marshall, and at north of a 149, I'm going to be looking at the under. 719, 720 on the betting board. Abilene Christian plays host to Southern Utah. Southern Utah does find themselves as underdogs of six and six half points. Totals between 156 half and 157. I did set this Abilene Christian team as a favorite of 7.5 points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. It's a Southern Utah team that actually shouldn't match up the world's worst against them because Southern Utah has done a nice job of being able to protect the ball, and they go up against a bunch that just is looking to swarm and be able to generate turnovers. Abilene Christian in the top 35 nationally in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis while Southern Utah. About 11.4 turnovers per game. Problem is, you've got to take advantage of Abilene Christian from the outside. Abilene Christian is one of the worst three-point shooting defenses in all of college basketball. And you got yourself a Southern Utah squad that is shooting 30% from three-point range. Now, I will say for Abilene Christian, typically this is a bad three-point shooting defense. Last year, they allowed opponents to shoot 38.1% from the outside, more like 32% from three this year. I feel like it's a little bit of fool's gold, but... The point still stands that this is a Southern Utah team that they're really not lighting it up from three-point range. You've been able to have Dominique Ford give you about 17 points, shoot 35% from three. He's really the only guy on the roster that's averaging north of 3.2 points per game and shooting about 32.5% from distance. Zion Young is able to give you about 12.5 points per contest, and this is a Southern Utah team that they just don't have a lot down low. You've had Mr. Precious Falah be able to give you about 6.5 rebounds per game. He's been able to do a relatively okay job for a Southern Utah team that's about 297th in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate. Abilene Christian not really doing a great job on the glass as well. They're about 340th but when you're able to generate all those turnovers and when you've got really balanced scoring with this team. Ali Abdu-Diba along with Arian Simmons have been your main two guys with about 29 points. 11 boards between the two of them but Hunter Jack Men is shooting 44% from three, 12 and a half points per contest. It's a team that they just really utilize so many different guys. They have nine different guys. They'll be able to register at least 11 and a half minutes per contest. They generate so many turnovers. They themselves have turned the ball over about 13 and a half times per contest, but with having Jesse Pedroth of different options, shooting about 73 and a half percent at the free line, coming at teams at waves, I do think that it makes it very difficult for the Southern Utah team that has been very sporadic and not so great with regards to defense. They're well outside the top 225 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Southern Utah has actually done a really good job of being able to lock it down from three-point range. They're a top 75 team with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, but that is 
very far from the forte of this Evelyn Christian team with regards to Southern Utah. This team can really get gashed inside, so even though this Evelyn Christian team doesn't necessarily do a great job with regards to rebound rate, I do think that a Southern Utah defense that enters into this 300th in the country turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis. They're not, just not going to be able to hang, and I do think that Evelyn Christian's just funky style is going to take it out of the Southern Utah bunch. So I did set Evelyn Christian as a 7.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number in. In terms of this total, did set at 153 and a half just because I don't think that Southern Utah is going to be able to do their part with regards to this total. It's a Southern Utah team that has actually been a little bit better defensively. 70 points or fewer starting or two in their last three games. And this is an Abilene Christian team that, to their credit, they've given up fewer than 70 in three out of their last four games. So looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay it with Abilene Christian. 721, 722 on the betting board. Tennessee Tech. It's a red face off against SIU Edwardsville. Edwardsville, a 7.5 to an 8-point favorite in your total between 134.5 and 135. I did set Edwardsville. As a favorite of eight and a half points, I'm going to be willing to lay the number. It's an Edwardsville team that has not been quite the same team defensively this year that they were a few seasons ago. Last year, they were a top 125 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. This year, that is clocked way upward as they're about 183rd with this regard. But in conference, they have been a completely different defense. Out of conference, they were outside the top 275 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They were absolutely putrid. I think much of it speaks to how the Ohio Valley Conference is this season, but that's said, for the Southern Illinois Edwardsville team, they have now given up fewer than 64 points at each of their last four games. They're just absolutely bearing down on opponents, and you've got the Wright brothers and Jamar and Lamar Wright, who have been able to give you some nice production. Lamar Wright, 9.5 points on 35%, 3-point shooting in a block per contest. Jamar Wright, your main scorer with 15 points, shoots about 35.5% for 3, and despite the fact that DeMarco Minor is only 6 feet tall, he has been major. 8.5 boards, 2.5 assists, 14 points per contest. It's a top-heavy Southern Illinois Edwardsville team, but I relatively solid one. And for Tennessee Tech, this team just has not been able to get a lot going, really on offense or on defense. For Tennessee Tech, they are 312th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and their offensive efficiency is a little bit better than that, but it's been all over the place as well as you've got Javius Harvey, who's been able to give you about 15 half points per contest. He's shooting 34% from three-point range. It's a Tennessee Tech team that's about 316th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. They're turning the ball over 12 times for contests, and they don't do a bad job of shooting from three. They shoot about 32% from distance, but it's not like they do anything amazing. Rodney Johnson is just returning to the fold for the team since he's been back. They combined 26 points, 15 rebounds in the last two games. That should be able to help elevate this team a little bit, but you don't have a ton down low other than Johnson. You've got one other guy that gives you north of 4.7 rebounds per game, Daniel Ibanui, who's 6 foot 7. He's been able to give you about 32.5% from the outside in terms of 3-point shooting percentage with 7.5 points per contest in. With the way that Edwardsville has really been able to bear down, it is an Edwardsville team that they leave a little bit of something to be desired with size, but Tennessee Tech, they're not going to be able to take full advantage of this. It's a Tennessee Tech team that, with regards to their rebound rate, they're currently clocking in right around about 341st in all of college basketball. I think that that allows Edwardsville to be able to get the job done once again. I did set Edwardsville as an 8.5 point favorite, one to lay the number in. Did something total 134.5 with the way that Edwardsville is playing on defense and the way they've been slowing things down. So, out of 135, looking under and one to lay up to 8 with Edwardsville. 723, 724 on the betting board. It is Lindenwood in the road face off against UT Martin. And UT Martin is an 11.5 to a 12 point favorite. Total on this game is 153.5 to 154. Semi-total at 153. So I'm looking under, but set UT Martin as a 15 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number 
Martin is a top 15 team nationally in terms of total possessions per game. And the reason why I like the under is just because this Lindenwood team has absolutely nothing going for them on offense. The last time this team scored north of 68 points in a game is when they played against Southeast Missouri State. They were able to get to 74 there. And if you toss out games against Division One competition, this is a bunch that they have been able to exceed the 71-point plateau three times as far this season. As Keaton Cole, he gives you 19 points, six boards per contest, but you've got a team that shoots 28.5% from three-point range. You don't have a single guy on the roster that's able to give you north of 2.2 assists per game. You've got a team that also has one guy that's able to give you north of four rebounds per game in Cole, and that's about it. It's a team that's brutal offensively. They're outside the top 250 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, and they're going to get mauled down low by Jacob Cruz along with Issa Muhammad. These two guys have been able to combine for about 16.3 rebounds per game, 29 points between the two of them. And then Jordan Sears, four boards, four assists, 19 half points, up 43.5% three-point shooting. It's a Martin team that they shoot about 35.5% from distance. Lindenwood, not necessarily the world's worst team at being able to guard the arc. We're trying to give them a little bit of a compliment. They're allowing opponents to shoot about 31.5% for three-point range in a roadside shoot court environment, so that helps them out a little bit. But I do think that this is a Lindenwood team that they're outgunned on the glass, they're outgunned offensively, they're outgunned defensively. This is a bunch that they just had to make the jump up to the Division One level for football reasons, and they're clearly not ready. They're going up against a UT Martin team that... It's been a little bit better defensively, giving up 73 points or fewer three of the last four games. Fully recognize that Martin outside the top two are in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But against this really rough Lindenwood team, I do think that they're going to be able to get it done and cover this summer, while I think Lindenwood doesn't do their part with this total. So, 72-153, diving under. And with UT Martin, willing to lay up to 14.5 with them. 725-726 on the main board. Tennessee State hits the road to face off against Eastern Illinois. Eastern Illinois does find themselves as a one-point underdog in your total between 137 and 138. I agree with this. I set Tennessee State as a two and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the small number. Eastern Illinois has been good with regards to being able to generate turnovers. That thanks to Tiger Booker. He missed the first few games of the season in the 16 games that he's been out there for. 15 points, 2.8 assists, 2.3 steals per contest for an Eastern Illinois team that they're playing very slowly outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game, but they do a really nice job of being able to give you some nice production with shooting 34% from three, not turning the ball over, 10.2 turnovers per contest, but this is also an Eastern Illinois team that, while they do a solid job of being able to win the turnover battle, they lose from beyond the arc. They are 351st in all of college basketball. With regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, with opponents shooting 39.1% from three-point range against them at home, and for Tennessee State, with Jason Gibido now in the fold, he comes over from Florida, he's giving you multiple blocks, five-plus rebounds per contest, it makes an uphill battle for the team down low. It's a Tennessee State team that they're not great, but they're not terrible with regards to their defense. Tennessee State turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. They're within the top 225. They're allowing opponents to shoot 37% from distance in a roadside shoot to environment compared to 21.7% at home, but I do think that the guard play is going to be just enough for them to be able to get it done. Got a lot of guys that are giving you in that neighborhood of about 10.5 to 12.5 points per contest as you've got a trio of guys, EJ Bellinger, Keenan Hodges, Jalen Jones all on that fold, and all three of these guys give you between 4.3 and 5.4 boards per contest. They've been able to combine for about 3.5 seals per game, and then Bellinger and Jones both shoot above 36.5% from 3, and Christian Brown is your main scorer, 14.5 points, shoots 41.5% from 3 point range. Outside of Jibido, you don't really have a massive post presence for the team, but Michael Shanks has come in from Belmont. He's been able to give you about a tree 
three of rebounds, seven points per game, and he's a guy with six foot six guys that is able to pop it from three. Doesn't necessarily do so overly efficiently, but he's able to give you a little bit of versatility. And this has been a Tennessee State team that has been very good with their defense recently, giving up fewer than 70 points so far in the last five games. Eastern Illinois, their defense has been just fine. They have given up fewer than 70 points in each of their last three games. I do think that Tennessee State is able to provide a little bit more in the backcourt. I think that this team, just in general, has a little bit more talent. And with Jibido down low, I do think that they're going to be able to win that battle and be able to take this one. So I did set Tennessee State as a 2.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay up to 2 with them. And somebody told 136.5. Eastern Illinois playing quite slowly. Tennessee State, it's not been a blazer either. So here at 137.5 to 138, looking at the under. And I'm going to be willing to lay the small number of Tennessee State. 727, 728 on the main board. VMI is the road face off against Western Carolina. Western Carolina. A 20 to a 20 and a half point favorite. Total on this game, 150. Southwestern Carolina is a 22 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this summer. VMI is actually giving you a little bit of a better effort in the last few games, but. I just don't know how they match up with Vontarius Wolbright, one of the most versatile players in all of college basketball. 21.7 points, 12.8 rebounds, 5.3 assists per contest. He's able to pop three. He doesn't necessarily do that overly tremendously, but 20-plus points and 10-plus rebounds in each of the last five games with four-plus assists in every single one of them. This is for a VMI team that is well outside the top 275 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Now, they've got a good rebounder of their own, and Tayshaw Jackson has been able to give you 8.5 points, 10.5 rebounds per game. It does shoot 36.5% from 3, and as a whole, VMI, they do shoot 34.7% from the outside. That's relatively solid. And so this is also a VMI team that turns the ball over 16.8 times for contest. In terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, that's one of the worst marks in all of college basketball. Now, they do get to go up against a Western Carolina team that is allowing opponents to shoot 42% from three-point range at home. I feel like that's quite a bit of an outlier, and I do think that that's going to iron out a little bit. And surprisingly for VMI, despite the fact that they had those back-to-back games against Furman along with Sanford, where they gave up 100-plus points, this team is actually giving up more than five points fewer per one in possessions this season rather than last year. They're actually within the top 325. There's points a lot on a per possession basis, but this is also a Western Carolina team that around Wolbright, you do have a trio of nice guards and Ronald Jones along with Trey Jackson, DJ Campbell, who have all been able to supply the team with a combined about 36 half points per contest with Jones shoots 39.5% from three-point and Western Carolina, they play at a slow pace. They're well outside the uh, top 275 with regards to total possessions per game, but they only turn the ball over about 10.5 times per contest despite the fact that they do give it up from three-point range. This is also a team that they rank 121st in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They once again do give up about 6.1 points more per one hundred possessions at home rather than at a roadside shoot corner environment. And it's been a little bit of a funk for them. They have now lost three straight games, but hasn't really been due to the defense. If you take a look at regulation play, because they played UNC Greensboro in a little bit of an overtime slobber knocker, this team has given up 75 points or fewer in really every one of their games against a Division One foe ever since the beginning of the month of December, and the 75 that they gave up was to Sanford. So I do think that they're going to be able to do a nice job bottling up VMI, who's been a little bit better on defense recently. After the 100-plus that they were giving up on the regular, they've been able to lock it down a little bit more. They got the message across there, but this is also a VMI team that isn't amazing with regards to their offense. They have now scored 73 points or fewer in four out of their last five games if you're looking in regulation. And 
excluding that Wofford game that went to overtime. This is a VMI team that in games that wrapped up in regulation, they have been able to exceed the 73-point plateau, I believe, once in their last 12 games. So I actually do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower-scoring affair. VMI seems to be taking a little bit of a different approach here, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under semi-total 150, but with Western Carolina, I do think that they win the rebound battle. They're a more efficient defense, offense, and VMI just way too sloppy with the ball. So willing to lay up to 21.5 with Western Carolina and looking at the under 729-730 on the bank board. Troy is going to be playing us to South Alabama. South Alabama does find themselves as 8-8.5 to point underdog. So those between 149.5 and 150.5. And with Troy, I did set them as a favorite of 7 points. So I'm going to be taking a look at the points in this spot. At South Alabama, last time these two teams played, they were able to get a 74-71 to win. Now, I don't think that they're going to be able to take the season sweep. And in that game, South Alabama went 9 of 20 from 3, 9 of 30 for Troy. And I do think that that's going to iron out a little bit more. As This is a South Alabama team that has been outside the top 250 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. And when it comes to South Alabama, they are a bottom one on our team with regards to their rebound rate. They're halfway decent at being able to guard the arc, and they actually hold opponents to shooting 30.3% from three-point range in a roadside shoot court environment, which is a big reason why I did set my total at a 147. So this is going to be one of these ordeals where I do take a look at the under, but when it comes to Troy, they themselves have been able to play some relatively solid defense. You've got Tristan, Eugene, along with Titan Conaway, who have been able to combine for about 28, 29 points per contest. Now, Troy, they allow opponents to shoot about 35.5% from three-par range overall this season, but that goes down to about 32.1% from three-par range when they're at home. And for South Alabama, Isaiah Gator has been very rock solid for the team. He's been able to give you about 16 or so points per contest in the last game that these two teams played. He was able to register 13, but this is a a Troy team that I think should be able to win the battle down low as well as South Alabama just has absolutely nothing going with regards to rebounding and for Troy even though right now you don't have anyone other than Thomas Dowd that really gives you north of 5.2 rebounds per game this is a team that has a collective they're about a middle of the road team with regards to their rebound rate and this is been a Troy team that's really been able to ball hawk and generate turnovers out of your top six scores five of them have been able to give you at least one seal per contest going up against the South Alabama team that they have been turning the ball over 12 plus times per contest first time these two teams met South Alabama did have a little bit of a tough time taking care of the ball and I do think that that is going to be lingering once again in this one as Troy in terms of turnovers force on a per possession basis they have been a team that ranks 43rd in the country with this regard and it really does go up at home and for South Alabama. This has never been a team that really has been able to put a lot of pressure on teams. They are 259th in the country with this regard and with this Troy team. With them turning the ball over about 13 times for contest, that has been a little bit of a kryptonite of theirs with Amir Muhammad being able to chip in there about 2.5 assists, a seal 10.5 points per contest. Also having Dowd along with Mr. Rigsby combined shoot about 37.5% from three-point inches. Miles Rigsby has been able to give you 9.5 points per contest. Troy doing a good job of being able to rebound by committee. I do think that the Trojans get their revenge by I do think that this has went a little bit too far. Typically, South Alabama has been a little bit better with their defense than they have been this season, and it has been a relatively rough year in general for South Alabama, but this is also a Troy team that they themselves, they've been all over the place with regards to their offense, so I do think that this might be just a little bit of a bad matchup in general for Troy. I did set my line at a 7, so going to be one 
take the points with South Alabama. Made my total a 147, so also going under. 731, 732 on the betting board. UC Davis plays those to UC San Diego. UC San Diego just find themselves as an underdog of two points. Turtle on this game is 140, and with San Diego, set them as an underdog of two points. So we're going to wait and see on a little bit of movement. Right now, I'm seeing Circa going to a 2.5, and, and if we can get those 2.5s across the board, that'll be my buy point on UC San Diego, a team that does rank in the top 125 terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, and for San Diego. It's all about firing all cylinders down low. Emmanuel Shaminga has been a little bit in and out of the fold, but what he's been in, he's been able to give you about six rebounds per game. This for a UC San Diego team that in terms of their rebound rate out of the 362 Division I teams, they're clocking in about 209th, but this is also a UC Davis team that they rely so heavily on what you're able to get out of Elijah Pepper. It's been absolutely tremendous, but he needs a little bit more help for a team that's middle of the road with regards to the rebound rate. They're about 172nd in all of college basketball. Pepper peppering in there. 21.5 points, 5 boards, shoots 40% for 3. For a team as a whole, they shoot 35.5% from distance, and this is a solid UC Davis team. I'm not going to call it amazing by any stretch of the imagination, but there's a point slot on a per-possession basis. UC Davis is a top 100 team. As a matter of fact, they're a top 50 team. They're a team that they only give up 4.1 points more per 100 possessions when they leave home as well, so they've been relatively consistent with that regard. Ty Johnson, 16 points, 4 assists. He's been the main helper for Elijah Pepper, but outside of Pepper Johnson along Kane Milling, who's able to give you 10 points per contest. Nobody else gives you north of 6.5 points per game. Got a little bit more balance with UC San Diego, despite having a go-to score on Bryce Pope, who's able to give you 18.5 points per contest. You've got Tyler McGee, Francis Norworke, who are combining for 26 points per contest. McGee missed about half the season since he's returned, shooting 42.5% from three-point range, and he's really been able to elevate the defense, even though he delivers a lot on the offensive side of things for McGee. In the last four games that he's been out there for this team, because he's been banged up, he's been in and out of the fold. They have given up 65 points or fewer in three of them, and if you want to go back a little bit further, since he's been able to get into the fold, this team has given up north of 72 points just twice. That was the UC Irvine, and that was to an up-tempo Long Beach State team. So UC San Diego is playing much better defense with McGee out there on the floor. Norwalk K is able to do a relatively solid job down low. It's a San Diego team that's only turned the ball over 10 times for contest while shooting about 35.5% from three-point Really like what the San Diego team has been able to do now for this UC Davis team. They are looking to play a little bit more up-tempo as well. These are two teams that are relatively mid-tempo. Not super-duper fast, not super-duper slow, but I think that this is an up-and-tuck game. I think that this is going to come down to some late-game follows, and both of these teams have been relatively efficient with regards to their offense. So, I did set my total at 142. I'm going to be looking at the over in this spot, and at anything north of two, take the points with UC San Diego. Sub-33, sub-34, on the betting board. Illinois Chicago It's a road face off against Belmont. And Belmont is a 4.5 to a 5 point favorite with your total 151.5 with Belmont. I did set them as a favorite of just 2.5 points. So I'm going to be looking at the points with UIC. UIC continues to be a top 40 team with regards to opponents 3 point shooting percentage and that's exactly what Belmont is looking to do. Belmont is looking to go bombs away from 3 point range. You've got a pair of guys with good versatility that have really stroked it from 3 point range. That would be Cade Tyson along with Malik Dia. They are combining for about 34.6 points per contest. They both give you between 5 and 5.5 five and rebounds per game. And for Tyson, he shoots 43.5% from 3. Dia, 36.5% for distance. And all in all, it is a Belmont team that they do shoot 37.2% from 3 par range. But UIC has been able to do a tremendous job holding up on that front now. With this Illinois-Chicago team, offense has been suspect, to say the least. They are 253rd in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, but your big two, Antobi Okani, Isaiah Rivera, they're combining for about 25.5 points per contest. Rivera shooting 41% from three-point. And it is a UCI team that is shooting about 37% from three. 
The 64.5% free throw shooting is a little bit less than terrific, but now they get a Belmont team that's outside the top 250 with regards points allowed on a per possession basis, and Belmont can really get gashed from three-point range themselves. 249th in the country with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, though. They allow opponents to shoot 38.2% from distance away from home, just 29.4% at home. I buy into UIC's defense a little bit more than I do the uh, Belmont defense, so I do think that both of these teams are going to be having their struggles with regards to offense. I did set my total 148.5 looking at the under as it is a UIC team that, I mean, they're a relatively mid-tempo team. They're not going to play super fast. They're not going to be playing super slow. And this is a Belmont team that at times, they are very willing to run. They're a little bit more of a go-with-the-flow team. 72nd in the country with regards to total possessions per game. But here in conference play, they have really been slowed down. And in their last three games, they've seen a tempo shift of about six possessions per game fewer than normal. So I do think that this is a UIC team that they're going to be able to do a solid job holding up on the glasses of a Belmont team that, really, other than Malik Dia, you really haven't been able to get a lot of rebounding. And for UIC, it's not been a team that's been tremendous on the glass, but Toby Okani is able to give you about six and a half or so rebounds per contest. Philip Staboski has been able to do a relatively solid job giving you something down low for UIC. They're about 280th in the country with regards to rebound rate. Belmont 284. So I do think that UIC holds in there with their defense. Going to be looking at the under semi line at a 148.5 there. And anything north of three, take the points with UIC. 735, 736 on the main board. Iowa hits the road face off against Michigan. This is a pick'em game with your total between 162 and 163. And I set Michigan as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this small number. Keep in mind, Doug McDaniel, he is active for this game. The suspension is only on road games. Why that is, I have absolutely no idea. I went to school for radio TV film, not for these specifics, but... That's it. When it comes to this Iowa team, they just are such a different team with regards to their offense in a road slash huge court environment rather than at home. And even at home, the offense has failed to get past 75 points in each of their last two games. For this Iowa team, they're still 28th in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, but they're averaging 15.2 points fewer per 100 possessions when they leave home. Ben Cricky has been rock solid for the team, 16 points, 5 boards, shooting 38.5% from three barns, but this is an Iowa team that despite the fact that they take care of the ball, they only turn the ball over 10 times for contest. It is a team that from time to time, they can be a little bit inefficient with regards to what they're able to get from beyond the arc, so that's something that you always need to be mindful of, and it's an Iowa team that has been a little bit better with regards to being up at the glass. You've got four separate guys. They're able to give you at least four rebounds per game. They'll Olivier Kamwa for Michigan, 15 plus points, seven plus boards, shoots up well from three-point range. This is an Iowa team that's currently clocking in 183rd in all of college basketball with regards to their rebound rate. Michigan, they're about 116th, but for Michigan, man, this defense is rough. Outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and really both of these defenses are a mess. It's not even necessarily that these offenses are tremendous. I recognize that Iowa is 28th in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. That's fool's gold. They played against absolutely nobody out of conference, but that said, Iowa, 168th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, giving up 16.7 points more per one earned possessions when they leave home. Michigan, 293rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Just absolutely brutal, but Got a Michigan team shooting 37.5% from three points. The 12.5 turnovers per game, not tremendous, but this is an Iowa team that they really don't generate a lot of turnovers. You've been able to get about 12.5 points, 4.5 boards, and 43% three-point shooting out of Terrence Williams. Nabari Burnett, when he's on his game, he's actually really on his game. He's averaging about 9.5 points per contest, but you just don't know what you're going to be able to get night in and night out out of him. Iowa actually a halfway decent three-point shooting defense, allowing opponents to shoot 28.8% from three-point in a road slash shoot court environment but they get completely tattooed down low. Meanwhile, for Michigan, they allow opponents to shoot 
only about 32.5% from three at home, 38% when they're away from home. I do think that Iowa, just them being outside the cover Hawkeye Arena, not going to bode well for them. So I did set Michigan as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number in. I think that both of these defenses really give it up. Semi-total 164, looking at the over, and I'm willing to take Michigan on this pick and line. Some 37, some 38 on the betting board. Northern Colorado, it's where they're facing off against Idaho. Idaho does find themselves as a... Underdog of 5.5 to 6 points. So it's between 150.5 and 151. And with Ido, I did set them as an underdog of 3 points. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Northern Colorado. This has been a rocket shit up on offense. 80 plus points scored in now 6 out of their last 9 games. But also 343rd in all of college basketball with regards to opponents' 3 point shooting percentage. Meanwhile, this is an Ido team that they have really been getting gashed with regards to their 3 point shooting defense, allowing opponents to shoot 37.3% from 3 point range at home. So I do think that you're getting plenty of points up on the board in this one. I saw my total at 153, despite the fact that you do have an Idaho team as well inside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game. So I am going to be taking a look at this total over. It is a Northern Colorado team that is going to have by far the best player out there on the floor, and that would be Mr. St. Thomas. St. Thomas has been able to give you about 19 to 20 points, 7 plus boards, 3 plus assists, chips in there, a block, a steal per contest. He has been tremendous. And Riley Abercrombie at 6'9", he's able to give you about 9 points. He's able to shoot in the high 30s from 3 points. Meanwhile, for Ido, it's a little bit more holes greater than some of its parts. Julius Mims, Quinn Denker, they've combined for 24 points. You've got 7 boards per contest out of Mims, and he shoots 40% from 3 points for an Ido team that only turned the ball over about 11 times per contest. But when it comes to side team. They just have a really, really inefficient defense that even when they're at home in Moscow, it just doesn't see as big of a bump as you'd like it to. Ido, 299th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, and while they give up about 14.8 points fewer per one arm possessions at home, it's still a relatively brutal bunch. Meanwhile, when it comes to Northern Colorado, this team is 303rd in the country with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, but I do think that for Northern Colorado, they're going to be able to win the battle down low. You've been able to get a little bit more out of DeShure Reeves, who's been able to give you about 14 points per contest, and the Saito team, other than Mims, you don't have a single guy in the roster that gives you north of four and a half rebounds per game. You were expecting a little bit more of Taron Frank. He just really hasn't developed for this team after coming over from TCU and Vanderbilt. Ido, 316th in the country with regards to rebound rate. Not to say that Northern Colorado is anything amazing, but they're clocking in more on to an eight. So this is a spot where I do think that Northern Colorado should be able to get it done. But once again, it's a funky travel spot. Ido has been a bit better with regards to their defense when they have been at home. And both of these teams really do give it up. So I did set my total at a 153. I'm going to be looking at the over and anything north of three. Take the points with Ido. 739, 740 on the betting board. Liberty hits the road face off against Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State is an underdog of five to five and a half points. So this game is saying between 130 and a half and 131. I made Liberty a four and a half point favorite. So five or more, I'm willing to take the points in this ordeal because you've got a Liberty team that has already lost to Jacksonville State and Jacksonville State is really able to take away what Liberty does well. Liberty is looking to bomb it from three-point range. They play slow. They play under control. Jacksonville, they play slow. They're not necessarily in the world's greatest control as they do turn the ball over north of 12 times per contest, but these are two teams that they both play to just where they're really willing to pride themselves on defense. Both of these teams are looking to cut off the three-point arc as well. Liberty, they're in the top one with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, allowing opponents to shoot just 29.8% from distance at home. Jacksonville State, though, they've actually been the better three-point shooting defense. Jacksonville State is allowing opponents to shoot only about 32.5% from three-point range as far this season, so they're relative equals with that regard. And when it comes to the Jacksonville State team, they do actually have the 
best scorer out there on the floor. That'd be Kai Kai Tandy, who's come in from Xavier. He's been able to do a solid job, giving the team right around 19 points per contest. And while this Jacksonville State team doesn't have supreme rebounding, you've got Jawan Purdue, Lonathan Marcellius, Brigham. These two guys, they've been able to give you about 10, 10 and a half rebounds per game. And that is going to be a place where Liberty outguns them, as Liberty has Joe Van Sant, who's been able to give you about seven boards per contest. I do think that Jacksonville is going to be able to do a good job of holding in there. And for Jacksonville, it's a whole greater than some of its parts with regards to the rebounding. Because even though they've only got one guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game, they're 60th in all of college basketball with regards to their overall rebound rate. Liberty is more around 180. 7th and for Liberty, the team just has not been the same recently. They have won each other their last two games, but they're 2-3 out of their last five. This has been an offense that has gotten to at least 76 points in each other their last three games, but they've been tattooed for 69 plus points in now three out of their last five games. It has been an up-and-down season for them, to say the least. And for Jacksonville State, they themselves come in having lost three straight games, having given up north of 70 points in all three of their games ever since they took down Liberty by kind of 61-51, to 51. but I just feel like this is a bad matchup in general for Liberty. Last time around, they shot 9-34 of 34 from three-point range, and I think that they're going to do a little bit of a better job here. I think that Liberty is going to be able to get their revenge, but I do think that this is going to be a relatively close game against two teams that really do mirror each other. So, set my line at 4.5. Here at the 5, I'm going to be willing to take the points. Neither team got past 62 the first time around. I think we see a little bit more offense, but I think my total 128.5. Both of these teams outside the top 250 with regards to total possessions per game. So, looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to take the points with Jacksonville. 741, 742 on the betting board. Mount St. Mary's is playing us a rider. Rider does find themselves as an underdog of 4.5 to 5 points. So, on between 143.5 and 144.5 with Ryder. I did set this as a six-point line for them being an underdog. So here at 4.5 to 5, I'm going to be willing to lay with Mount St. Mary's. Mount St. Mary's has had a tough time taking care of the ball. They are outside the top 325 in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, but feels like it's gotten better for them recently as for Mount St. Mary's, you've been able to get good production. I've decoded a few in the backcourt. The biggest issue for him was that he was turning the ball over very much towards the beginning part of the season. It's still 15 turnovers per contest for this Mount St. Mary's team, but Nadella is proving a little bit. He and Deontay Montgomery have been able to combine for about 3.6 steals per contest. They're both shooting about 345 to 35.5% from three-part range. Now, outside of Montgomery and Lafeu, you don't have a single guy that really gives you a north of 8.5 points per contest. And for Mount St. Mary's, they're another one of those teams that ranks in the top 125 with regards to rebound rate, despite the fact that their top rebounder is Joey Cordelia with about 4.8 rebounds per game. Riders should be able to match them on the glass. You've got Mervyn James. You've also got TJ Weeks, Tyreek Ingram. They all give you between 6.3 and 6.8 rebounds per game. Ingram and Weeks are combined for about 18.5 points per contest. And Weeks he was a perennial about 35% three-point shooter at UMass, shooting 35% this season. And Mervyn James is now shooting 41.5% from the outside, but Riders still is shooting just 31% from three-point. And they go up against the Mount St. Mary's team that is in the top 50 nationally in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. And Riders turns the ball over 13 times for contest. This is also a rider team that doesn't do a great job of guarding the arc. They're 224th in all of college basketball. The guards of opponents three-point shooting percentage. Mount St. Mary's clocking in more around 197th, but they're allowing opponents to shoot just 28.5% from three-point range at home, north of 34.5% in a roadside shoot-to-court environment. I do think that this is a little bit of a rough matchup for Ryder with the way that they don't really take care of the ball. And with Mount St. Mary's 
It's been an up and down year for them, but they seem to be rounding into form. They seem to be figuring things out without Jalen Benjamin in the fold. So I did set my line at six. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. And I'm right in the middle with regards to the total. I set my total at 144. We're seeing as low as a 143.5 out there, as high as a 144.5. Personally, I would rather take the 143.5 over rather than the 144.5 under because I do think that there's a case to be made for some late game falling. So at this current number, we'll be looking at the over on 143.5 and one delay it with Mount St. Mary. 743, 744 on the betting board. Utah Tech gets a road face off against Tarleton State. Tarleton State, a 7.5 to an 8 point favorite. And your total, that is 139.5 with Tarleton State. I did set them as a favorite of 8 points. So here at a 7.5, it's a maximum willing to lay, but I'm going to be willing to lay it. Tarleton State does rank in the top 40 nationally in terms of turnovers force on a per possession basis and they get a treat because they get to go up against a Utah Tech team that's been turning the ball over right around about 15 and a half times for contest. This is just a really bad matchup in general for a Utah Tech team that they're a relatively okay three-point shooting team. This team has core. They're shooting about 34% from three but 64% of the free throw line and the 16 turnovers per game. That's a big giant issue. Plus you don't necessarily get a ton down low. Tanner Christensen, beyond Riley, these two guys they've been able to combine for about 12 rebounds per game. Riley gives you 10 points on 46% three-point shooting in. It's all a 43% three-point shooter in David Elliott, but he was in the fold, and then he was injured, and then he tried to come back, and now he's injured once again. So that's been an issue for Utah Tech. Meanwhile, for Tarleton State, I would be willing to set this line a little bit bigger, but my goodness, this is a team that they need to up their three-point shooting just a little bit. They're only shooting about 29% from three-point range. That's the bottom 25 mark in all of college basketball for Tarleton State because they do gamble for turnovers. That does leave them a little bit vulnerable on the defense side of things. They are a team that ranks just 289th in the country with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, but you have been able to have quite a bit of production out of Corey Smith, who's been able to do a good job supplying about a seal and a half per contest, 14 and a half points per game, and this is another by committee, just sort of generate turnovers sort of team, as your top five scores, all but one of them, have been able to generate at least 1.3 seals per contest. The only exception is Kai Andre Caddy, who is a six foot six, really good rebounder for this team, who's able to give you about seven and a half boards per contest. And Carlton State, while they are always going to have a little bit of a deficiency on the glass, just because that's the way that works with a lot of these teams that they sell out for turnovers and they play the style like Tarleton State, Abilene Christian does. They haven't been able to do the world's worst job on the glass. They're about 217th in the country with regards to rebound rate. Utah Tech is 287. So here in the spot, I did make it to where I'm going to be willing to lay this number. Don't want to be going anything further than a 7.5, but I'm going to be willing to lay the 7.5. Did something total 146 as well. I think that Utah Tech, a team as well outside the top 250 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis and it's given up 75 plus in far their last five. Going to get gashed by a Tarleton State team has gotten to at least 70 in each other last three games, and Tarleton State themselves is a lot north of 70 points in each other last five games. So, looking over and going to be one to lay with Tarleton State. 745, 746 on the banking board. Georgia Tech is sitting the road face off against Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech an 8.5 to a 9 point favorite in your total. That is between 145.5 and 147 with Georgia Tech. Set them as an underdog of 8 points. So, here at the 8.5 to 9, I'm going to be one to take those points. It is a Virginia Tech team that, after a little bit of a rough start to the season, they've gotten back into the top one with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis, and they're doing a halfway decent job down low. Certainly not one of the best rebound rate teams in all of college basketball, but Lynn Kidd has been able to give you six half boards, 14 points per game. I do think that they're going to be up against it a little bit with a Georgia Tech team that, in terms of percentage of missed shots that result in an offensive rebound, this team is in the top 45 nationally. Bay and Nongo has been very tremendous with this regard. 13 points, eight half boards, she's 
39.7% from three-point range. And the guy that has really been able to elevate this Georgia Tech team is Nathan George. He was a bit of an afterthought towards the beginning part of the season, but ever since he has really been starting to get more quality minutes, the team has been able to elevate more and more. He's been able to give the team double-figure amount of points in each out of the last four games, and in each out of the last six games that he has played, he has given the team at least four assists, and he's had one turnover or fewer in all but two of these games as well. So he's not turning the ball for a lot. It helps out a Georgia Tech team that still has some liabilities with their offense. They shoot 32% from three, 67% at the free line. Going up against a Virginia Tech team that is a relatively solid team at being able to guard the arc. They're a top 95 team with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. And for Georgia Tech, their perimeter defense has really been all over the place this season. At times, it's tremendous. At times, it's absolutely awful. They're currently 97th in the country with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. So they should be able to do a relatively solid job here, though you do have Sean Padula, who continues to give you 16-plus points, four-plus assists per contest. Hunter Couture has been able to shoot it well from three-point range at north of 40% once again this season. And this is a Virginia Tech team that, while they aren't hitting the same on offense as they have in past years, it's still a relatively efficient bunch. 115th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis and they get a bump of about 19.1 points more per 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside search court environment. But I do think that Georgia Tech going to be able to go on the road, hold in there as both of these teams aren't necessarily super-duper slow. Neither of these teams are super up-tempo. So my total 144. So I'm going to be looking at the under of Virginia Tech. Made them an 8-point favorite. So you're at 8.5 to 9. Going to be looking at Georgia Tech with the points. 747, 748 on the betting board. Washington State plays close to Colorado. Colorado, a one to one and a half point favorite, and your total is between 144 and a half to 145 and a half. So Washington State as a favorite of two points. So I'm going to be looking at them all right on the money line. Colorado was really able to erupt a few nights ago against Washington, much to the delight of our DK Network right a pick. That said, this has been a Colorado team that has not been the same team defensively when they've been away from home rather than when they have been at home. This is a Colorado bunch that all of a sudden reinforcements are coming in for this team and that has been able to help them out offensively as now you're getting about 15 and a half points per game out of Cody Williams. He's able to shoot 52% for three and I think we're going to see a fall off there and with this Colorado team. They have been a little bit stark with regards to the way that they are shooting at home versus on the road. It's a Colorado team that in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. This is a team that they're clocking in 23rd in all of college basketball, but they're shooting right around about 40-41% from three-point range at home in a roadside shoot record environment. It's more around 33% from distance. And you've got a Washington State team that's been able to do a really good job of just being able to man things down low for one and for two. This is a Washington State team that out there in Pullman, they've got a really good home court advantage of their own. They are scoring about 17 half points more per 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. And then when you take a look at the defensive side of things, Washington State, they have been one of your better defenses out there in the Pac-12. They're giving up about 7.7 points fewer per 100 possessions when they are at home. You've been able to have Andre Yagmovsky do a good job of teaming up with Isaac Jones for about 14 or so rebounds per game. It is a Colorado team that does have Eddie Lampkin give you about 7.5 rebounds per game, but you've had Miles Rice chip in their 15 half points. He shoots about 34% from three. It's a Washington State team that also does a nice job not beating themselves. Only about 10.5 turnovers per game for Colorado. More like 13 turnovers per game. I do think that the little things are going to be playing very big in this spot. It's a Washington State team that they have been getting a little bit more barbecued on defense recently, though. 
One of the games in which they did give up quite a few points was against Cal, and that was a game that was 68-68 to going into overtime. So if you're looking at regulation and regulation only, this is a Washington State team that since their last loss to Colorado, that was 74-67 to just before the new year. They've now given up 70 points or fewer in five out of their last seven games, and in that loss to Colorado, Colorado won four of nine from three par range, and even though Colorado got the win, they were badly slowed down in that one. I do think that Washington State, once again, going to be able to get their tempo, and I think that this time around in Pullman, they get it done. I'm looking at Washington State outright on the money line, and with regards to the total, did some my total at a 144. So here at a 145, 145 and a half, diving under and taking Washington State on the money line. 749, 750 on the bank board. Sam Houston State plays us to UTEP. UTEP is an underdog of 4 to 5 points. So on this game between 143 and 143 and a half. Since Sam Houston State as a six-point favorite, I'm going to be willing to lay the four to five with Sam Houston State. This has been a team that has been a little bit of a work in progress all season long as this team they had to replace their coach and Jason Newton, but this is once again, much like they were a season ago, a whole is greater than the sum of its parts team. They do have pretty much eight to nine separate guys that do play meaningful minutes for them, and with Sam Houston State, it's not an amazing defense. It's not quite what it was a season ago, but this is still a team that they're clocking in in the top 150 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis going up against a UTEP team that they very much gamble for turnovers. This team is in the top three nationally in terms of turnovers for us on a per-possession basis. And despite that, they're right around about 70th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And it leads to a lot of volatility. If UTEP is getting their turnovers, this team can hold you to below 55 points. If they're not, they're going to give up 75 plus. There's no in-between there. And when it comes to this Texas El Paso offense, 310th in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. And they're scoring about 17.5 points fewer for one arm possessions when they're away from home. At State Hardy has been able to give you about 39% three-point shooting, two and a half assists, two seals, 15 and a half points per game, and you got Zid Boom Boom Powell, who's been able to do a nice job teaming up with Otis Frazier with about 3.8 steals per contest. They've combined for about 22 points per game, but outside of Tay Hardy, you've got one other guy on the roster that really shoots it even remotely decent from three-point range. Elijah Jones, 37% three-point shooter, five and a half points per contest. Past that, everyone else who averages north of 3.4 points per contest shoots 28.1% or worse from three-point range. Meanwhile, for Sam Houston, this team as a collective, they only shoot about 33% from the outside, but you've got a team that does a good job of being a rebound by committee as Keon Scroggins, Subdul, Dumbilia, along with Damar Nichols. These guys have all been able to give you about five to six rebounds per game. Lamar Wilkerson has been able to give you about 15 points per contest. He shoots 37% from three-point range, and this is going to be a Sam Houston State team that is going to look to take it to a UTEP team that down low, they just really don't provide a lot of fly because UTEP is selling out for turnovers. They really neglect what they're able to do in the post. They are seventh in all of college basketball with regards to their rebound rate. Not to say the Sam Houston State is by any means amazing. They're about 180th, but I do think the Sam Houston State is going to control things down low. They've got a nice point guard in Jaden Ray who's able to give you about four assists per contest. It is a team that has been turning the ball for about 12 and a half times per contest, but with this UTEP team. Again, you just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of this offense night in, night out. Meanwhile, the defense, it has been getting carved up just a little bit more. They've given up now 68-plus points in far of the last five games. And for Sam Houston State, they've been able to rise up with their defense as well, giving up 74 or fewer in three of their last four games. This is a spot where I said Sam Houston State as a six-point favorite. UTEP just a different team on the road. I'm going to be willing to lay the number in. Didn't make my total 136 with the way that UTEP just doesn't score on the road. So, looking under, and we're going to be willing to lay with Sam Houston State. 751, 752 on the bang board. Arizona has a road face off against Oregon. Oregon does find themselves as an underdog at home of three to three and a half points. So, it's anywhere between 157 and a half and 159. 
I did set Arizona as a six and a half point favorite. The loss against Oregon State was unsightly, and this has become an all or nothing Arizona team, though. If you look at that game against Oregon State, they did truly get unlucky from three point range. Oregon State was hitting shots that they never ever hit. Part of that was shaky defense. There is that aspect of it. But that said, I expect a much better effort out of Tommy Lloyd's team. I'm going to be willing to take them in this spot. It's an Oregon team that now is back in the fold in Folly Dante. He's been able to give you 14 points, 9 rebounds when he's been out there on the floor, but you just never know when he's going to go down with an injury. I wish I could say it any other way, but it's very true. And in the last two games, he's been firing all cylinders, 39 points, 16 rebounds, 5 blocks in these two games. And you have to like what you've been able to get out of Jackson Shell said in the backcourt, 39.5% three-point shooter, 13 points per game, but... This is an Oregon unit that they're outside the top 100 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They go up against an Arizona team that certainly, they do have their woes with regards to their three-point shooting defense, but even with everything taken into account from a few nights ago, this is an Arizona team that does rank in the top 75 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and Oregon is open for business for giving up threes as well. They allow opponents to shoot 34.5% from three, 29.2% from three-point range at home, 40.8% away from home, and I do think that with Arizona you're going to be able to get the best out of Caleb Love in this one. He's been able to give you 17 points per contest, and even if he's off his game, you've still got guys like Appel Larson, who's able to shoot 47.5% from three, 13 points per contest. You've had Kylan Boswell do a really good job of giving this team 9.5 points, 3.7 assists per contest, and as a matter of fact, for Arizona, of your top five scores, three of them do give you at least 3.2 assists per contest, and then you've got Umar Ball along Kishad Johnson. Combined for about 15.5 rebounds per game as well for Arizona. Even though they play at a harebrained up-tempo speed, they only turn the ball over about 12.5 times per contest. Jermaine Cuisard has been able to give you 14.5 points per game for this Oregon bunch, but for Arizona, they, prior to that game against Oregon State, were doing a relatively solid job defensively. Having given up 73 points or fewer in each of their previous five games, I think that that was a case where they were just catching a falling knife. Meanwhile, for Oregon, this has been a defense that has given up 73-plus in far of their last five games. I do think that you're going to see Arizona be able to exert their will offensively. I said my total 160 and a half. I'm looking at the over. And for Arizona, I think that they bounce back. I'm willing to lay up to six with them. 753, 754 on the bang board. Appalachia State plays us as James Madison. Our nation's fourth president is a one and a half to a two point underdog. Totals between 145 and 145 and a half. Last time these two teams played, James Madison was unable to get past the 65 point plateau and they lost at home to Appalachian State. I think they get revenge. I set James Madison as a three point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number down. I still do think that this is going to be a very low scoring slog. Appalachian State has been tremendous with their defense. Last time these two teams played, Appalachian State won by a count of 59 to 55. And after James Madison was just a rocket ship on offense towards the beginning part of the season, it's actually been the defense that's been much more efficient. James Madison is 12th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. This is an Appalachian State team that they are currently, in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, 23rd in off college basketball. And both of these teams travel. Appalachian State, top 20 team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, away from home. Neither of these teams are necessarily lights out with regards to their rebounding. You've got TJ Bickerstaff on one side giving you about eight or so rebounds per game. And then you've got Trayvon Spillers, who's maybe going to be 13 half points, eight half boards for this Appalachian State team. But both of these teams have a lot of interchangeable pieces. Both of these teams have depth. Appalachian State, best shot blocker out there on the floor. And Justin Abson give you about 2.7 blocks per contest. But Appalachian State, they do shoot 65% of the free line and 31% from three-point range. And a nip-and-tuck game that does have to make you very nervous. James Madison, more of a mid-30s three-point shooting team. And when it comes to 
what we saw the last time around. James Addison went just 3 of 17 from 3. They actually did a relatively solid job of being able to win the turnover battle 23 to 13. They did get outgunned on the glass, and I do think that that's going to be the case once again, but this James Madison team does a nice job of being able to rip the ball away. You've got Terrence Edwards, who's able to give you about 16.5 points, 3.5 assists per contest. This is a James Madison team that they only turned the ball over about 11 times per contest as well. And right now with this James Madison team, you've got eight different guys that give you at least 6.4 points per contest. I just think that this is a good spot for James Madison to get revenge. I do think that you're going to see much more than the grand total of, I believe, if my math serves me correctly, 114 points in the last game. That said, I do th- still think that this is going to be a defense-first, slow slobber knocker of a game. So I did set my channel 141, looking at the under with James Madison. Made them the three-point favorite. I think that they get their revenge. So looking at James Madison on the money line and the under. 755, 756 on the betting board. Indiana State plays us or Bradley. Bradley is a 7.5 to an 8-point underdog. So on this game, it's 152. I did set Bradley as an underdog of 6 points. I'm going to be willing to take these points. These two teams played a little bit earlier in the season. Indiana State was able to get to 85 points, and they were able to get it done. And that really led to the rise of Bradley. Bradley was dealing with some injuries towards the early part of the season. Connor Hickman missed a few games. Malevi Leons, he was never really hurt, but you could tell that he wasn't necessarily 100%. And for this Bradley team, they come in riding high. Nine-game win streak for the team. And the defense, it's looking like the defense of old for Bradley. As they've now given up 72 points or fewer in all of these games in this win streak. It's a Bradley team that's out clocking in the top 75 with regards to points a lot on a per-possession basis, and they've been able to get some relatively balanced rebounding. Malevi Leon's along Darius Hanna have been able to combine for about 12.5 to 13 rebounds per game. They do have to go up against a bunch in Indiana State that they've got everything going on. You've got Robbie Avila, who's saying 6 foot 10. He does amazing work, giving you about 4.5 assists, 16 points, 7.5 rebounds per game. It's a Sycamore team that ranks in the top 40 nationally in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, and this is an Indiana State offense that it travels in a roadside shoot court environment, unlike a lot of teams that typically they see a fall off of a tremendous amount. They're still right there. They're seventh in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis overall. And I believe that they're either seventh or eighth in a roadside shoot court environment. This Indiana State team as a whole, they are shooting 41% from three points. But this Bradley team has been able to muscle up and they've been able to do a good job for one down low. And for two, they're now guarding the three-point arc much better. They are allowing opponents to shoot just 32.6% from three. I will say they are allowing opponents to shoot 35% from three-point at home, 29.4% in a roadside shoot record environment. So with Bradley doing a much better job of being able to guard the arc on the road, I do think that it's going to allow this Bradley team to be able to hold in there and allow them to be lively. I did set my total at a 152. Right now, we're seeing a lot of 152, but we are seeing some 152 and a half, and I do expect this number to continue to go northward, so going to be looking at the under in this spot, but for Bradley, I think that they lose the season series. I do think that they hold in there. Won't take anything north of six with them, and looking at the under. 757, 758 on the betting board. Drake is playing us to Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa does find themselves as underdogs of eight to eight and a half points. Trolls between 142 and a half and 143. I did set Northern Iowa as an underdog of 7.5 points. Here at 8+, plus, I'm going to be willing to take the points. It's a Northern Iowa team that has been a relative train wreck with their defense all season long, but 
Ever since the turn of the new year, this Northern Iowa team has been much better now. They are still just 276 in all of college basketball with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, but for Northern Iowa, there was a time when this team was in the bottom 75 nationally. There's a points allowed on a per-possession basis. 177 doesn't sound great, but in their last six games, they have been giving up more than seven points fewer per one hour possessions rather than their first part of the season. They're going up against a Drake team that is one of the most balanced teams in all of college basketball. You've got Tucker DeVries, the son of the coach in Mr. DeVries, who's been able to do a tremendous job of just leading this team in so many different respects. He's been able to give them about three to three and a half assists, 20 points, north of seven rebounds per game, and then Darnell Brody down low is able to give you about eight and a half rebounds per game. Going up against a Northern Iowa team that they really don't have ideal size, yet somehow, some way, Northern Iowa does a great job of just being able to add all their parts together, and they do an okay job on the glass. About 155th in all of college basketball with regards to their rebound rate. Drake is right around 102nd, and for Drake, credit where credit is due, this has been a defense that has been pretty rock solid all season long. Top 60 team in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and this is a Drake team that they do see a very nice bump with their at-home. 13.2 points fewer given up per one-arm possessions at home rather than in a roadside shooter court environment, but you do have to go up against Nathan Isey and Bowen Barn, both giving you about 14.5 points per contest. Isey shooting 41.5% from the outside against a Northern Iowa team that while they've had their deficiencies on the defensive side of things, offense has always been there for this team. They are a team that has only turned the ball over about 10.7 times for contest. Drake, not a team that's really going to be looking to rip the ball away, and this is a Drake team that can be had from the outside. They are 167th at all of college basketball with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, with Titan Anderson being able to give you about two assists, six half rebounds, a steal per contest at 6-6, six six, having all sorts of versatility. I do think that this is a Northern Iowa team that's going to be able to hold in there against a Drake team that they were riding a really nice win streak, and I mean, it's been a defense that has been pretty tremendous. They lost their last game against Missouri State in double overtime, but that was a game that was 65-65 to 65 in regulation, so if you're looking at regulation, if you're looking at regulation only, the team has now given up 71 points or fewer in all but two of their games ever since the beginning of the month of December. Meanwhile, it's a Northern Iowa team that they've now given up 72 points or fewer in each out of their last five games. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a lower-scoring slog. I did set Northern Iowa as a underdog of 7.5 points, so being able to get a plus, I'm going to be willing to take the points. And with regards to total, I did set it at a 143.5, mainly because I do think that you're going to get some late game falling in. These are two still very good and efficient offensive teams, even though things get slowed down. I do like this total at a 142.5, 43 over to go along with points with Northern Iowa. 759, 760 on the betting board. Middle Tennessee plays us a Florida National. FIU finds themselves as underdogs of 2 to 2.5 points. So long's game is there between 138 and 138.5. Got this completely reversed. I set Florida National as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be looking at them outright on the money line. This is a Middle Tennessee team that continues to be outside the top 250 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. And Middle Tennessee does a relatively okay job of being able to guard the arc. They're 140th in the country with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. That going down to about 29.4% when they are at home. But this is a FIU team that they rank in the top 10 nationally with regards to turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. And they've got the nation's leader in steals on their team in Ontario Dean. Now, part of the issue is that you have Ontario Dean having to do a little bit of everything. He's generating north of three steals per contest. He's been able to supply the team with about 12.5 points, 4.7 rebounds, 4.5 assists per game. And you do get some help from Javante Hawkins. Hawkins has been able to tip in their 13 points, shooting 43.5% for three-point range, but 
There's really no rebound need to be had for FIU. They're in the bottom 30 nationally with regards to rebound rate. Jared Coleman-Jones has been able to give you seven rebounds per game for Middle Tennessee, but not like Middle Tennessee is doing a great job with regards to the rebound rate. He's the only guy that gives you north of four and a half rebounds per game on this team, as well as Elias King. Four and a half boards, 12 and a half points per contest, but it's a Middle Tennessee team that they shoot 27.8% from three, 66% of the free throw line with 14 and a half turnovers per game. So they turn the ball over a ton, going up against a team that may make their living being able to generate turnovers and it's a middle Tennessee team that's looking to play a little bit more defense oriented. They're really looking to bury as sticky in the mud as middle Tennessee against D1 competition because they played against quite a few non D1 teams and they played quite a few overtime games. So this is regulation and regulation only against division one teams. Since opening night, they've been able to break the 71 point plateau once. And that was against Jacksonville state where they were able to score 75 points a few nights ago, just to complete another aberration where they went nine of 19 from three point range. I just don't foresee that really duplicating itself once again here against an FIU team that certainly they've got their wolves down low and this has been a team that has been all over the place with their defense. In their last five games, they've given up 70 points or fewer in three of them and then they have given up 78 and 105. So it has been a very volatile team and you find a lot of volatility with these teams that they do generate a lot of turnovers but I think that this is a very good matchup for them and I think that Middle Tennessee is going to go back to sticking it up on offense. Semi-total 136 looking at the internet with FIU made them the two-point favorite Looking at them already, though, on the money line. 761, 762 on the betting board. Richmond plays us to Dayton. Dayton finds themselves as a 3 to 3.5 point favorite. Your total between 133 and 133.5. 7-12-131-half. Looking at the under, I like Richmond outright on the money line. This is a Dayton team that, while they've been able to do a tremendous job offensively this year, they become a top 30 team with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis, and they are lighting it up from three-point range. Dayton, top 10 team nationally, shooting 40.1% from three-point range, and it's traveled. You've got each of your top three scores: Kobe Brea, De'Ron Holmes, Nate Santos, all shooting north of 43% from three-point range, and Holmes, 2.5 assists, 7.5 boards, 2.2 blocks, 19.5 points per game. It is a Dayton team that has slipped a little bit with regards to their defense going up against a Richmond team that is in the top 10 nationally with regards to fewest turnovers on a per possession basis. It is a Dayton team that while they've been playing a little bit better defensively recently, they're still 100th in the country with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. It's a Richmond team that actually ranks 30th and Richmond at home has been nails. They've been giving up about 13 points fewer per one arm possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot to court environment and this is a Dayton team that they can be at a little bit more from the outside as well. Dayton about 100 and 10th in the country with regards to opponents three-point shooting percentage. This is a Richmond team that has been very interesting with regards to their defense and all their versatility, but they're just 26th in the country in terms of opponents three-point shooting percentage, allowing opponents to shoot 26.7% from distance, and I think inevitable regression is coming with the Satan three-point shooting expose. You've got a Richmond team that has to have the King and Jordan King giving you 19 points, two and a half assists, shooting 42.5% for three-point range. Isaac Bigelow has been able to give you six and a half boards, 11 and a half points per game, and for this Richmond team. While they might be a little bit outgunned down low, they do have a guy in 7-footer, Neil Quinn, who's been able to do a nice job, giving you about 6 boards, 13 points per contest. When it comes to rebound rate, Dayton still a relatively solid team at about 152nd, but with all their size, you'd expect them to be a little bit higher up than that. This is a Richmond team that they are 285th, so that is going to be a little bit of an issue for them, but with the way that Richmond is able to lock it down from 3 point range, with the way that they have been so gosh darn efficient on offense, I do think that they get the job done at home. Both of these teams, well outside the top 250, 
50 with regards to total possessions per game, Dayton outside the top 325. So when I had the under semi total 131 half, and I like Richmond outright on the money line. Sub 63, sub 64 on the betting board. George Washington, our nation's first president, plays us a LaSalle. Bold of our nation's first president to lay five and a half and six points in a one on five matchup against a bunch of explorers. So now this game between 153 and 153 and a half. And I like George in this spot. I never said Trenton. I can't go against him. So we're going to be willing to lay it with George Washington. Made him an eight point favorite. It's a George Washington team that, frankly enough, is quite top-heavy with regards to starting five, and then not a lot on the bench, but the starting five is very good, as you've got the likes of Maximus Edwards, James Bishop III, you're able to throw in there Garrett Johnson and Mr. Buchanan. All these guys giving you at least 12.8 points per contest. When it comes to the 15 points and six half boards of Darren Buchanan, also comes with a little bit over a seal per contest, and for George Washington, this is a top-20 team in the country with regards to total possessions per game, but they've really been able to improve their defense this far this season. For George Washington, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, not saying that's supreme or anything like that, but they're 77th in all of college basketball, and they're significantly better at home, giving up 20.6 points here for 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside church corner environment. And for as good of a coach as Fran Dunphy is, he's just outgunned in this spot with LaSalle being about 234th with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. You've had a George Washington team that also shoots north of 38% from three-point. Johnson has been able to shoot 44% from the outside to go along with is 14.5 points per game. Bishop shoots 37% from three. Now, for George Washington, they do turn the ball over about 14 times for contest, and this is a LaSalle team that's able to take the ball away. Khalil Brantley, Anwar Gill, Jamari Brinkus, they combine for about 4.3 seals per contest, and Brinkus shoots 40.5% from three, 14 points per contest, but for LaSalle, despite the fact that they're smart with the ball. They only turn the ball over nine and a half times for contest. They're a team that they don't execute the world's greatest on offense. They only shoot about 33.5% from three points. They go up against the George Washington team that has been able to do a relatively stout job of being able to disallow teams from being able to go bombs away from three points. Opponents are shooting just 28.2% for distance against them at home. Meanwhile, LaSalle, 298th with regards to opponents three-point shooting percent. I think that that's a little bit of doomsday in the spot. And I think that George Washington gets it done. Did set them as an eight-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. And with my total, I did set this at a 154. So I'm going to be willing to lay the number with George Washington. And here at about a 153 to 153 and a half, looking at the over. 765, 766 on the main board. Arkansas plays us Kentucky. Kentucky does find themselves as six half to seven point favorites. And your total as between 163 and a half to 164. I did set Kentucky as a favorite of five and a half points. Here at six plus, I'm going to be willing to take the points. It's an Arkansas team that's brutal. I fully know this. I just still think that this team is going to be able to put on a good showing at Bud Walton Arena. And they just have too much talent to be this terrible as for this Kentucky team. They just continue to really light it up from three-point inch. Top 15 team in all of God's basketball. The guards have fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis, points scored on a per-possession basis, and three-point shooting percentage. Meanwhile, you've got an Arkansas team that is 192nd in all of God's basketball the guards of opponents three-point shooting percentage. Antonio Reeves has been able to give you 17 points per contest. He has been absolutely incredible, but this is still an Arkansas team that despite all of their issues, despite the fact that this has been a dysfunctional and sad mess, this is still a relatively good offensive team. They are a team that at home, they generate about 16 points more per one of possessions rather than in a roadside shooter corner environment. You've got a pair of guys in Kaylee Battle along with Trayvon Mark, 
who have both been able to give you 15 plus points per contest, shooting it well from three point range. The question is, what are you going to be able to get out of some of these ancillary pieces? Are you going to be able to have a rise for someone like a Chandler Lawson, who, when he's been out there, he's been able to give you about a block per contest? You need more down low. Trayvon Brazil, the only guy on the roster that gives you an earth of four rebounds per game. Unfortunately for them, if there is a little bit of a weak spot with Kentucky, it is down low. Even though Aaron Bradshaw is a seven footer that's able to pop threes, he's a little bit of a unicorn with that regard. It is a Kentucky team that, when it comes to their rebound rate, they're a team that they are clocking in while inside the top 75 in the country. They're about 130th with this regard. They do bring in Big Z. He's someone that's going to be able to shoot some threes for this team. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the actual name. Trey Mitchell has been able to give you about 7.5 rebounds per game, but this is a Kentucky team. They, they have been getting carved up recently. 77 plus points surrendered in each other last five games. And it's an Arkansas team that has now scored fewer than 70 points in four of their last five games. I do think that this is a little bit of a get-right spot for them. I still think they lose this game, but I think against a Kentucky team that's giving up points upon points. We see a high-scoring expose. Semi-total at 167.5. Looking over, we'll take six plus here with Arkansas. 767-768 on the bank board. Vanderbilt plays us to Tennessee. Tennessee does find themselves as 13.5 to 14-point favorites. And your total, that is between 142 and 142.5 with Tennessee. I did make them favorites of 14 points, so 13.5 is the max I'm willing to lay, but I'm willing to lay it. This was an opener of 16, by the way, but when it comes to the Tennessee team, you have Dalton Connect connecting from three-point range. He's been able to give you 19 points, shooting 40% from three-point range for the Tennessee team that overall they shoot 34% from three, which doesn't sound impressive, but they're a whole lot better on offense this year than they have been in past years. They're now a top 75 team in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, while still being one of the better teams that you're going to find in all of college basketball and defense. Tenth of the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. They do give up 16.2 points more per one arm possessions in a roadside shoot record environment rather than at home, but you're going up against a Vanderbilt team that has already lost to the likes of Presbyterian at home. Vanderbilt, two are in second in the country with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis. Ezra Magnone has been able to give you 15 points per contest. He's able to dole out the ball, giving you 3.3 assists per game, but 28.5% is what Vanderbilt is shooting from three-point range. That's a bottom 30 mark in all of college basketball. They protect the ball with about 11 turnovers per game, but Colin Smith still being out of the full, being the only guy in the roster that gives you north of 5.1 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, you've got so many guys like Jonas Adu is able to give you 7 rebounds per game. Toby Awaka is someone that I'd like down low, giving you about 5.5 boards per contest. I do think that Tennessee just has way too many weapons in this one. I do think that Tennessee is going to stick Vanderbilt in the mud. I recognize that Vanderbilt isn't an efficient defense, but at the same time, they're very much not an efficient offense. I don't think that this is going to be a super up-tempo game. I set my line at a 14, so I had a 13F, one to lay up with Tennessee, semi total 140, so also looking under. 769, 770 on the bang board. Penn State plays us in Minnesota. Minnesota is an underdog of 2.5 to 3 points, so it's between 150 and 151. As a Penn State as a two and a half point favorite. At three, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Minnesota. Minnesota's been one of your best recovery teams in all of college basketball. And I think Minnesota's a better team here. The reason why I did set Penn State as a favorite is that it's just so gosh darn hard to win on the road in the Big Ten. And it is a Minnesota team that we have seen them start to falter a little bit with regards to their offense. They have now scored 66 points fewer in three of their last four games and four of their last five. But you have been able to have the more efficient point guard in this game in Elijah Hawkins. He actually leads the country with 7.8 assists per contest, 8.5 points. She's 35% from three-point range. And Minnesota is still a top one on our team with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis. It's a Penn State team as well. Has not really been able to light it up from three-point range. And that's where you've got to get this Minnesota team. Minnesota, in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, it's been a little bit ghastly thus far this season. They're allowing opponents to shoot 36.8% from three-point range in a roadside shoot court environment. And it's going to be up to Kudus Wab to contain Dawson Garcia down low. Garcia, 
14.3 points, about 7.5 boards, a steal per contest. Meanwhile, Wahab, he's been able to do a nice job, giving you about 8 rebounds per game, but past that, you really don't have anyone else that gives you north of 5 rebounds per game. Kanye Cleary has been able to give you about 16.5 points per contest, and Ace Baldwin drips in there about 13 points per game, but... Penn State as a whole, they shoot less than 33% for three points. Penn State also 331st in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate with Minnesota having so many guys that are able to give you some ancillary production from three-point range, like a Cam Chrissy, like a Mike Mitchell, giving you about 10 points per contest in Minnesota, being 51st in the country with regards to rebound rate. Now that we're getting to three, I think we've gone too far. Going to be taking a look at the points with Penn State outside the top 150 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but this offense as well has been a little bit all over the place this season, so I did something I told 148.5, diving under, and with three-plus, going to be taking a look at the points with Minnesota. Sub-71, sub-72 on the banging board. UNC Greensboro plays out some Mercer. Mercer does find themselves as an underdog of anywhere between 11.5 to 12 points on this game between 134.5 and 135. Mercer's been pretty undervalued all season long. That's because they don't necessarily do one thing great. But you do have Dale McCreary. He's able to give you about 14.5 points, five boards per contest. It's a Mercer team that's just very milk toast. They're about 223rd in the country with regards to rebound rate. This is a bunch of, in terms of their points allowed on a per-possession basis, it's not terrible, but it's not good enough to really stand out. They're about 205th in the country with this regard. Take a look at them in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. They're clocking in right in the neighborhood about 260th, so... They're very milquetoast with that regard. Meanwhile, you do have a Greensboro team that has ascended into the top one in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. They do register 15 more points per one in possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot-to-court environment. And you've got to love the fact that you've got Mikhail Brown-Jones back to fold. He's been able to give this team right around about 18.5 points per contest. But I foresee regression coming with this UNC Greensboro team with him shooting north of 58.5% from three-point range. Overall, Greensboro shooting 39.5% from three. Love the Langley brothers, Keyshawn Langley, your main score, 13.5 points, 3.5 assists, CNF shooting 38.5% from 3, and then Kobe Langley does a little thing. Shoots 37.5% from distance, 9 points, 6.3 assists, 2.5 steals per contest, but this is also a Greensboro team that isn't necessarily tremendous down low, other than Brown Jones, along with the right around 6 rebounds per game that you get out of Jalen Breath. This can be a team that can be a little bit vulnerable down low, and I will say for Greensboro, throughout much of the season, they've been outside the top 175 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Really turned this around. They've given up 72 points or fewer, and now 8 out of their last 10 games, so after a rough start to the season defensively, they've been able to find their bearings, but this is still a team that's about 227th in all of college basketball with regards to the rebound rate, so I do think that this is a number that's gotten a little bit overinflated, and I do think that this is going to be a low-scoring slog involving a Mercer team that is well outside the top 225 with regards to total possessions per game. So, an ordeal where I did set my line at a 9.5. I'm going to be willing to take double figures here with Mercer. Did set my total at a 133.5. So, also looking at the unders. Sub-73, sub-74 on the betting board. It is Furman. They throw at their facing off against Wofford, and Wofford does find themselves as a underdog of between 5.5, seeing a few stray fives out there as well. Total on this game. They're between 154 and a half and 155. And with Furman, I did set them as a three-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Wofford. This is a Furman team that's been able to get online after they lost to non-Division One Anderson College. But as I said this is still a Furman team that they're right there with Wofford in terms of bad defense. This is a Furman team that's about 181st in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but giving up 13 half points more per one hour possessions when they leave home. This is a Wofford team that they have been quite brutal with their defense, and they're actually a lot. Allowing 5.2 points more 
for one hour possessions at home rather than in a road slash neutral court environment as they're currently clocking in 329th with this regard but I'm going to be willing to take a look at the under it's a Wofford team that towards the beginning part of the season they were really playing faster than they normally do they slowed down just a little bit recently and this is a Furman team that all of a sudden has given up fewer than 70 points in four of their last five games with the lone exception being the 73 that they allowed to ETSU scoring 78 plus points in four of these last five games meanwhile for a Wofford they have been falling on some tough times with their offense it is an offense that I mean in this conference it's actually a small number has scored 75 points or fewer in each other last six games in regulation if you're looking at games that have not gone to overtime so you're looking regulation and regulation only against games involving D1 competition Wofford 75 points or fewer in each other last six but they do have a pair of guys in the backcourt in Corey Tripp along Dylan Bailey that I think are going to be able to keep them lively combining for about 20 and a half points per contest Bailey is able to shoot about 35 and a half percent from three-part engine for Wofford they only turn the ball over about 11 and a half times per contest for Wofford it's going to be imperative for them to be able to win the battle down low as well so you've got Tyler Filewich who's been able to give you about nine three rebounds per game when it comes to rebound rate. Wofford, they're currently clocking in at a rate that is 140th in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, for Furman, that's been a little bit of an issue for this team. Furman, they're about 87th in the country, but you do see a little bit of a drop-off when they do leave home for Furman. You've got pretty much your top rebounder being Alex Williams. He's been able to give you five and a half boards per contest, so Marcus Foster coming back is very big because he was missing for about half the season, so he's compiled fewer overall rebounds than Williams, but when he's out there, six and a half boards, 19 and a half points per game. He's been able to give the team nine plus boards in each of the last three games. He has been a massive addition for the team, but for Furman, they are only shooting about 32.5% from three-par range, and for this Furman team, they're certainly one that is going to they give it up from three-par range as well. With Furman, in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, they're clocking in 130th in all of college basketball, but in a roadside shoot court environment, 36.4% compared to 26.8% at home. So I do think that while Furman is going to be able to get the job done on the road, I do think that the Road Wolves, they are going to catch up with them just a little bit, and Wofford going to be able to remain lively. I did set my line at a three, so I'm going to be taking a look at the points, and this little honor is a set my total 153, 775, 776 on the main board. Fresno State plays those to Air Force. Air Force finds themselves as underdogs of 3.5 to 4 points. Totals between 130 and 130.5. When it comes to Air Force, I did set them as an underdog of 3.5 points, so I'm going to be willing to take the 4 with them. Air Force coming off of 90-plus points against UNLV. I don't foresee that duplicating itself. That said, this has been an Air Force team that has been okay with their defense. I'm not going to call them amazing by any stretch of the imagination, but they're about 177th with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. They're actually giving up right around about 7.5 points fewer per 100 possessions on the road rather than at home. This team has actually traveled really well this season, and it's a Fresno State team that they're 262nd in the country with regards to points a lot on a per-possession basis. This is a Fresno State team that they're certainly giving it up from distance as well. 344th in the country with that regard, and after a hot shooting start to the season for this team with the likes of Donovan, Yap, and company being able to shoot it well from three-par and Xavier to sell both of those guys. Give you about 10 points per contest, shooting in the neighborhood about 35-36% from three-par range. Things have dried up, mainly because this team is turning the ball over right around about 15 times per contest. Bottom 40 team in the country with regards to ball security. Now, they go up against an Air Force team that they do an okay job being able to generate about seven turnovers per contest, but they've got a big three. Ryan Petratus, Evan Taylor, Bo Becker. These three guys have been able to combine for 39 points per contest. Actually, a little bit more than that. They've been able to combine for closer to 49 points per contest with Becker shooting 43.5% from three. 
Taylor shoots 40%. And Petratus, after that triple-double they hung against UNLV, 48%. Now, for Air Force, they need to protect the ball. About 12 and a half turnovers per game out of them as well. But this is, once again, a Fresno State team that they're not doing an amazing job of being able to wrestle the ball away as well. As a matter of fact, when it comes to Air Force, in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, they are the team that's doing it better. Fresno State has sped up a little bit, but they're still a relatively slow and controlled team. While Air Force, even though they're a team that's outside the top there with regards to total possessions per game, they've been quite a bit more efficient with regards to their offense. Running up against the Fresno State team at 283rd with regards to turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. Do fear a little bit of a letdown spot here for Air Force, but being able to get the points that I'm getting, I'm going to be taking a look at that. Set my line at a 3.5, and I did set my total 131.5. It's an Air Force team, very slow, very under control, but their offense has been looking quite a bit better recently, and this is a Fresno State team that I do think is going to allow some open opportunities from three. So looking at the over and the points with Air Force, 777, 778 on the betting board. DePaul, they hit the road, they're facing off against Creighton. Creighton is a 24 to a 24 and a half point favorite. Total on this game, it's 144 and a half. I do think that you're going to continue to have this DePaul team give a little bit more effort after they decided that they were going to be cleaning us with the coaching staff. So I'm going to be willing to take the 24. I set my line at 23. So I don't think that this is a time to sprinkle on the money line. That said, this is a Creighton team that's been a little bit of an all-or-nothing offense. With Creighton, they are a team that's outside the top 250 with regards to total possessions per 40 minutes. So they aren't an up-tempo team, and they very much rely upon three guys, Baylor, Shireman, Trail. Alexander Ryan Kalkrenner. They'll give between 16.3 and 18 points per contest. These three guys have been amazing on the boards, combining for about 21 and a half rebounds per game. The only of these three guys that shoots above 30 and a half percent from three is Shireman, though. You've been able to have Mason Miller come off the bench, shoot 46 and a half percent from distance, but I mean he doesn't get a lot of minutes. Steve Ashworth has been a nice facilitator, but he really doesn't give you a lot of scoring either. It's just hard to win by margin in this one. Now, for DePaul, the team is outside the top two arm with regards to rebound rate. They're outside the top two. 50 with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis, three point shooting percentage defense. They are a team that they themselves actually shoot 35% for three. Chico Carter just shoot 37.5% from the outside chips in their three and a half assists per contest while they themselves turn the ball for 13 and a half times for contest. But one good thing for DePaul. Creighton, bottom 20 team in the country with regards to turnovers for us on a per-possession basis. It is a DePaul team that has gotten completely cooked with regards to their defense. 86-plus points surrendered in each of their last four games. And for this DePaul team, last time they gave up fewer than 80 points in a game was against Georgetown. You take out that Georgetown game and... Well, it's been not great. They have given up north of 80 points in every one of their other Big East games. Meanwhile, for Creighton, they needed triple overtime to be able to get the number that they did against Seton Hall. This has been a team that has been held to below 70 points in now three of their last four games in regulation. The last time they played against DePaul, it was an 84-58 to sort of slobber knocker. Creighton went on the road. They went 12-32 from three-par range. I could see something very similar happening here. I do think that DePaul is going to remain a little bit more lively, show a little bit more fight. So here at north of 23, I'm going to be willing to take the points. And did set my total at a 143, at a 144, 144 and a half. Just don't know if DePaul does their part. And I do think that DePaul is going to put a little bit more emphasis on the defensive side of things. So looking under, and going to be willing to take this Mondo number here with DePaul. 779, 780 on the main board. Cincinnati, yes, we are on a Cincinnati. They're playing us in Central Florida. Central Florida, a 6.5 to a 7-point underdog with your total between 134 and a half and 135. And I did set Cincinnati as an 8-point favorite. Willing to lay the number. This Central Florida team is a top 15 team in all of college basketball. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, but they go up against a Cincinnati team that's in the top 20 nationally with regards to rebound rate with Aziz Mendango coming back in the fold. He was the all-whack defensive player of the year last season who 
who's able to provide north of two and a half blocks per contest. Runs that Utah Valley has come in. He's giving you about a block and a half. He's giving you nine rebounds per game, doing some incredible work for this Cincinnati team. I do think that Central Florida very much going to be up against it. And this is a Central Florida team that they've got some pretty big home and road splits. With regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, Central Florida overall for the season, they're number four in the country, but they are giving up north of 21 points more per one hour possession instead of roadside shoot record environment. Meanwhile, Cincinnati, they're giving up 14 and a half points fewer in a roadside shoot record environment. So I do think that that plays a big factor. Central Florida also a top 125 team with regards to total possessions per game. This is not a team that is shy of running it and gunning it. You've had a Cincinnati team that doesn't necessarily have that true point guard out there. I will say Day-Day Mitchell has been able to give you a little bit more in being able to help out with that regard, but You've really been looking to someone like Asimius Lucatius, who's saying six foot eight. He's able to give you three plus assists per contest, just does a little bit of this and that to be able to help out the team. Meanwhile, for Central Florida, Jalen Sellers has been a pretty solid scorer with 17 points per contest, but he from three point range has only shot about 27.5% from three after last year at Ball State. He shot north of 40% from the outside. It's a Central Florida team as a whole. They are only shooting about 31% from three point range. Now, Central Florida, they've done a good job of being able to guard that three point arc as well. They are a team that is allowing opponents to shoot about 33% for three, but that goes at 39% in a road slash record environment. Just not the same team when they hit the road. And I do think that Cincinnati is going to be able to cover them up in this spot. I did set Cincinnati as an eight-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number, and I did set my total at a 134. It's a Central Florida team that does turn the ball for 13 times for contest. Have my question marks with this offense in a road slash record environment, and it is a Central Florida team that they themselves have been having a tough time getting it going with 65 points or fewer in three other last five games. So looking at the under, and I'm going to be Willing to lay it with Cincinnati, 781-782 on the betting board. Portland State plays us to Montana State. Montana State is a three to a three and a half point underdog in your total between 143 and a half and 145 with Montana State. I did set them as an underdog of two and a half points. So you're at a three plus. I'm going to be one. Take the points. It's a Montana State team that has been outside the top 225 in terms of total possessions per game and points allowed on a per possession basis, but the band that is going to be able to keep them lively in this game, that'd be Robert Ford. Robert Ford only stands right around six feet tall, but this guy does it all. He's able to give you seven plus rebounds. He's able to give you 15 plus points, shooting 40% from three points. He has been absolutely superb for this unit. Meanwhile, you've got a Portland State team that it's a whole is greater than some of its parts collective. After last season, they lost their main point guard in Cam Parker. You don't have a single guy on the roster that gives you north of 10.7 points per contest, but five different guys give between nine and 10.7 points per game with KJ Allen. He's the only guy on the roster that really gives you north of four and a half rebounds per game. So you don't have to wonder how this Portland State team it's going to be out fair on the glass in this one. They've been able to do a relatively solid job by committee. Asmeel Habib has been able to give you about three assists per contest as well, but for Montana State, I think that they're going to be able to remain relatively lively in this game. It's a Montana State team that has been horrible on the glass around 38th in all of college basketball, but once again, Portland State doesn't necessarily have that size to really elicit a lot of fear. They're about 270th with regards to their rebound rate, only shooting about 32.5% from distance as well, and this is a Portland State team that they're going to allow you to have quite a few open opportunities these Portland State, 323rd in all of God's basketball, the guards opponents three-point shooting percentage now. They're allowing opponents to shoot sub-30% from three-point range at home, 40% on the road. So, some big giant splits there, but I do think that for this Montana State team, with them being a top 65 team at being able to guard the arc, that'll be able to keep them in this game. Set my line at two and a half, so at three plus, going to be willing to take the points. Set my total at a 144 and a half as well. I think that this could be close enough for some late game following, but 
Seeing the 145s pop up, looking under and going to be looking at the points. 783, 784 on the betting board. Old Dominion is going to be playing us to Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern does find themselves as an underdog of between 4.5 to 5 points. So it is 152.5 to 153.5. Set Georgia Southern as an underdog of 4.5 points. Here at 5 plus, I'm going to be willing to take those points. With Georgia Southern, Georgia Southern certainly has been rough with regards to their overall play. I believe they've only got four straight-up wins, but Old Dominion with Jeff Jones, their coach, dealing with health issues, being out for the rest of the season, it's just brutal for them. Usually a proud defense, currently outside the top 275 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Lying opponents to shoot 37.8% from three-point engine and road-slash court environment, 310th overall in terms of three-point shooting defense. Not solid this Georgia Southern team is doing anything great, and they're one of the worst rebound rate teams in all of college basketball. Why Carlos Curry is not getting more minutes after he had some plus rebounds per game, world may never know, but... When it comes to Georgia Southern, they themselves 308th in the country with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. And this is an old Dominion team that you've got John C. Jenkins, you've got Vashon Alouette. They've been able to combine for about 33 points per contest. They're combined and shoot it relatively well from three-point range, so they're in relatively good hands there. That said, you take a look at this Georgia Southern team, and now you've been able to have Tyron Moore be able to give you more 14.5 points, shooting darn near 40% from three-point range. It is a Georgia Southern team that they're a below-average three-point shooting team, but that said, both of these teams have really been having their issues on the glass. You've got Dereko Williams, who's been able to give you a few rebounds for Old Dominion, but that said, it really hasn't been a lot of success there, and this is an Old Dominion team that, while they generate eight steals per game, and they really don't turn the ball over like Flod, they do allow a lot of open looks, and for this Georgia Southern team, they've been much better offensively, getting to at least 73 points in four out of the last five games. This is a total that I did set at a 146 half. I just don't think you get enough possessions in this game, despite the fact that Old Dominion, they sped things up. They're now a top 125 team with regards to total possessions per game, but Georgia Southern turns ball over about 13 and a half times for contest. Old Dominion, just in general, even though they shoot it okay from three-point range, they shoot 65.5% the free line. They shoot about 42.5% from the floor. Want to go under, and we'll take five plus here with Georgia Southern. 785, 786 on the banking board. NC State hits a road face-off against Syracuse. Syracuse does find themselves as one to two-point favorites in your total on this game. It is 150 and a half to 151 with Syracuse. I did set them as a favorite of two points. So here at the one, I'm going to be willing to lay the number with NC State. This team has done a nice job of not hurting themselves. A top 15 team in all of college basketball with regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis. That said, this is also a Syracuse team that has been able to do a much better job recently of being able to just lock down on defense stands when they're playing against North Carolina, where they gave up 103 points in that game, but... That said, when it comes to this Syracuse team, they actually come in, haven't given up fewer than 70 points in three of their last five games. You've got Malik Brown, who's been able to give you 9.5.6 rebounds per game. It is a Syracuse team that does rank outside the top 175 with regards to rebound rate, but they do go up against an NC State team that they themselves just don't have anyone other than really Mohamed Diara, who gives you an earth of 5.5 rebounds per game. NC State, with regards to their rebound rate, they're clocking in 220th in all of college basketball. Syracuse, they've been able to do a good job of being able to generate turnovers. About 9 per contest, Malik Brown, Judah Mintz, both give you 2.1 steals per contest, mints, 18.5 points, 4.5 assists, shoots 35% from three-point range. Syracuse as a whole, they're only shooting about 32.5% from distance, but a top 100 team with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage going up against an NC State team that, really other than DJ Turner up horn, shoots 42.5% from three, 15 points per contest, doesn't have a lot of forces from the outside. You don't have anyone else that's averaging more than three points per game that's shooting north of 33.3% from three-point range. Like Michael O'Connell's game, he's been able to allow this NC State team to be as efficient as they are on offense. Just five points, three boards, three assists per contest, but really doesn't turn it over. That said, I do think that Syracuse at home could 
going to be able to get it done in a game where I think that's going to be relatively mid-tempo. I do think that Syracuse is going to be able to do a relatively solid job defensively, and with both teams being even up on the glass, I do think that Syracuse, with Judamans being that top scorer and having someone like a J.J. Sarling give you 10-plus points per contest to be a nice Robin, it's going to be enough to be able to get it done. Going to lay the one with Syracuse. And with this total at a 148, going to be diving in on the under end. I do have to take two breaks here on the podcast. We are about four hours in, so we're going to take our first break here. And coming up next, we'll finish up the rest of the games on the normal Las Vegas betting board right here on Coast Coast Seats with myself, David Peterson, now a part of the Decent Family Podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, 
NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here at Bobby Las Vegas for Custom Custom with myself, Greg Eves Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family and Podcast. Straightforward podcast today, just giving you guys picks and analysis on all these games. Do note because right now I'm doing this and it's like 9.30 p.m. Pacific time and I've already recorded north of four hours. Might be going a little bit shorter with some of these previews, but let's continue on looking at these normal games on the Las Vegas spending board as we continue to hit some bank shots. Today's slate is especially large, so that just means more trips to the window. Hoops is dishing out a second half of bank shots. 787-788 on the bank board. Oregon State plays us at Arizona State. Arizona State, a 2-2.5 point favorite. Your total between 137 and 137.5. 
with Arizona State made them a five and a half point favorite. Could it be one to lay the summer? Oregon State, they were able to erupt a few nights ago against Arizona. I just don't think that Lightning is going to be striking twice as Oregon State, they shot north of 50% in that game. That second half was just absolutely magical. And I just think that with Arizona State, a team that does rank in the top 75 with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis, they're going to be able to hold it down. Now, Arizona State, they're brutal on the glass. They've got only one guy in the roster that gives you north of five rebounds per game. That'd be Jemiah Neal, who's been able to give you about 11 points, six boards per contest. And it's a Arizona State team that they themselves shoot 64% in the free throw line, 31% from three points. So I did sell my total at 133.5, despite the fact that you've got a Arizona State team that's relatively up-tempo. I just don't think they're going to get a lot of scoring in this game. And if you factor out the overtimes for Oregon State, this team is outside of the top 225 with regards to total possessions per game. It is an Arizona State team that is 109th in all of college basketball as well with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. While Jordan Pope has been tremendous for this Oregon State team, he's been able to give you 18 points. Shoots high 30s from three-par inch. And then got some like a Tyler Bladu who's been able to give you about 12 points. That's a relatively solid job of being able to hit the glass. This is still a Oregon State team that while they're going to be a little bit better than Arizona, Arizona State on the glass just because Arizona State they are one of your worst rebound rate teams in all of college basketball. Certainly not a case where I think that they're going to be doing anything tremendous. Oregon State with regards to their rebound rate 246th in all of college basketball. Now for Oregon State they get a nice nudge up with regards to their home court advantage. Corvallis very sleepy place to go to say the least. Dixer Cano is also able to give you 11 points per contest but Jose Perez has been a nice shucker for this Arizona State team. 13 points on 54.5% 3 point shooting. Should see a regression there but Frankie Collins 3 seed 13 and a half points per game going up against a Oregon State team that turns the ball over darn near 13 times for contest. Arizona State, while they do a lot of things poorly, the one thing that they do very well is that they don't turn the ball over. They only turn the ball over about 10 and a half times for contest going up against an Oregon State team that prior to the game that we saw against Arizona, this team had been held to 72 points or fewer in really five out of their last seven games. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring slog. Looking at the under of the Arizona State, want to lay up to five with them. 789, 790 on the betting board. USC is going to be playing us to UCLA. UCLA does find themselves as an underdog of two and a half to three points. Totals between 136 and 136.5. Half. Boogie Ellis remains in question for this USC team. I think he's going to play in this game. I know that Mick Cronin is expecting him to go on this one, but probably not going to be 100%. And with this UCLA team, they've been able to do a pretty tremendous job with regards to their defense all season long, but this has been a USC team that has also been ghastly with regards to their defense. So, in a situation of something's got to give, and a situation where I think we get late game falling, did somebody tell 138 and a half? Looking at the over, it's a UCLA team as well outside the top 250 with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis, but Sebastian Mack, Adam Bona, they've been able to combine for about 26 points per contest. Bona is able to give you six boards, and it is a UCLA team that has been very good with their defense. They're a top 80 team with regards to points a lot on a per-possession basis, and you've been able to get a little bit more in terms of three-point shooting out of Will McClendon, who's been able to shoot about 39% from the outside. He's only giving you about four and a half points per contest, but when they give him opportunities, he's been able to knock it down for three, and Lazar Stefanovic, who last season shot about 37% from three-point range at Utah, he's up to shooting about 33% from distance after a rough start to the season. And this is a USC team that they really don't have anyone on the roster that gives you north of five and a half rebounds per game. By committee, they're a relatively okay rebound rate team as Vincent Iwachuku has been able to give you about five and a half rebounds per game. They still do a relatively okay job with regards to being able to guard the interior, but that certainly has taken a fall off. Joshua Morgan has been able to give you two plus blocks per contest, but when it comes to rebound rate, you've got a USC team that's 
covering right around 150th in all of college basketball. UCLA clocking in more around 165th and Boogie Ellis very much needed for this USC team. He's been able to give them 18 plus points per contest and he's been their main form of outside shooting. Right now he's shooting 45.5% from three points for a team that they shoot overall 35.5% from the outside USC. Top one our team with regards to total possessions per game. They have been turning the ball over though about 14 times per contest and Bronny James he just continues to be very inconsistent. Six points, 2.2 assists per contest has given the team a grand total of 18 points in the team's last four games. Did do a good job of being able to give out 11 assists in the last two games without Boogie Ellis, but that came with eight turnovers as well. I do think that UCLA going to hold up defensively. These have been two pretty sad and rather embarrassing teams. That said, for this UCLA bunch, they've now been able to get to at least 68 points in each other last three games, so against a USC team that's been just getting completely destroyed with regards to their defense. They have given up 80-plus points in each other last two games. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a higher scoring affair with some late game felling and a close one out there in Los Angeles. I did set my line at two and a half, so here at the three, taking a look at the points and set my total one thirty and a half. Also looking over seven ninety one, seven ninety two on the bank board. Portland plays host to San Francisco. The Dons find themselves as a thirteen to a thirteen half point favorite. Totals between one forty nine and one fifty with San Francisco did set them as a favorite of eleven points. I'm going to be one take the points with Portland. Portland does have their woes offensively. They're outside the top two eighty with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. One of the worst teams at being able to guard the arc and three-point range in all of college basketball. And they have been a team that has been brutal on the glass as well. San Francisco, actually a top 50 team with regards to rebound rate, despite the fact that Jonathan Bobo, who gives you 14 points, seven boards. He's the only guy on the roster that gives you north of three and a half rebounds per game. But for Portland, getting you know, two Yamanachi Williams in from Lamar, he's been able to give the team seven plus rebounds since he's been able to get out there on the floor. That's big for a team that's currently just 300 with regards to rebound rate. But Portland has some of the more demonstrative home and road splits they're going to find in all of college basketball. Well, this Portland team, regardless, they're pretty brutal with regards to their defense going up against a Don's team that's in the top 20 nationally with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. It is a Portland team that turns the points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're giving up about 21.2 points fewer per one-hour possessions when they are at home, and Tether Robertson is able to give you 15 points, 5 boards, 5 assists per contest. Chris Olsen has been able to shoot in the high 30s from 3-point range as well, so you've got a Portland team that is able to put the ball in the basket. They are turning the ball over 15 half times for contests, and the Don's, they're a top 50 team with regards to turnovers per possession. You've been able to have Mongolia Mike be able to give you some good versatility. He's shooting 36% from three-point range. And it's a San Francisco team that entering into that game against Gonzaga, top 45 team in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. But it is a little bit of a top-heavy team. You've got Malik Thomas. You've got Marcus Williams being able to ascend for this team as well. And Thomas has been able to shoot 36% from the outside. But I do think that Adon's team, that they travel relatively well. They do a good job on defense. I do think that it's going to be a little bit rough for them going up against a Portland team that they certainly have been getting just destroyed defensively. 85-plus points rendered in each other last five games, but the squad has been able to get to at least 80 points in two other last three as well. Last time these two teams faced off, San Francisco won that game 96-69. to I do think that Portland could be able to do a little bit better than allowing San Francisco to shoot north of 50% from the floor and just completely destroy them in pretty much every aspect of the game. Did some line at 11, so I'm going to be willing to take the points with Portland, and I do think that Portland is going to be looking to play a little bit better defensively, and I do think that the Dons slow this game down just a little bit. 7 total 145, looking at the under and one to take 13 plus here with Portland. 793, 794 on the betting board. St. Louis plays out to UMass. UMass does find themselves as a favorite of between 4 and 5 points. Their total on this game, it is between 156 and 157, and with UMass, I did set them as a favorite of 5.5 points. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with UMass. They have a deal with the injury to Matt Cross, but this is still a team that ranks in the top 50 nationally with regards to rebound rate. They're a top 50 team with regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis, while they themselves might turn the ball over about 11 times per game while ranking in the top 90 nationally with regards to total 
total possessions per game. They go up against the St. Louis team that's still well outside the top 225 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. They get Sincere Parker back in the fold after he got injured in that tournament out in South Carolina to begin the season, but this is a UMass team that I do think that they just outclass a St. Louis team that really doesn't have too much of a home court advantage. Now for this UMass team, they have been able to shoot it well from three-point range, about 36% as a collective. Gibson Jimerson has been able to shoot 37% from the outside, 15.5 points per contest here in Hargrove. A little bit of versatility, 13 points, 5.5 boards for a St. Louis team that they only turned the ball over about 11.8 times per contest, but You've been able to have someone like a Rashul Diggins be able to give you about 11.5 points per contest. UMass still a rough free throw shooting team shooting below 71% at the charity strike, but that's been very much improving for them. And this is the St. Louis team that they are one that gets completely just cooked with regards to giving up wide open threes. With regards to St. Louis in terms of opponents, three-point shooting percentage, they are well outside the top 225 with that regard. Though I will say at home, they're allowing opponents to shoot just 31% for three compared to 38% in a roadside shoot court environment. But this has been a UMass team has been able to step up to the plate with their defense all season long. It is a UMass team that they themselves do a very good job of being able to guard the arc, which is the main lifeblood and the scoring option for the St. Louis team with UMass in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. They're allowing opponents to shoot about 33.5% from three-point range. That should be able to hold up in this spot and allow UMass to get a win, in which I do think that it is going to be a little bit more mid-tempo. It is a UMass team that they've been a bit up and down with regards to their tempo all season long, especially with dealing with ailments, but it is a UMass team that I do think that they're they're going to be able to hold up defensively, and it's a St. Louis team that has now scored 67 points for fear in four of their last five games. So I set my line at a 5.5, going to be one to lay it, and set my total 153.5, looking at the under. 785, 796 on the bang board. Rice, we give our O to Lane Kiffin, go Owls, they play us to Tulsa. Tulsa does find themselves as underdogs of 3 to 3.5 points. Tulsa's game is aimed between 148 to 149 with Tulsa. I did set them as a favorite of two points. I'm going to be looking at them all right on the money line. For Rice, they have had two games this year outside of games played against D2 competition the Southland and the Swack, where they have given up fewer than 80 points. This team is outside the top 225 in terms of points slot on a per-possession basis. Going up against the Tulsa team, then, they've been getting exposed in conference and conference. They're giving up more than 15 points more per one on possessions rather than out of conference. And for Tulsa, they're now 63rd in the country in terms of points slot on a per-possession basis, giving up 17 more points per one on possessions when they're in a roadside shoot court environment rather than when they are at home. But this is also a Rice team that they just haven't had a lot of three-point shooting as well. You've got Makai Mason, along Travis Evie. Combining shoot about 32% from three-point range. Both are double-figure scorers. And the Max Fiedler gives you nine boards, eight points, five assists as a six foot eleven do-it-all player. And it's a race team that they do a relatively solid job of being able to take care of the ball. That said, now they go up against a Tulsa team that while they do turn the ball over quite a bit, they go up against a race team that doesn't force any turnovers whatsoever. For Tulsa, you've been able to have P.J. Hegarty chip in their 19 points. Doesn't necessarily shoot it tremendously from three-point range, but it is a Tulsa team that they themselves generate about eight steals per game. They're a team that, in terms of turnovers, force on a per possession basis above average going up against the Rice team that at home is allowing opponents to shoot 37.7% from the outside with Kobe Williams being able to chip in there. About 2.2 steals, four assists, 13 points per contest. And then guys like Israel Barnes, Jerry Garcia being able to give you about nine to nine and a half points per game. I think that Tulsa has a little bit more depth going up against the Rice team that the offense has now fallen on some tough times in regulation. They have scored 73 points or fewer in each other last four games. Meanwhile, it is a Tulsa team that they themselves with regards to their offense have gone past 70 in each other last four games. So, I did set Tulsa as the two-point favorite. I'm going to be looking at them. All right, on the money line, maybe my total 154 as well. Rice is just getting cooked, so looking at the over 
Carver, and Tulsa on the money line. 797, 798 on the betting board. VCU, it's road faceoff against Davidson. Davidson does find themselves as 1 to 2 point underdogs. So the last game is anywhere between 137.5 to 138.5. I did set VCU as a 2 point favorite, so I'm going to be looking to lay the 1 to 1.5. It is a VCU team that in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. They have been a team that's been in the top 75 throughout much of the campaign. They do now have Joe Bejmili back in the fold. He's able to give this team a nice little sign of life. He, along with Sean so we're out towards the beginning part of the season. They've been combining for about 23 points per contest, and this is a Davidson team that has Grant Huffman doing a little bit of everything. 13 half points, 5 boards, 5 assists, shooting only about 32% from 3 par range, and for Davidson, they're in the bottom 5 in the country with regards to total possessions per game, yet in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, they're 242nd in the country, and they actually give up nearly 4 points more per 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside shooter court environment. They're a bottom 50 defense when they are at home. This is a VCU team that certainly they aren't the same when they're outside the city of Richmond, but that's actually to the positive because they've been giving up two and a half points less per one hour possessions when they do leave home. It's a VCU team that has had back Sholga as a nice concept for this team, being able to give you about 14 and a half points, shooting 38% from three points. All in all, VCU is shooting about 36% from the outside, and they get to go up against a Davidson team that while they do a good job of being able to guard the arc top one team with that regard, they really can be gashed inside. It's a VCU team that is a top 75 team with regards to rebound rate, despite the fact that you've got someone like a David Skogman who's able to give you about six rebounds per game. Davidson having a tough time on glass with VCU being 20th in the country with regards to opponents three-point shooting percentage at 22.6% away from home. I do think that VCU gets it done in a game where I do think that there's going to be some shot making, so I did some my total 140 looking at the over, but with VCU, I do think that they take it to Davidson in the spot. I'm looking at VCU laying that point and a half to go along with the over. 799, 800 on the betting board. Pepperdine is going to be playing us to San Diego. San Diego is a six half point underdog. Your total is 151 after 152 with San Diego. I did set them as an underdog of seven half points. I'm going to be willing to lay it. Pepperdine now is Javon Porter back in the fold. He's been able to give you 13 points, five boards. He's a brother of one Michael Porter and it's a Pepperdine team that have been well outside the top 250 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, but for San Diego. After a relatively good start to the season, found out it was fool's gold as they were beating up on a bunch of really bad competition. Now they find themselves in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, 232nd in all of college basketball. And for San Diego, aside from Steve Jamerson, the second, who's been able to give you about six rebounds per game, this has been a team that really hasn't been able to get a whole lot of anything down low. And it's a Pepperdine team that, while they are going to be giving up their wide open looks from three point range, they're second worst in the country with regards to opponents' three point shooting percentage at home. Opponents are shooting about 32.8% from three. It's the road that is the issue. Opponents do 48% from distance there. So Wayne McKinney, the third, who's been able to give this San Diego team right around 14 points per contest. He should still be able to get a few open looks, but with this Pepperdine team, you've got Houston Mallett, you've got Michael J combining for 33 points per contest. Both of these guys shoot north of 37.5% from three points. I think that they should be able to do just enough in a game where you've got a pair of teams that they don't necessarily play up-tempo. Pepperdine, as a matter of fact, is outside the top three in terms of total possessions per game, but pair of defenses that they just have not been great to say the least. I do think that shot making is going to be here. I think that Pepperdine just has a little bit more shot making in this game. I did set my line at a 7.5. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Pepperdine. Set my total 155.5. So also looking at the over. 801-802. We catch a break. Texas and Louisiana. That's a postponed game because Louisiana played on Friday. So we move on to 803-804 on the betting board. UMKC they play us to South Dakota. South Dakota does find themselves as a 6 to a 6.5 point underdog. Seeing some 7 is out there as well. Totals between 146 and 1. 
147. I did set this line at a five, so I'm going to be taking a look at the points with South Dakota. South Dakota has been a rough defense outside the top 275. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis, and Alan David Abeka Jr., he was one of their top rebounders this season ago. He's seen his minutes slash to fewer than 20 per contest. I have no idea what Marvin Menzies is doing. There's a reason why he's no longer the coach over at UNLV. That said, when it comes to this South Dakota team, they are one that they themselves have been just a little bit wobbly with regards to their defense. They're outside the top 250 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but because Marvin Menzies is a moron and doesn't play David and Becca Jr., they should be able to win the battle down low. Liat Dione is able to give you 13 half points, 10 boards, and if I said UMKC taking the points with them before, I mean South Dakota because, well, I don't really believe in Marvin Menzies, as you can tell, but you've got Boston Holt, who also was a teammate of Dione over at Utah. These two guys for South Dakota have been rock solid, giving you a combined about 24 half points per contest, and now you got back in the full Caleb Stewart. Main scorer is able to shoot about 42.5% from three points, coming off of a 44 spot against Denver. Needless to say, they're very happy that he is back in the fold. South Dakota as a whole, they do turn the ball for about 13 half times for contest, but they do shoot about 36.5% from three points. It is a South Dakota team that's 325th in all of college basketball. The guards points a lot on a per possession basis, but a Kansas City team that's supposed to be providing priding themselves on defense. They are 279th in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis themselves. South Dakota has been able to cook up some really good results on offense recently. Defensively, it's been a little bit more of a work in progress, but when it comes to UMKC, this team as a collective, they're shooting just 32 and a half percent for three, turned the ball over 12 and a half times for contest, and are still dealing with second leading scorer Anderson Kopp being out of the fold. So this is a spot where I set my total at 145 with a UMKC team that in regulation, because they did play a double overtime game against North Dakota State, they had scored 73 points or fewer in three of their last four games. I think that South Dakota going to cool down after that latest expose. I'm going to be taking a look at the under in this spot, and I'm going to be willing to take anything north of five here in South Dakota, 805, 806 on the big board. LSU. It's worth face off against Alabama. Alabama, a favorite of 13 points. Your total is 161 to 162. Set my line at 11.5. I'm going to be willing to take the points with LSU. This is an LSU squad that has really been able to do a better job recently. Ever since, they've been able to get back into the fold. There are guys that were being held out by the two-time transfer rule. I do think that they have been a much better team as LSU. They're really lacking that main point guard. As right now, you've got Jordan Wright who's leading the way with regards to assists. And he's been Mr. Do it all. 16 points, 2.5 assists, 5.5 free bounds per game, but now being able to get Jarius Cook back in there, him being able to give you three assists, a little bit more functionality with the offense. That has been massive for an LSU team that is in the top 50 with regards to turnovers forced on a per possession basis. They get 9.3 steals per game. Now this is an Alabama team that is a top 10 team nationally in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, and they're shooting 39% from three-par range, but with Alabama, this is a team that they can go off the rails a little bit with regards to their offense. This is an LSU team that they certainly aren't like your top 10 team with regards to being able to guard the arc or anything like that, but this is an LSU team that is about 136 with this regard. They've been able to improve ever since Cook has been in the fold. You do have Mark Sears on the flip side for Alabama. Your main scorer in this game, 20 points, 4 boards, 4 assists. He's been able to do a little bit of everything, but for Alabama. They're a top 50 rebound rate team. Despite the fact that Grant Nelson is the only guy in the roster that gives you north of 5.1 rebounds per game, they've really been able to do a nice job by committee of this. Aaron Action Estrada has good versatility. 12.5 points, 5 boards, 4 assists per contest for a team that, in general, has been able to do a nice job just being able to provide some very solid offense. Both Alabama, you never know with this defense. It has been one that's been able to rise up a little bit more recently, but still giving up 74 plus points each other last four games. Meanwhile, this is an LSU squad that they've been 
little bit hot and cold with regards to their offense, but defense has been there all season long. This is a team that's given up now 73 points or fewer in four out of their last six games, and if you want to date it back a little bit further, seven out of their last nine games. So I do think that LSU is going to be able to hold in this game. I did set my total at a 159.5, so here at North of 160, looking at the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at the points with LSU. 807, 808 on the betting board. It is South Dakota State. They throw their facing off against Oral Roberts. Old Bobby Roberts is finding himself as a underdog in this ordeal of anywhere between two to two and a half points. Draw game is anywhere between 155 and a half and 156. And I did set my total at 154. I'm going to be looking at the under while Oral Roberts has been able to do a tremendous job of being able to hit shots there. A top 40 team in all of college basketball with regards to three-point shooting percent with Isaac McBride giving 20 and a half points. Shooting nearly 40% from three-point range. It is an Oral Roberts team that's now outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game. South Dakota State outside the top 300 with regards to total possessions per game. This is a South Dakota State team that's outside the top 300 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis as well. But I do believe that Zeke Mayo is going to be able to allow this team to be able to win the game outright. 18 points, six boards, three and a half assists per contest. But though I do think that South Dakota State gets the outright win. Them shooting 67.5% at the free throw line is a big giant. Whoa, that's the reason why I could only set this number at two. Here at two and a half, I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Horror Roberts. It is a South Dakota State team that does a good job rebounding by committee. Each other top four scores to give you at least four boards per contest. And Oral Roberts, bottom 50 team in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate. As a matter of fact, a bottom 30 team with regards to rebound rate. South Dakota State, they're a little bit better, but it's not like they're necessarily sterling with this regard as well. They're about 170th in the country. And with Oral Roberts being able to get a pair of guys and Jalen Bedford along with Kareem Thompson being able to give you about a combined 28 points. Both of these guys give you about six half boards and shoot north of 40% from three-point range at Oral Roberts. Only turn the ball nine times for contest. I do think that Oral Roberts going to do a solid job here against a South Dakota State team that has been a little bit better with their defense, giving up fewer than 70 points in each of their last two games. It's an Oral Roberts team that has been certainly able to launch with regards to their offense, 74 plus points in four of their last five games. So this is a total that I did set at a 154. think that you come up just short with the sheer amount of possessions in this game. So looking under and at north of two, looking at the points with Oral Roberts. 809-810 on the banking board. St. Thomas is going to be playing us in North Dakota. North Dakota does find themselves as an 8-2 and 8.5 point underdog Totals between 138 and a half and 139. And with St. Thomas, I did set this line at a 9.5. So I'm going to be willing to lay the 8 to 8.5 with them. It's a St. Thomas team that has been able to do a great job being a top 120 defense with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis. And they go up against a North Dakota team that, while they do a nice job taking care of the ball 10 and after a North per game, they just don't have a lot of three point shooting, shooting just 31.1% from three point range. And for North Dakota, this team, with regards to the way that they guard the arc, it has been a nightmare. 302nd in all of college basketball with regards to opponents' three point shooting percentage. So interestingly, they allow opponents to shoot 41.1% from three at home, 33% in a roadside shoot court environment. And this is a St. Thomas team that they've got their woes with regards to the glass. You don't have a single guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game, but not like this North Dakota team is really going to be able to exploit that. They're about 175th with regards to rebound rate. Amir Kulajovic has been able to give you about seven boards per contest. And Tyree Iannaccio, ever since he's gotten into the full 15 points, five and a half boards, three and a half assists out of him ever since transferring over from James Madison, was barred at the beginning of the season due to the two-time waiver rule, but with St. Thomas. Having Parker Jork win along with Raheem Anthony combined for 25.5 points, shooting a combined 38.5% from three with St. Thomas, a top 30 team with regards to protecting the ball, only about 9.1 turnovers per game, having a whole bunch of guys 
four in total be able to give you double figures despite the fact that they play at a bottom 40 pace. I do think that that's going to be able to win out in this spot. It's the St. Thomas team that has been pretty supreme defensively in regulation. They have given up fewer than 70 points in three of their last five games. Meanwhile, they've been able to get to at least 70 points in each of their last four games going up against the North Dakota team that they've given up at least 69 points in each of their last five. So, did Seth St. Thomas as a 9.5 point favorite want to lay the number? Name my total 141F. I do think that there's a chance that this might be close enough for late game falling, but I do think that in the end, St. Thomas Going to be able to get it done against the North Dakota team, giving up a bunch of points. So looking at the over and willing to lay with St. Thomas, 8-11, 8-12 on the betting board. Ohio State It's hard to face off against Northwestern. Northwestern, a 2.5 to a 3-point favorite. And your total, that is between 138.5 and 139.5. And with Ohio State, I did set them as an underdog of 3 points. At the 2.5, I'm going to be willing to lay with a Northwestern team that has been slipping up a little bit more defensively. They're outside the top 1 are with the guards points a lot on a per-possession basis, but Bubui is going to be the best guard out there on the floor. 18.5 points, 5.3 assists per contest while shooting nearly 40% from 3 points. Now, Bruce Orton, assist or turnover ratio of 5. He's been able to do a nice job chipping in there. 16 points, a seal and a half per contest. A little bit hit or miss, so two single-digit performances with regards to scoring in the team's last five games, so you don't know what you're going to be able to get out of him night in and night out. Ohio State has a very clear rebounding advantage. It's Ohio State team, top 75 team with regards to rebound rate. Northwestern, outside the top 200, outside of Brooks Barnheiser, who's been able to give you about 7 rebounds per game for Northwestern. You really don't have a single guy that does give you north of 4.5 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, you've got the likes of Jameson Battle, Roddy Gale, Zed Key, I'll give you between about 4.9 and 5.5 rebounds per game, and then Felix Parra, 2.5 blocks, 7.5 points per contest, but with Ohio State, even though they are very efficient with regards to their offense and really their defense, they've been a top 80 team. With regards to points a lot on a per possession basis, they get cash from three. Allowing opponents to shoot 37% from three par inch in a roadside shoot court environment. James is in battle. They able to get some of it back, shooting 45.5% from distance, 14 points per contest, but with Northwestern, having Ryan Langbord along with Barnes, who I mentioned before, Ty Berry, being able to combine for about 37 to 38 points per contest and all shooting north of 36% from three par inch and North Northwestern, a top 20 team with regards to ball protection, turnovers on a per possession basis. Northwestern should be able to get it done in a game where I do think that both teams had some shots. Semi total 141, looking at the over, and one delay up to 2.5 for Northwestern. 8.13, 8.14 on the betting board. Texas AM plays us to Ole Miss. Ole Miss does find themselves as an underdog of 7.5 points here. Total on this game, you're going to be finding it anywhere between 143 and 144, seeing a few 7s out there as well. And for AM, I did set them as an 8.5 point favorite. I'm going to be one delay the number with Texas AM. One of the worst three point shooting teams at all of college basketball. But Wade Taylor, the fourth, even though he's still shooting sub 30% from three point range, he's giving you 17 plus points, five plus assists, doing a good job of being able to hit the glass as well. And this is a Texas AM team that, after their defense was very ghastly to begin the season, it's starting to come back to them. They're now 113th at all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, giving up 11.5 points fewer per one of possessions at home rather than in a roadside search court environment. And they are going to be going up against a squad that has been very shaky to say the least recently in Ole Miss. It's an Ole Miss team that they had that very big gaudy record to begin the season, but turns out that was probably just a little bit of an aberration. You've got an Ole Miss team that was getting some good three-point shooting variants to go their way as well. It's an Ole Miss team that's still, for the season, is shooting about 38% from three-point range, but Alan Flanagan now shooting some 30% from distance. He, Jalen Murray, Matthew Morrell, they've been able to combine for about 46 points per contest, but this is an Ole Miss team that, despite the fact that you've got Giants of the Earth, Moose Cisse, along with Jamarian Sharp, they're outside the top 150 with regards to rebound rate. Sharp is able to give you about three blocks per contest. He say about 1.2 blocks per contest. And for the credit of Ole Miss, they only turned the ball over about 10.5 times per contest, going up against a Texas A&M team that they do generate about 7.5 seals per contest. But the recent form of Texas A&M, very good defensively, giving up fewer than 70 points in three out of their last five games. Meanwhile, it's an Ole Miss team that may have been getting 
Not as many stops recently, north of 80 points runner in three of their last five games. Kick the tar out of Arkansas, but I think speaks a little bit more to Arkansas, and I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a step-up spot that is going to be very difficult for them to be able to respond in. I do think that A&M steps up with their defense. So if I told 142.5, looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay up to eight points with A&M. 815, 816 on the bank board. Weber State plays outside Idaho State. Idaho State an 11.5 to a 12.5 point underdog. Your total on game between 135 and 135.5 with Idaho State. I did set them as an underdog of 13.5 points. So I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Weber State. It's all about the Jones. Dylan Jones. He's able to give you 18 points, 10 boards, 4 assists per contest for a Weber State team that they are one of the top 50 teams in all of college basketball in terms of ball security. They don't turn it over very often. And with Idaho State, just because you play slowly and they're outside the top 3 in terms of total possessions per game, doesn't mean that you play a defense tremendously. They're outside the top 240 with regards points a lot on a per possession basis. And it's an Idaho State team that is going to leave you open from 3 point range. Idaho State, with regards to opponent's 3 point shooting percentage, 260th in all of college basketball. Now, they've been able to get some relatively good production out. Braden Parker has been able to give you about 13.5 points, chipping in there about 5 boards per contest. And Kyrie Huey has been able to give you about 6 rebounds per game. But this is a Weber State team that has Steve Verplank can give you 12 points on 38.5% 3 point shooting. All in all for Weber State, they do shoot about 35.5% from 3 point range. And this is an Idaho State team that they themselves have been having a little bit of a rough time being able to take care of the ball north of 12 and a half turnovers per game as the tempo that they play, despite the fact that Malik Arrington gives you about four and a half assists per contest, that's a bit of an issue. And I do think that Weber State, a team that is in the top 130 with regards to points a lot on a per-possession basis, going to keep this low scoring in a game that it's not going to feature a lot of possessions between two teams outside the top 275 with regards to total possessions per game. Set by total 133 and a half, diving under, and with Weber State, bundle up to 13 with them. 817-818 on the betting board. Montana has a road face-off against Sacramento State. Sac State finds itself as between 6.5 and 7-point underdogs. Total between 137.5 and 138. I did set Sacramento State as an underdog of 7 points. So, at the 6 half, that's the max I'm going to be willing to lay with Montana. Montana has now been able to get very hot from 3 point range. Was a brutal start to the season for Aiden Moody, but Moody... He's out to shooting about 36.5% from three since the beginning of the month of December, shooting well north of 40% from three point range. And then you've got a pair of guys into Sean Thomas along with Brandon and Windy. They're combining to shoot about 45% from the outside with 22 points between the two of them. Now, this is a Montana team that is relatively rough with regards to the glass in terms of their rebound rate. This team is clocking in right around about 122nd. They've got Lalu, okay, who's been able to give you about seven boards per contest. And typically, Sacramento State is a team that is going to maul you quite a bit down low with that David Patrick style, but haven't been doing as much of that this season because they have been turning the ball over a ton. They've been turning the ball over north of 16 times for contest, but they still do a nice job of being able to get some second and third chances. Top 45 team naturally with regards to rebound rate with Duncan Boom Boom Powell doing a little bit of everything. 13 points, 8 boards, 2.5 assists, not shooting it too well from 3-point range as as a whole. Sacramento State, they're only shooting about 32% from 3-point range, but Brandon Betson, a couple of Dawson Patterson, these two guys have been able to combine for about 17.5 points per contest when they've been out there as a collective. Betson right now dealing with a little bit of an injury. Probably not going to be back for this one, but Z Harmoda, he is out there. He's shooting 35% from 3 point range. And Nicole Mowain, he's been a little bit of an afterthought this season. He came over from Oklahoma, but he's been able to do a little bit of a better job of hitting the glass. He's been able to give the team 3 plus rebounds and now 4 out of the team's last 5 games. I do think that with the way that Sacramento State hits the glass, it's going to allow them to remain in this game, but this is a mind Montana team that does a much better job of being able to take care of the ball at Sacramento State. They're outside the top 200 with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage going up against a Montana team that has been much better defensively as well, giving up 72 points or fewer in three of the last four games. Meanwhile, it's a Sacramento State team that has scored 66 points or fewer in three of the last four games and 71 or fewer in four of the last five. So, set Montana as a seven-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the numbers. Did set my total at a 137, so also diving under. 819, 820.
money on the bank board. It is Cal State Fullerton playing us at uh, Cal State Bakersfield. Meet me, the Roadrunners, between four and a half and five point underdogs. So it is 129 to 129 and a half. Made Bakersfield an underdog of three and a half points. So at four plus, I'm going to be willing to take the points. It is a Bakersfield team that has Caleb Higgins out there. And I think that he's going to be able to go toe-to-toe with the main scorer, Max Jones, on the flip side for Fullerton. Both of these guys are able to give you 15 plus points per contest. Both of these teams probably rely way too much on their offense between these two gentlemen. But when it comes to Bakersfield, you know that there's a slow and controlled style out there. Meanwhile, it feels like Fullerton is just a rudderless bunch. They lost a lot from last year. Dominic Bruton has been able to give you 14 and a half points. Seal and a half per contest. And it's a Fullerton team that they now shoot about 32% from three-point range. But outside of Jones, along with Grace Garper, shooting 38.5% from three-point range. Nobody else on the roster shoots about 30% from the outside. And this is a Bakersfield team that where you want to hurt them is from the outside. As this is a Bakersfield team that despite the fact that Bodessas Conqueras is the only guy on the roster that really gives you north of five and a half rebounds per game, they should be able to play relatively even up on the glass against Fullerton. It is a Bakersfield team that they are 250th in all of college basketball. The guards opponents three point shooting percentage, but they're allowing opponents to shoot 39.4% at home, more like 33% in a roadside search corner environment. Fullerton, still a relatively solid three-point shooting defense. We're in 23rd in all of college basketball, but with having Higgins being able to give you all that he is with this Bakersfield team, cutting down on the turnovers, they're down to about 11.8 turnovers per game, and now being able to get just a little bit more production out of Max McGee, who's been able to shoot about 35% from three-point range. I do think that Bakersfield holds in there in a game involving two teams while outside the top 200 with regards to total possessions per game. And if you look at regulation and regulation only, because Bakersfield has played a pair of games that went to overtime recently, the squad has done a good job holding each other last five opponents to fewer than 70 points. Meanwhile, for Fullerton, they themselves have a lot fewer than 70 points in each other last three games. I think that you're in for a little bit of a slog, so I'm going to be taking a look at this Bakersfield team catching 4+. plus. I did some my total 131.5. I think we've gone down a little bit too far because I do think that this will be close enough for late game felling. Looking at the over, some my total 131.5 and taking a look at the points with Bakersfield. 821-822 on the bank board. Utah is a road face-off against Washington. Washington is between a pick-em to a one-point underdog total. It's between 157.5 and 159 said Washington as a underdog of one and a half points. So this is a spot where I'm going to be uh, taking a look at Utah, one to lay up to one with them. It's Washington team that's well outside the top 120 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis and getting cooked from three-point range against a Utah team that they've been able to do a nice job with their overall versatility. They have been missing Raleigh Worcester the last few games. He's been dealing with a little bit of an injury, main facilitator with about five and a half assists per contest, but you've got Davion Jones. He's done a nice job as floor general recently. 10 points, 5 assists, shooting 40% from 3 points for a Utah team that overall they shoot 37% from 3. Now, with Utah they are giving up north of 25 points more per 1 hour possessions in a roadside shooter court environment rather than at home, but Brandon Carlson is able to give you 17 points, 6 at boards, 35% 3 points shooter. Gabe Madsen continues to shoot north of 43.5% from the outside. They go up against a Washington team that is outside the top 75 with regards to rebound rate. You've got Keon Brooks so he will give you 20.5 points, 7 boards, shoots about 39.5% from three-point range, but with Fran and Kepidog still being out of the fold for the team. You don't have a lot of size on low. Outside of Brooks, you don't have a single other guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game. But Walsavier Wheeler gives you five and a half assists and right around 15 and a half points per contest with three and a half turnovers per game. That's been a little bit costly. It's a Utah team that they themselves have been turning the ball over a little bit more recently, but 73 plus points in four of their last five games. Defense has been very much all over the place recently, but it's at the very least gotten a little bit more range rather than just being bad like Washington's has been. They have given up at least 73 points points 
in each of their last four games. And this is a squad that they have now given up at least 72 points in all but one out of their last seven games. So I do take a look at this spot. And I do think the Washington is going to give it up, though. I do think that Utah going to be a hold up defensively against the Washington team that's hit or miss from three parting shoots. Set my total at 155 and a half. Looking at the under, and I'm going to lay up to one with Utah. 823, 824 on the main board. UNLV is on the road facing off against San Jose State. San Jose State is a three to three and a half point underdog. Your total on this game between 146 and 147. Say UNLV is a three point favorite. And after what we saw against Air Force, that was probably very, very generous. I'm willing to take the three and a half with San Jose State. San Jose State is still a relatively slower team there outside the top 240 with regards to total possessions per game. But this is a San Jose State team that, though they are very top heavy, they've got really four main scorers on this team. They do get a lot of production on these guys as you've got Alvaro Cardenas who's been able to give you 6 assists, 13 points per contest and all their top 4 scores by the way shoot at least 37.2% from 3 point range you've got Tibet Gronair along with Myron Amy Jr. your top 2 scores combined for about 29.5 points both give you about four and a half rebounds per game, and then you've been able to have Trey Anderson be able to give you about five boards per contest. Going up against the UNLV team, that they've actually got a really nice point guard on their team. They've been able to get about six assists, double figure amount of points of Adrian Thomas, who's been able to shoot well north of 37% from three points. Now that you've got both the Broom brothers out there, it should help out UNLV with regards to their rebound rate, but they're still outside the top 250 with regards to their rebound rate. It has been a San Jose State team has been unsightly ghastly with regards to their defense during the 80th in the country. With points a lot on a per possession basis and they're giving up 6.4 points more per one on possessions at home rather than in a road slash court environment but this is also UNLV team that's 277th of the country with regards to their points a lot on a per possession basis so they give up fewer points per possession on the road rather than at home both of these teams have been having a really rough time of being able to guard the three-point arc we saw that on full display for UNLV few nights ago against Air Force, but UNLV, in terms of opponents, three-point shooting percentage, 297th in all of college basketball for San Jose State. They're clocking in more in that neighborhood of about 325th, so I do think that you're going to see both of these teams in a lower tempo game be able to hit some shots. I did set my total at a 141 here at a 146 or a 147 half. I think that we've gone a little bit too far. I do think that this is a UNLV team that's starting to trend downward a little bit more with regards to their offense and with the Boom Brothers and after what we saw against Air Force. I do think that they're going to get the message that they're going to need to defend just a little bit more. Meanwhile, it is a San Jose State team that they themselves have been able to get to at least 70 points in each of their last four games. Defense has been in a little bit of a pressure cooker, but they've went up against some of the top teams in the conference. I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a muted game. Going to be taking a look at the under and at north of three. Going to be taking a look at San Jose State. 825-826 on the banging board. It is UC Irvine. Zob for the Anteaters. They play us to CSUN. Cal State Northridge, a 14-point underdog. Your total on this game between 147 and 147 half. Did set CSUN as an 11.5-point underdog. I'm going to be one to take the points. CSUN has really fallen on some tough times recently, but this is still a top 100 team with regards to rebound rate and points a lot on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, for UC Irvine, though they have cranked up their tempo for past years, this team is starting to become that defense that we all know and love. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, Irvine, 17th in all of college basketball, actually giving up 4.5 points fewer per 100 possessions in a roadside-shoot-court environment rather than at home, and they've been very efficient with regards to their offense. Big reason why Pierre Cockrell, Six assists to only about 2.3 turnovers per game. You've got a big three in Darren Sarin, along with Andre Henry, Justin Owen. All these guys give you a double-figure amount of points, combining for about 34 points per contest, and they combine to shoot about 39.5% from three-point range. All while the team turns the ball over only about 12 times per contest. It is a CSUN team that has done a solid job being able to come up with about 8.5 seals per contest. Each of your top five scores do give you at least a seal per contest. And then you've got Deshaun Allen-Eikens, Deontay Bostic, combining for about 32 points, combining to shoot about 
about 36.5% from three-point range. And this has been a CSUN team that has not been shy about being able to give some of their best performances on the road as well. It is a CSUN team that, with their 14-plus turnovers per game, it has really hurt their offense, but they're actually scoring a half a point more per one hour possessions in a roadside shoot court environment rather than at home. They only shoot about 31% from three-point range going up against a UC Irvine team that has been able to do a nice job via ball on the glass, especially with Bet Lutkin coming into the fold. He's been a guy that's been a little bit banged up, and for Irvine, they do allow opponents to shoot 34.5% from three-point range at home. This is a CSUN team that has been a little bit over the place with regards to their defense recently, but still a team that is allowing opponents to shoot just 33% from three-point range in a roadside shoot court environment. CSUN, a top 75 team with regards to total possessions per game, and it is a CSUN team that they have given up north of 70 points in three out of their last four games and four out of their last five games. Meanwhile, for Irvine, they have been able to get to at least 72 points in three out of their last five. I do think that this game is going to be sped up. I think Irvine is going to be able to win and win this game by double figures, but I think we went too far. So my number at 11 half. Will and take the points here with CSUN and did semi total 145.5. So at 145 or less, going to be taking a look at the over as well. 627, 628 on the bank board. Loyola Marymount hits the road face off against St. Mary's. St. Mary's finds themselves as between 15 to 15 and a half point favorites here. Total on this game are between 130.5 and 131.5 with Loyola Marymount. I did set them as a uh, underdog of 14.5 points. You're at 15 plus. I'm going to be willing to take those points. It is the St. Mary's team that is still outside the top 100 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. But man, is this team back in full force? Eight of Mahaney, he's now been able to give you about 14.5 points per contest. It's the St. Mary's team that has done a good job by committee of being able to hit the glass as well. Mitchell Saxon, Joshua Jefferson, they've been able to combine for about 14.5 rebounds per game, and that's going to be tough for Loyola Marymount because Kelly Leo Pepe, who was very solid for the team a season ago, was able to give the team 13.6 boards per contest. He has still been just a little bit out of sorts, though even with that, Loyola Marymount, they've only got one guy that's giving you north of 5.5 rebounds per game in Alex Merkfeld as they're actually 65th in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate. So they've been able to do a relatively solid job there. That doesn't compare to St. Mary's, though. It's currently number one in the country with that regard. Good news for the Mount, though, is that they do a nice job of being able to just take control of the ball. Justice Hill, he's been dealing with injuries all season long when he's been out there. He's been able to do a good job of flowing good offense, and he returned for the first time in north of a month in that game against Portland. That's going to be a nice booster for this team. You've been able to have someone like Dominic Harris give you 15 points. He's shooting 43.5% for three. For a team that shoots about 35.5% from the odds Side. This is a St. Mary's team that is certainly the more dominant defense in this game in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. St. Mary's number three in all of college basketball, allowing 81.5 points per one earned possession. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring slog. I did set my total at 130 and a half. So here at a 131, looking at the underbow with Loyola Marymount, with the way that they're able to match up on the glass, with the way that they've been able to have a lot of guys by committee doling out the ball, Justice Hill coming back. I think that they hold in their semi line at 14 and a half. So taking the points and the under. 829, 830 on the bank board. Pacific plays us Gonzaga. Gonzaga, a 25 to a 25 and a half point road favorite. Total on this game is between 153 and a half and 154 and a half. This specific team is a sorry example of a team. I thought I was being aggressive with making a 22 and a half point line. I'm going to be one to take the points. With Gonzaga, they're actually a much better defensive team this year. They're in the top 40 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. And Tom Watson, Graham E.K., they're doing a nice job down low. They've been able to combine for 15 rebounds, nearly 30 points per game, and they're combining to shoot about 38% from three, but Gonzaga, not quite a team that's going to bomb it from three, shooting 33% from the outside. Ryan Emmert seems to be coming into form now. Six half assists to 2.3 turnovers per game, but it certainly is far from the Gonzaga teams that we've seen 
in past years. Now Pacific is about as sorry as sorry he gets. They scored fewer than 30 points in the game against St. Mary's a few nights ago. I think that they'll get past 30, but man, it's rough. Nick Blake, who came in from UNLV, when he's been healthy, he's been able to give you nine points per contest. He's been a little bit banged up, but he's been able to return to the fold for the team. You don't have a single guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game. This team is outside the top 250 in terms of points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they score at a rate of 62.5% in the free throw line with regards to a free throw shooting percentage, but Mo Odom, he's been able to give you about four and a half assists while turning the ball over fewer than two times for contest. He had a 21-point performance two games ago against Santa Clara. That's almost as many points as he scored a few nights ago. He should be able to help this team out a little bit. I do think that Gonzaga might show a little bit of mercy towards back of this game, though they might want to just try to absolutely blow them out for their net ranking, but when it comes to this specific team, they have scored 64 points or fewer in four of their last five games. It has been a rough go of it for them defensively, but I think that they're going to be looking to make this game a little bit yucky. I think that Gonzaga is going to want to look to blow it open. I did set my total at 154.5. I could see this becoming just pretty much open gym in the second half, so I had a 153.5. I'm looking at the over with the Gonzaga team that has not been able to score at least 76 points in four of their last five games, and they've gotten to at least 86 in three of their last five, so looking at the over and looking at the 20 25-plus here with Pacific. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we had a break in the extra games. 831-832. Cal Poly is from face-off against Y. Y is a 14 to a 14-half point favorite. Throws between 125.5 and 126.5. So Y is a 13-half point favorite. Going to be one to take the points with Cal Poly. Both of these teams have not been making a lot of money recently. It's a Y team has been having a rough time with regards to their offense. They're outside the top 150 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Having scored 63 points for fear and far the last five games. Hard to cover a spread when you're doing that and for Cal Poly, as bad as their offense has been, they have scored the loud 71 points or fewer in four of the last five games. Now, they've scored 61 points or fewer in each of their last five as well. This is a Cal Poly team that, man, it's been brutal for them. They have been able to exceed the 71-point plateau thus far this season. I believe just twice, might have been three times, but this has been a Cal Poly team that has been very muted with their offense. You've been able to get right around about 18 points per contest out of Kobe Sanders. Sanders has been able to shoot in the low to mid-30s from three-point range, so been able to get a little bit of production there, but Joel Armitraden is right now your top rebounder with about four and a half rebounds per game. Hawaii should be able to win that battle down the list. You got Mosek, a true seven-footer that's able to give you about a block, a few rebounds per game, and then you've been able to get some really good versatility with north of 38% three-point shooting and about 11 and a half points per contest out of Justin McCoy, Noel Coleman. He's been able to give you about 13 points for a Hawaii team that is turning the ball over about 12 and a half times per contest considering they're outside the top 250 with regards to total possessions per game. That's been a little bit Brutal, but Hawaii, about 140th in the country with regards to rebound rate. It's a Cal Poly team that is 348th. That said, this is a Hawaii team that they just haven't been able to get a lot going at home. And at home, they're actually giving up more points per possession in a roadside shooter court environment, and they're scoring two points fewer per possession at home rather than in a roadside shooter court environment. I think that you get a very low-scoring, rough game. Set by total 125 and a half out of 126. Look at under and at 14 plus. Taking the points with Cal Poly. We wrap things up next by hitting a break and then getting guys the extra games right here on Cuts myself, David Peterson, now a part of the Decent Family Podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. 
I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here Love you, Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Eats with myself, Greg Eames Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. All right, somehow, someway, we got through the normal Las Vegas betting board. Now let's hit the extra games in what is essentially going to be the lightning round tonight because, my goodness gracious, we've got a lot of games on the board. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306-553, 306-554. Holy Cross plays also Lehigh. Lehigh, a five-point favorite, and your total on this game, 145.5 to 146.5. Did some I line it for. I'm going to be willing to take the five with Holy Cross. Holy Cross has been dealing with a lot of ailments throughout the entirety of their backcourt, but this is just still a... Lehigh team that I can't buy into. They have been outside the top 225 with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. This is a team that also has been dealing with some injuries to some of their top scores. So you've got Tyler Whitney Sydney who's been able to give you about 14.5 points, right around about 32% three-point shooting, but your main score in Keith Higgins, he has been out of the fold since January 6th and has been affecting this Lehigh team quite a bit with regards to their scoring. You've got Tom Perelman back in the fold after he's been able to give you about 5.9 rebounds per game, was missing for a few games a little bit earlier in like December slash early January, but this is a Lehigh team that with regards to rebound rate, they're currently clocking in 288th in all of college basketball, not that it's a Lehigh cross team. It's a whole like a lot better. Actually, they're worse at 316th, but Joe Octave is best to it all player in this game. 15 points, 6 half boards, shooting about 31.5% from 3-4. And only cross team that is shooting about 35% from 3 point range. They've been without Bo Montgomery through much of the season, but now they've been able to get him back in the fold. He's starting to look a little bit more like himself, has been able to give the team 12 plus points in two out of the last three games. This is a Holy Cross team that they have been wholly awful with regards to being able to guard the three-point arc, 3 and 55th in all of college basketball, but it's a Lehigh team that they as a collective shoot below 34% from the outside with this Lehigh team, 355th in the country. So you've got a pair of teams that aren't really guarding the arc, got a pair of teams that are very sloppy with the ball, and a Holy Cross team that's well outside the top 300 with regards to total possessions per game. It is a good old situation of something's got to give, but with the way that Lehigh just has not been able to perform offensively ever since they have suffered the ailment to Keith Higgins. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring slog and a game that plays into the hands of Holy Cross. Semi line at four, so being able to get five, I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Holy Cross. Semi total at a 144, so also looking under. 306-554, 306-554. 
It is Albany, and they hit the road. They're facing up against New Hampshire. New Hampshire does find themselves as a favorite of four and a half points. Totals between 158 and 159 with New Hampshire. I did set them as a favorite of nine points. I'm going to be one to lay the number. It's an Albany team that has been having a really good time of it being able to guard from three-point range. They're in the top 25 with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, but they're also a team that's in the bottom 100 with regards to opponents' two-point shooting percentage. And for New Hampshire, I think the Clarence Daniels is going to be able to take over this game. He's been able to supply New Hampshire with just under 21 points, nine boards per contest. Jonathan Beagle is able to give you about 10 boards per contest, but despite the fact that you've got Beagle down low, this has been an Albany team that's been rough with regards to the rebound rate. They're about 136 in all of college basketball. Going up against a New Hampshire team that they're also a top 40 team with regards to being able to guard the arc, and it's a New Hampshire team that has done a much better job of being able to take care of the ball. About 12 turnovers per contest. Albany, about 14.2 turnovers per game. Both of these teams do play relatively fast, but Albany, they're only shooting about 32.2% from three-point range. Sebastian Thomas, 18.5 points, four boards, four assists, 1.7 steals per contest. has been relatively solid, but when you've got Ahmad Robinson on the flip side giving you 16.5 points, shooting 35% from three-point range, and then someone like a Jackson Baker giving you about 6.5 rebounds per game to really fortify things down low. I think that they're going to be able to take it to an Albany team that has been just getting completely gashed defensively. 75 plus points allowed in each of their last four games. It's a New Hampshire team that they've really risen up with their defense. They've given up fewer than 70 points in regulation in each of their last three games, all while they've been able to get to at least 70 points in four out of their last five games. So it is a spot where I did something. I told 161, you've got to of teams playing super up temples, so looking at the over and going to be one away with New Hampshire. Made them a nine point favorite. Three of six five fifty seven. Three of six five fifty eight. Central Connecticut plays us Wagner. Wagner is an underdog of seven points. So last game is one twenty nine and a half. Wagner I did set as an underdog of five points, so it's a spot where I'm going to be willing to take these points. It is a Wagner team that has been able to do a nice job of being able to take care of the ball. Fewer than ten turnovers per contest in terms of turnovers on a per possession basis. Top seventy five team in all of college basketball. And after a really brutal non conference slate, Wagner has been able to rise up with their defense. Back in the top 120 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Going up against a Central Connecticut team that they just don't have any rebounding whatsoever. They're outside the top 250 with regards to rebound rate. 133rd, though, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Problem for Central Connecticut is they're actually giving up 4.3 points more per one hour possessions at home rather than in a road-slash-short-quarter environment. Now, Alan Gene Rosé is going to be your top scorer in this game. He's been able to give this Central Connecticut team right around 16 points per contest, shooting well north of 35% from three-par range, but for Wagner. Melvin Council has been their do-it-all sort of player. He's been able to chip in there 13.5 points, 5.5 boards, 3.5 assists. Not a great three-point shooter, but Wagner is old. They're shooting about 32.8% from three-point range. It's nothing magical, but they're going to be able to cut off the Central Connecticut team from the three-point arc. While Central Connecticut, they themselves are allowing opponents to shoot right around about 34% from three-point range. That is outside the top 200 nationally. Meanwhile, Wagner clocking at 29th with regards to being able to guard the arc and with Central Connecticut not really having a ton down low. Kellen Amos, he's been able to give you about 5.3 three boards, 11 half points per game, and I do like the uh 12 and a half points, you'll be able to get out of Jordan Jones. He's been able to shoot about 37% from three point range. That said, I do think that Wagner going to be able to hold it down. Wagner, once again, in the bottom runner with regards to total possessions per game. And it's a Wagner team that they have now given up 66 points or fewer in each other last five games. I do, though, think that this is going to be a game that comes down to late game following. And it's a Central Connecticut team that they themselves have reached at least 72 points in each other last five games. So this is a spot where I did something. I told 131. Going to be taking a look at the over. Won't take the points with Wagner. Made them a five point underdog. 3 6 5 59, 3 6 5 60. 
Navy is going to be playing against Loyola Maryland. Loyola finds themselves as an underdog of 7.5 points. So this game is 130.5. I did set my line at 9.5. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Navy. Navy, a top 25 team in all of college basketball. The guards opponents 3 point shooting percentage going up against the Loyola Maryland team that they are in the bottom 50 with regards to ball security. They're turning the ball over north of 13.5 times per contest. D'Angelo Steins, coupled with Deion Perry, have been your main two scorers. Perry has really been that main man. 15 points, shooting 35.5% from three. Steins shoots 38% from three, but only about 9.5 points per contest. And other than Golden DK, you really don't have a lot down low for this team. About 7.2 rebounds per game. Now, Loyola Maryland, I do think that there's a chance that they might be able to do a little bit of something down low, but this is a Navy team that they've got. Donovan Draper, who's able to give you nine boards, and north of two steals per contest. Navy, in terms of turnovers, sports on a per possession basis, top 75 team in all of college basketball. With Navy, though, they are 263rd in all of college basketball. There is a rebound rate. Loyal Maryland, more on 215th as We've had Milan Illich along with Alonzo Ferrer. They've been able to combine for about 10.3 rebounds per game. But for Navy, all of a sudden, you've been able to get 16 points per contest out of Austin Bengini. Should be the best scorer in this game. Four assists per contest. It is a Navy team that they're only shooting about 29.5% from three-point range. But good news is they get to go up against the Loyal Maryland team that they've been getting just completely destroyed from three-point range. Allowing opponents to shoot 30 seven plus percent from three-point range 339th at all of college basketball in that regard I think that this is a rough matchup for this Loyal Maryland team I think the Navy is going to take the air out of the ball quite a bit but at the same time with the way that Loyal Maryland is playing just no defense whatsoever even with Navy playing super slow I think that you get enough points for an over set my total at 133 and a half so going to add the over with Navy set them as a nine and a half point favorite so also going to be willing to lay the number 306 561 306 562 Bucknell they throw their facing off against Army Army does find themselves as a one half to a two point favorite, seeing a one out there as well. 129 to 130 is their total, and I did set Army as a two point favorite. So, going to be willing to lay the one to one and a half. This is an Army team that has been able to do a relatively okay job of being able to guard the three point arc, top 125 team in all of college basketball in that regard, although they do allow opponents to shoot more in the neighborhood about 34% from three bar range at home. More around 31% in a road slash shoot court environment. Meanwhile, Bucknell, lying opponents who shoot only about 32.5% from three away from home, 38% when they are at home. But with Army, the reason why I'm going to be willing to lay this number is that Bucknell has just not had a lot of consistency down low. Noah Williamson, the true seven footer, has been able to give you about six and a half rebounds per game. And Jack Force, he's able to chip in there right in the neighborhood about 17 points, five and a half boards, shoots 40% from three point range. But Army, you just have a little bit more of a collective for this team. You've got Charlie Peterson, great name, Josh Govin being able to combine for about 11 rebounds per game and then Abe Johnson as they rise up 5.5 points, 5.5 boards was a little bit of an afterthought towards the beginning part of the season now has been able to give you 6 plus boards in far every their last 5 games so I do think that Army is going to be able to win this game from within and it's still a Bucknell team that you just don't have a lot of rhyme or reason as what this team does. They're actually giving up 2 points fewer per one arm possessions in a road slash shoot record environment rather than at home but this has been a Bucknell team that has been turning the ball over north of 12.5 times per contest 255th in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis and for this Army team, they're still a rough 3 point shooting team at about 32% but they've been rising up a little bit more with that regard it is a Bucknell team that, to their credit they've been able to get to at least 70 points at each of their last 5 games but this is an Army team that's been really sticking opponents in the mud, giving up 64 points or fewer in each of their last 3 games. I do think that Army going to be looking to slow this game down. I do think that Army going to be able to come up with some turnovers against a Bucknell team that if they are able to not turn the ball over, they have good production if they do, it just leads to doomed Day, and I do think that this is going to lead to a little bit of doomsday and a slowdown slog. I said Army has a two-point favorite, going to be one to lay the number, so I told 126, so also looking under. 306-563, 306-564. Sets in place, also Lipscomb. Lipscomb is a three-point road favorite. Your total is 154.5 to 
255.5 with Lipscomb. I did set them as a favorite of two and a half points. Here at the three, I'm going to be willing to take the points. This is a sets of team that they absolutely rely upon being able to shoot the three ball. They're a team that they shoot north 37% for three-point range with Jalen Blackman, a top 20 scorer in all of college basketball, being able to give you north of 21 points per contest on north of 38% three-point shooting. And for Lipscomb, to their credit, they shoot 37.5% for three-point range. They've been without their main rebounder from a season ago, Jacob Agnesevich. So they are a team that is relatively rough on the glass. Will Pruitt is having to do a little bit of everything at six foot three, 13 points, six boards, three and a half assists per contest for a Lipscomb team that is 266 in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate. So that is actually going to offer an opportunity for a Setson team that typically they get just completely plowed on the glass, but that said, this is a Setson team that they're 296th in the country with regards to rebound rate, and this is a Setson team that they are going to give you the green light and a lot of opportunities from three-point range with Setson in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. They're one of the bottom teams that you're going to find in all of college basketball, 233rd allowing opponents to shoot 36.3% from three-point range in their home games, but Lipscomb, 281st in the country with this regard. So, I do think that you're going to be able to get a lot of scoring despite the fact that this is a Setson team that is outside of the top 300 with regards to total possessions per game, but Aubrey Gesterse has been able to give you about 7 rebounds per game. He's been pretty rock solid with that regard, so I do think that he's going to be able to hold up on the glass. I just don't think you get enough possessions for an over, though. Setson, once again, outside the top 320 with regards to total possessions per game. It is a Setson team that has scored 70 points or fewer, by the way, in 3 out of their last 5 games. We know also Lipscomb team that they have certainly been giving up the points. 70 plus given up in each out of their last 5 games, but I do think that they're going to be slowed down I do think that this is going to be a game that's going to be sort of make it and take it. It's a Lipscomb team that has Darren Boyd being able to give you about 17 half points, shooting 43.5% from three-point range, but with the slow grinder style of Setson, along with a good point guard as Stefan Swetson, who's able to give you 6.3 assists to 2.8 turnovers per contest. I do think that Setson could have remained in this game. I do think that it's going to be just a little bit lower scoring than expected due to those shortage of possession. So, did set my line at 2.5, willing to take 3 with Setson. Set my total at 115.5, so also looking under. 3 at 6, 5, 65, 3 at 6, 5, 66. Maine hopes to not get Maine. They play at home against Binghamton. Binghamton is an underdog of 5.5 to 6 points. Draw's game is 138.5 with Binghamton. I did set them as a five and a half point underdog. So going to be one take six with Binghamton. Binghamton as Timu Chenry has been able to do a really good job coming over from Quinnipiac. He's been able to give this team right in the neighborhood about 14 to 15 points per contest. And when it comes to Binghamton, they've got one of the most versatile players in all of college basketball. Samir Torrance who comes over from Syracuse. Nine and a half points, six and a half boards, 7.2 assists on about 34.5% three-point shooting. It is a Binghamton team that is still leaving quite a bit of something to be desired on the defensive side of things. Binghamton is, in terms of points, a lot on a per-possession basis, 281st in all of college basketball, but... They are going up against a main team that, while they do a relatively good job defensively, and Kellen Times led all of college basketball with regards to uh, steals on a per-game basis last season. He's been a main guy that's been able to do a little bit of everything. 13.5 points, 4 boards, right around 3.5 assists, 2.5 steals per contest. It is a rough 3-point shooting team with this main team. They only shoot about 30.5% from 3-point range. Peter Filiposki has been able to give you 8 rebounds per game, but for Maine, they are well outside the top 250 with regards to rebound rate. They do a solid job of being able to guard the three-point arc, 127th in all of college basketball, and they allow opponents to shoot just 26.6% from three-point range when they are at home, so they've been able to do a good job at home of being able to contain the three ball, but this is a main team that all of a sudden they have been getting a little bit 
bit more mange on the defensive side of things. I do think that this is going to be a game that's going to be close enough for late game fouling. Jaden Clayton has been able to give you about four and a half assists per contest as well, but we have been seeing Maine getting into a few shootouts recently. I think that this could very well be one of them going up against a big empty team that has given up at least 77 points in each of their last five games, and this is a Maine team that they themselves, they've been able to get to at least 70 points in three out of their last four games and given up at least 70 in three out of their last four. So, did some total more around 139 and a half looking at the over, and with Binghamton at six plus, I'm going to be willing to take the points. 306567, 306568, 600 it's a road face-off against Fairleigh Dickinson. Fairleigh Dickinson hopes to be fairly priced as a one-point underdog. It's on this game between 156 and 156 half with Sacred Heart. Did set them as a four-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number, even with Tanner Thomas out of the fold. Nico Galetti has been able to do a really good job for the Sacred Heart team. He's been able to give you 15 points, six boards for a Sacred Heart team that does rank in the top 150 with regards to rebound rate. It is a Fairleigh Dickinson team that while they've got John Moore giving you more with about seven rebounds per game, Ansley O'Moner, 15 points, right around seven boards per contest. It has been a very inconsistent and an up and down team. And when it comes to Fairleigh Dickinson, one of the smallest teams at all of college basketball, as a result, they have been getting killed on glass. We are in third in the country with that regard. This is also a Sacred Heart team that, even though they have been dealing with ailments, they've been able to do a relatively solid job of hitting the road with their defense. This is a team that has 158th in all of college basketball with the guards points a lot on a per possession basis going up against a Fairleigh Dickinson team that's 276th and for Fairleigh Dickinson, they're giving up more points per possession at home rather than in a roadside shoot court environment and they rank outside the top 250 with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Sacred Heart also has Aiden Carpenter, Alvanth Raheem Solomon, a pair of guys from the Metro Atlantic. They've been able to do a solid job combining for about 16 points per contest, shooting in the mid-30s from three-par range. And for Fairleigh Dickinson, this team relies completely on the backcourt, and yet they only shoot 33% from three, 13 turnovers per game. You have Joel Emanuel giving you about 11 points, five and a half rebounds per game, but it's a little bit of a top-heavy team, getting only about five points per contest out of Hero by Jen after last season. He was able to give this team a little bit more with about seven and a half points per contest, and with the way that Fairleigh Dickinson just doesn't do a supreme job on the glass. And the way that Sacred Heart has really risen up with regards to their defense, they have now given up 73 points of fear in three of their last four games. We also fairly Dickinson team that they themselves have been all over the place with regards to their defense, giving up 70 plus in four of their last five games. I do think that Sacred Heart going to be able to take control of this game. I did set them as a four-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. I made my total 154. I do think that Sacred Heart is going to be able to continue their relatively solid defense. Looking at the under and willing to lay the number of Sacred Heart. 306569, 306570. Lafayette plays us Boston U. Boston U is an underdog of five points. So the last game between 127 and 127 half. This Boston U team has actually been able to do a relatively solid job defensively. This is a line that I did set at four. So anything north of four, I'm going to be taking a look at the points with the Boston U team that really doesn't have anyone that's able to give you double figures. Miles Brewster has been your main guy, being able to give you about nine and a half points, three assists per contest, but Boston U, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, weren't 16th at all of college basketball, but you take a look at what they've been able to do in a roadside shoot record environment, they're actually a top 30 defense when they're away from home. Going up against a bunch in Lafayette that they've been able to go on a nice run. They were winless against Division One competition going into Patriot League play, and now they're undefeated in Patriot League play. This makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. That said, for Lafayette, you got Justin Vanderbond, the true seven-footer for Boston College, has been able to give you about 10 points, right around 4.8 rebounds per game. It's a Lafayette team that they continue to shoot about 29.5% from 3, 68% at the free throw line. Kyle Jenkins, Eric Sodenberg have both been able to give you about 9 points per contest, but 
I mean, for Lafayette, they really don't do anything too well. Owen Landrum for this Boston U team, he's now been able to give you about six rebounds per game, so they've been able to muster up a little bit more there. While Lafayette, they continue to be three and sixth in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate, a bottom 40 team with regards to rebound rate at home this season, and they go up against a Boston U team that has been relatively solid at being able to guard the three-point arc. They're a top 130 team with regards to their rebound rate as well. And for Lafayette, they are about 212th in the country with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage with Boston U doing an okay job of being able to take care of the ball. I think that they hold in there, though. I could see Lafayette just continuing this fairy tale run. 7 by 12 126. Both of these teams fall outside the top 250 with regards to total possessions per game. Looking at the under, we'll take the five here with Boston U. 306-571-306-572. Texas A&M Commerce plays us at Nichols. Nichols finds themselves as a one-half point underdog. Total on this game, they're between 139.5 and 140, and seeing a few straight twos out there as well. And with Nichols, I set them as a two-and-a-half point favorite. I'm going to be looking at them all right on the money line. I just don't know what Texas A&M Commerce really does well. They shoot about 32% from three-point range. This team has been getting pretty carved up from three-point range at home. They're allowing opponents at home to shoot 38.2% from three-point range. Going up against a nickel team that they themselves are well outside the top 200 with regards to uh, turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. They used to be their lifeblood, but now they've done a much better job of guarding the arc. They're a top 55 team with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage and when it comes to this Nichols team, you've got Jamal West, who's been able to do a nice job in tandem with Deontay Smith. I'll be able to combine for north of 30 points per contest. Both of these guys have some size. They've got a little bit of athleticism. They're able to pop threes in a mid-30s clip, so I think that they're going to be able to do a nice job in this spot. Going up against a bunch in Texas A&M Commerce that they've got Jerome Brewster, who's been able to give you about 13.5 points per contest. Caelan Williams has been your main scorer with about 14 points per game, but not a single guy in the roster gives you north of 4.6 rebounds per game. It is a Nichols team that's well outside the top 225 with regards to their rebound rate, but Texas A&M Commerce, they just have absolutely nothing down low. 358th in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate. They only shoot about 68.5% at the free throw line, so in a late game situation, that's going to bode well for Nicholson that has been dealing with the injuries still to Malik Thomas, who's been out of the fold as one of the team's main facilitators, but team is shooting 35% from three-point range. You've also been able to get some nice production with about 12.5 points per contest out of Robert Brown the third, and it is a Nichols team that they are coming in, riding Brel high with regards to their defense. It is a defense that has now in regulation given up fewer than 70 points in four out of the last five games. Meanwhile, this is a Texas A&M Commerce team that has really scuffled on offense, scoring 68 points or fewer in four of their last five games. I do like Nichols outright on the money line in the spot. Did some I told 142 and a half. I think that we could get a little bit of late game falling, and it's a Nichols team that they themselves do look to play a little bit more up-tempo, so looking at the over and looking at Nichols on the money line. 306573, 306574. Lemoyne plays those to Long Island. Long Island, an underdog of eight points. So game is 147. Congrats to Long Island on their buzzer beater a few days ago, and I'm right in line with what we've got right now. I did set my number at an 8, so could be waiting on a little bit of line movement. This was one that it opened up a little bit earlier at like 6.5, 7.5, so if we could get back down to some of those earlier numbers I was seeing in faraway places, I'm going to be one to lay it with LeMoyne. This is a LeMoyne team that has some of the bigger home and road splits they are going to find in all of college basketball. Going up against an LIU team that has guarded the arc well. LIU is in the top 75 nationally with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, and for LeMoyne, this is a defense that no doubt about it. It's a little bit of a work in progress, but in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, they're giving up about 13.5 points fewer when they are at home rather than in a road-slash-shoot-court environment. They get to go up against an LIU team that is 357th in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, scoring 14 points fewer per one-arm possessions when they are 
in a roadside huge court environment. Meanwhile, this Lemoyne team, they've really come alive when they've been at home. They're scoring 20 and a half points more for one hour possessions at home. You've been able to get some good production out of Sean Sutherland, who comes in from Siena. He's been able to give you a double figure amount of points per game. And Keon Cleary, he's been able to give you about five and a half rebounds per game. Doesn't do a supreme job down low as neither of these teams really have much with regards to rebounding. Both of these teams outside the top 230 with regards to rebound rate, though Ty Strickland has been able to give this LIU team right around 14 points per contest. Problem is, he should swing 3% from 3. His brother Ty Strickland has been able to give you about 35.5% three-point shooting. Terrell Strickland, I should say, shoots about 35.5% from three, as her father Rod is the coach of this team, so lots of Strickland around here, but for LIU, 14.5 turnovers per game, relatively up-tempo team, but not a team that really forces a lot of turnovers. It's a Lemoyne team that's taking care of the ball very well with about 11.5 turnovers per game. They themselves force about nine steals per game, and it's a Lemoyne team that's really cooking with some gas right now. They've been able to score at least 73 points for four of their last five games. Defense has been able to hold up with 73 or fewer, surrendered in four of their last five. Meanwhile, this is an LIU team that has scored 66 points for fewer in each other last four games. I do think that LeMoyne is going to be able to take you to Long Island. I'm willing to lay up to 7.5 with this LeMoyne team. Did some my total 144 with the LIU struggles on offense. So looking at the under to go along 7.5 for less with LeMoyne. 306575, 306.576. You've got Winthrop playing us to high point. High point hopes to not be a low point. As a one point underdog, tells so between 154 and 155. High point is a top 35 team nationally with regards to points scored on a per possession basis, but going up against a Winthrop team that has really locked it down from three-point. Winthrop, with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, they are currently clocking in 14th at all of college basketball, including opponents shooting just 24.4% from three-point at home against them, and it's a Winthrop team that they aren't shy to be able to shoot the three-ball themselves. They're going to get a little bit outgunned on the glass. High point has been able to do a good job bringing in guys like a Kamani Lawrence, who's been able to do a solid job, give you about eight-plus rebounds per game, and then you've got a high-point team that, if you really want to attack them, 331st in all of college basketball is what they are in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, and this is a Winthrop team that they're very comfortable being able to shoot the three balls. So, did some at line at two. I'm going to be one to lay the number. This is a total that I also did set at 152 because this is a Winthrop team that they do get a lot of but out of sorts with regards to the ball. They have been turning the ball over about 12 and a half times per contest. You've got Telford who's been able to give you about 14 points, five boards per contest, so he's going to have a tough time against Kamani Hamilton. That said, you've got a high-point team that they've been able to shoot about 35.5% from three-point range. You've been able to get some nice production out of Kezagifa who's been able to give you 15 points, 3 assists per contest, and this is a high point team that they just don't generate a lot of turnovers so the main kryptonite of Winthrop not really going to be there, and it's a Winthrop team that they don't necessarily play super duper fast, they're right around 200th in the country with regards to total possessions per game, they do turn the ball for 13 half times per contest, but KJ Doucette has been able to shoot about 40% from 3 par inch you've been able to get about 38.5% 3 point shooting and in that neighborhood about 11 to 12 points per contest out of Nick Johnson as well, you got a lot of guys there able to shoot it well from three-point range, attack that weak point of high point. It is a high point team that, man oh man, they have been able to pile up the points, 78 plus points in each of their last six games, giving up at least 76 and four of their last five, but this Winthrop defense has been able to step up to the plate quite a bit. They played that harebrained triple overtime game against Radford in which they gave up 67 points in regulation, so if you're looking at regulation and regulation only, this team has now given up 72 points or fewer in, I believe now, five out of their last seven games, so I do think that they're going to be able to hold up here and get the job done with their three-point shooting defense against a high-point team that they give it up from distance. Set by total 152, looking at the under, and one delay up to one and a half with Winthrop. 306577, 306.578. It is North Florida. They hit the road face off against Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky is a favorite of seven points. Totals 150 to 150 and a half with Eastern Kentucky. I did set them as a favorite of nine points. I'm going to be one to lay the number. It's an Eastern Kentucky team not generating as many turnovers as they have in past years, but 
a team that was dead last in the country for opponent's three-point shooting percentage throughout most of the year. I do think that they're starting to get a little bit of positivity going up against the North Florida team that they certainly can bomb it from three-point range. North Florida, with regards to their three-point shooting percentage, it's clocking in right in the neighborhood of about 36.2%. And you've got Chaz Lanier coming off of a massive performance against Bellarmine where he had 33 points. He was able to knock down a whole bunch of triples and he scored at least 19 points in each of the last five games. That's going to be the main score in this game. But the main man down low in this game, that belongs to Eastern Kentucky, and that'd be Isaiah Cozart. Leads the country with 3.9 blocks per contest, 15 points, 10.5 rebounds per game for an Eastern Kentucky team. That you've got three separate guys that have been able to give you at least 4.9 rebounds per game, and this is a North Florida team that has a whole bunch of stiffs down low. They're 325th in the country with regards to their overall rebound rate. When it comes to Eastern Kentucky, they're more around 133rd. With this regard, Eastern Kentucky, not a team that really turns the ball over a lot either. They only turn the ball over about 12 times per contest. You've had Loveland Walker along Devontae Blanton combined for 20 points per contest. Both of these guys having a little bit of a deficiency when it comes to being able to launch from three-point range. And for North Florida, this is a team that's well outside the top 275 with regards points a lot on a per-possession basis, having about 74-plus in each other last three games. Now, they've gotten to at least 78 points in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, Eastern Kentucky, they themselves have really been able to do a tremendous job with regards to their offense. They've been able to get to at least the 75-point plateau in five out of their last six games. So, it's a good old situation of something's got to give. Eastern Kentucky certainly has been giving it up recently, but they've been able to score it as well. So I do think that you get a higher scoring affair. Semi-total 153, looking at the over. And with Eastern Kentucky, I do think that with their improved three-point shooting defense and the way that they're able to defend down low, they get it done. One to lay up to nine with Eastern Kentucky and the over. 306-579, 306-580. Brian is going to be playing us in Vermont. Vermont is a favorite of two points on the road. Total on this game is between 148 and a half at 149. Did semi-total 151. I'm looking at the over. It's a Brian team that is playing at just absolute warp speed right now. And it's a Brian team that they're able to throw the ball in the bucket. Problem for them has been rebounding. They're outside the top 300 with regards to their rebound rate. But this is a Brian team that, in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, they are clocking in well outside the top 250. But they've been able to do a relatively solid job of being able to find a way to be able to stroke it in there from three-point range as Sharif Rose Bullock has been able to give you 18 points, shooting 40% from three-point range. We're starting to see a little bit more Doug Eater as well, which that makes just everyone happy in general. And for this Brian team, they've been able to get quite a bit down low out of Earl Timberlake. He's trying to bring Sexy back about 14 points, 9 rebounds per game. Going up against the Vermont team that Sam Alamatu is right now your top rebounder. He's been able to give you about 5 boards per contest and you've been able to get a little bit more out of Aaron Deloney with regards to being able to roll off the ball. He's been able to give you about 3 assists, 9 points per contest for a Vermont team that they do shoot 36.5% from 3-point range. Vermont to their credit, they always do a tremendous job of being able to take care of the ball as they only turn the ball over 9 times for contest. But a Bryan team that has been turning it over 13 times for contest, they don't have to worry about it being taken away a whole heck of a lot. Vermont, they're well outside the top 275 with regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis and Vermont outside the top 200 with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. This is a Bryan team that they do leave themselves quite vulnerable on defense, but the one thing they do, lock you down from three-point range. At home, opponents are shooting just 22.3% from three-point range against them. Now with this Vermont team, with them not necessarily being able to do a tremendous job of being able to hit the glass, them being about 200th with regards to rebound rate, Matt Verado, he's someone that's saying six foot eight, he's able to pop it from three-point range, but really doesn't give you a lot on the front of being able to hit the glass. I do think that that plays right into the hands of this Bryant team, and it is a Bryant team that once again, 
just so, so fast with regards to their tempo going up against a Vermont team that is on the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game. So, good old situation of something's got to give. I do think that there's going to be a lot of shot making in this game, which is why I did some my total 151F. I could see some late game falling as well, so going to be taking a look at the over. I do think that in the end, Vermont is going to be able to get it done because Bryant just doesn't hit the glass whatsoever, and Bryant has been outside the top 250 with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. So, going to be one to lay the number with Vermont. Set them as a three and a half point favorite, and look at the over 36581, 36582. USC upset. It's a of face off against Gardner Webb. Gardner Webb is a favorite of nine points. The longest game is 142. Did set my line at seven half. I'm going to be willing to take the points with upstate. Gardner Webb has looked much better recently, but for the season, they're still outside the top 175 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. You do have a pair of guys in Charles Robinson, Alon Julian, Suwormo in the backcourt who have combined for 27 points per game with Suwormo, Alon DQ, Nicholas. They both have been able to shoot about 36% from three-point range. And Quest Aldridge, he's out shooting about 35.9% from three-point range, but outside of Nicholas, Robinson, Suwormo, nobody else gives you north of seven points per contest. And with Gardner-Webb, other than Robinson, you've got nobody on the roster that gives you north of four and a half rebounds per game. Typically, this is a team that they very much pride themselves on being able to hit the glass, doing a solid job down low. And for Gardner Webb this season, they're 265th in the country with regards to rebound rate. That's a USC upstate team that's been one of your more grody teams with regards to defense. And they're 355th in the country with regards to rebound rate. But with this upstate team, you've got Trey Borneau. He's been able to do a nice job being able to give you about 14 and a half points per contest. He's able to shoot about 33% from three for a upstate team that they need to improve the free throw shooting percentage at 65%, but you've been able to have Amir Langless be able to give you about six boards, nine points per contest. It is a team that's able to generate a few turnovers, and they get to go up against a Gardner-Webb team that has been quite a bit vulnerable from the outside, especially at home. At home, they're allowing opponents to shoot north of 40% from three-point range. Overall, they're about 191st in the country with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, and for this USC Upstate team, really everything has been rough for them on defense. We're in 30th in the country with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, but I do think that with Gardner-Webb, they should be the favorite, but with them not being able to control things down low as much as they have in the past, I do think that this is going to be a spot where USC Upstate is able to hold in there. Now, I will say for Gardner-Webb, defense has been much better recently, giving up fewer than 70 points in three of their last four games, and for Upstate, this team has scored 73 points or fewer in regulation each of their last five games, but defense has been able to pick it up a little bit as well in regulation. They've now given up 71 or fewer in three of their last five. So I did set my total 139.5. I think they get a low-scoring slog, and I do think that with Upstate being outside the top 250 with regards to total possessions per game, you just don't get enough possessions for an over. So looking at the under and looking at the points with Upstate. 306583, 306584. Texas A&M Corpus Christi is a road face off against Northwestern State. Northwestern State just find themselves as an underdog of five points total on this game between 147 and 147.5 with Corpus Christi. Did set them as a favorite of six points. I'm going to be one delayed. Corpus Christi is now a top 85 team in the country with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. They're allowing opponents to shoot less than 31% from three-point range and a top 75 team in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. I've been thoroughly impressed by them. It is a Corpus Christi team, though, that they are giving up right around about 15 to 15 and a half points more per one hour possessions in a roadside huge court environment. Going up against a Northwestern State team that has been a little bit more impressive recently, but still about 338th in all of college basketball in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They've been able to have a go-to score in Cliff Davis, be able to give the team right around about 15 points per contest for a team that they shoot about 67% of the free line, 31% from three, while turning the ball over nearly 14 times for contest. Meanwhile, for Corpus Christi, shooting has really eluded this team. They're shooting 27.5% from the outside. Each other, top three scores shoot below 26% from distance, but Gary Clark has been able to give you about 8.5 rebounds, 11.5 points per contest, and then Deion Wright-Ford 
has been able to give the team right around about 11 points per contest as well. It is a bunch that in Northwestern State has been just absolutely tattooed on the glass or outside the top 275 with regards to their rebound rate. They were getting some relatively good production towards the beginning part of the season with in that neighborhood about six and a half, seven rebounds per contest out of Jaden Epps. He's not on fold, so that has been hurting them, but this is a Northwestern State team that I've liked what I've seen a lot of them a little bit more recently. The defense has been able to give you more of a pulse 71 points or fear surrendered in each other last five games. It's a Corpus Christi team that has allowed north of 70 points just once in their last five games as well. So this is a really interesting affair as both of these teams, they do play a little bit more up-tempo. Did semi-total at a 142. So at the 147, looking at the under, I think that both teams come up with a lot of dry possessions. But with Corpus Christi, I do think that they should be the favorite. Did set them as a six-point favorite. Going to be one to lay the number and looking at this total under. 306-585, 306-586. Colgate hits the road. They're facing off against American. American does find themselves as a underdog of two to two and a half points. Total's game is between 139 and a half and 140 and a half. And with American, I did set them as a underdog of two and a half points. At the two, I'm going to be one to lay. Colgate has Braden Smith doing a little bit of everything. He has been an absolutely tremendous find for the team as he's been able to get the team 15 points, five boards, five assists for a Colgate team that traditionally they're a top 10 team with regards to three-point shooting percentage. And they're still not bad at right around 30. 36% from the outside, but certainly has taken a little bit of a fall off from what we're used to seeing. And then when it comes to this Colgate team, it has been a bunch that has been able to do a little bit better down low with Keegan Records being able to give you about seven words per contest. He's been able to supply the team with about nine and a half points per game. Meanwhile, on the American side of things, they've been outside the top three arm with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, a bottom 30 team with regards to the three point shooting percentage, but they've really been able to up their offense. Last season, 14 plus turnovers per game down to about 11.2 thus far this season as their shooting is collective 36 percent from three-point range on their top five scores. Four of them are able to shoot at least 37% from three, including Matt Rogers, who stands right around about 6'9", 15 points, 6 half boards, shooting about 37.5% from three-point range. George Bruce has been able to shoot about 40% from three-point range, and then been able to get 44.5% three-point shooting out of Matt Mayock, who's been able to give you eight points per contest. This is all being kept together by the facilitation of Elijah Stevens with about five and a half assists per contest, but this has been a cool game team that has been able to do a relatively solid job holding up defensively. This team has now allowed fewer than 60 points in each of their last three games. They've been in some more slogs than what we were used to finding, but that said, this is a Colgate team that in regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Currently, they're clocking at 105th in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, this is an American team that they just aren't able to defend and save their lives. They're well outside the top 270 with this regard, giving up a whole bunch of open threes, and I think that Colgate could be able to exploit this set by line at 2.5, so I'm going to be one to lay with Colgate, despite the fact that Colgate is outside the top 250 with regards to total possessions per game. I do think that both of these Teams hit a lot of shots. Semi total at a 142 and a half. So also looking at the over 306, 587, Jackson State hits road face off against Bethune Cookman. Cookman is an underdog of three and a half to four points. So this game is 149. With Cookman, I did set them as a underdog of four points. So here at the three and a half, I'm going to be one to lay with Jackson State. Jackson State has Ken Evans, who I think is going to be the best scorer in this game. He's been able to do a tremendous job, giving you about 19 and a half points, five boards per contest. And with Jackson State, even though this team does turn the ball over about 14 and a half times for contest. You do have a guy in Chase Adams who comes over from the junior college ranks and Portland who's been able to give you about four and a half assists to 2.1 turnovers per game. This team only shoots about 32% from three-point range. And for Bethune-Cookman, in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, they're actually a top 30 team in all of college basketball. But despite the fact that they do generate so many turnovers, they're about 208th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up about four points more per one-arm possessions when they are at home rather than in a roadside shoot court environment. 
environment. And the biggest reason why is that Bethune-Cookman, they're one of those teams that likes to gamble for turnovers. If they aren't able to get a turnover, they're a team that's going to allow an open three. They're allowing opponents to shoot north of 40% from three-point range against them. And for Bethune-Cookman, you've got a big three out there in the backcourt as you've been able to have Zion Harmon come in as a former top 200 recruit. He's been able to give the team double figures. And then Damani McIntyre, he's not a part of this, but he's been able to give the team nearly three steals and just three points per contest. That has been relatively hilarious to take a look at, but Giotti Heidley along with Deshaun Dyson, these two guys, they've been able to combine for about 30 and a half points per contest, but for Bethune-Cookman, while they generate a bunch of turnovers, they turn the ball over 15 times per game themselves, and Jackson State really running into form with regards to their defense. 71 points for fierce surrender, and now each out of their last four games in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, still very much a work in progress for them, but they're now 239th in the country with this regard, and with having some that's able to man things down low in Zeke Cook, giving you about 7.5 rebounds per game, Jackson State should be able to win from within. I did set my line at a 144, looking at the under, as I do think that there's going to be a lot of turnovers in this game, and with Jackson State really ascending with their defense, I'm going to be willing to lay the number with them up to 3.5 to go along with that under. 3.6589, 3.6590, Bellarmine plays close to Jacksonville. Jacksonville finds themselves as a 1.5 point underdog. Total this game between 137.5 and 138.5 with Jacksonville. I did set them as an underdog three and a half points. I'm going to be one to lay up to three points with Bellarmine. This is a Bellarmine squad that has been all sorts of rough. They lose once again against North Florida, but that said, this is a Bellarmine team that now they've got Bash Wildland back in the fold. He was missing for quite a bit of time. He's been the number two to slash number three scorer on this team. You saw Ben Johnson, who's able to shoot it relatively well from three-point range. It is a Bellarmine team that's outside the top 300 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, but this is a Jacksonville team that they themselves have really seen a fall with their defense. They're in 24 in the country of the Grizzly points a lot on a per-possession basis, giving up 22.5 points more per 100 possessions in a road slash huge court environment rather than at home. Bellarmine is an okay three-point shooting defense who are in 27th at all of college basketball, though that does balloon to 36% when they're at home. Meanwhile, this is a Jacksonville team that they've been relying upon Marcus Nyblack, who's been able to give you about five boards. He's giving you about 14.5 points per contest. And then when it comes to Robert McCray, the fifth, he's been able to do a nice job supplying about 14 points per game, but Jacksonville is a very inconsistent three-point shooting team. They do very much rely upon the three ball to be able to generate their offense as well. As a result, they have been all sorts of dysfunctional, and you've got a Bellarmine team that they do get a nice boost from being able to play at home with regards to their offense. This is a team that in Bellarmine is only about 309th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, but for Jacksonville, for how bad their defense is, they're only about 281st in the country with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis, so they're not able to offset that very much with Bryce Workman currently being out the fold, though Bellarmine is going to lose battle on the glass. They're able to remain a little bit more lively on the battle on the board, so did something my line at a 3.5. I'm going to be willing to lay it. Jacksonville has just not been able to perform on the road all season long, and both teams should get a lot of open looks. Semi-total 143.5, so look it over and look at a lay the number with Bellarmine. 306.591, 306.592. Central Arkansas plays us to Kennesaw State. We give our Oda Lane Kiffin go all says Kennesaw State finds themselves as 5.5 to 6-point favorite. So on this game, it's 167. Did semi-total 166. I'm diving in on the under. Central Arkansas has been outside the top 75 with regards to possession per game, though Kennesaw State, a top 20 team with this regard, and Kennesaw State, I do think they should be able to get it done. I set them as an 8-point favorite, willing to lay the number. Central Arkansas has been without a lot of their key pieces all season long. They've been dealing with injuries to Elias Cato recently. They just have not been able to get back into the fold. The main score from a season ago is Cameron Hunter last season. He was able to really lead the way for this team. You've got uh, Yobang Etum, who's been able to give you about 8.5 rebounds per game, so he should be able to hold up against a Kennesaw State team that should have the battle on the glass one with Deadman Robinson being able to give you about 7.5 rebounds per game. Simeon Kotal has been able to do a good job of combining with Tyrell Burton for about 30 points per contest and 
Well, Kennesaw State, not necessarily the most supreme team with regards to rebounding, 276th in the country with regards to rebound rate. This is a Central Arkansas team outside the top 300 in terms of points scored, points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they're also 313th in the country with regards to their rebound rate. And Central Arkansas, they're allowing a lot of wide-open threes, 354th in the country with that regard at home. They're allowing opponents to shoot north of 41% from distance with having so many guys back from the Kennesaw State team that was able to make the NCAA tournament last season. with Kennesaw State really hitting the gas with regards to their offense. 75 plus points each out of their last five games. They should be able to take it to a Central Arkansas team that I just have my question marks as to whether or not they're going to hold up their end of the bargain offensively. 71 points for fewer scored in three out of their last five games. So I did sell my total at 166 here at the 167. Looking at the under, and I'm willing to lay up to 7.5 with Kennesaw State. Go all 3 6.593, 3 6.594. Florida AM is going to be playing against Alcorn State. Alcorn State is a 2 to 1.5 point favorite. Your total is between 149 and 149.5 with Alcorn State. I did sell them as a underdog of two points. So with Florida A&M, I'm going to be taking them outright on the money line. This is a Florida A&M team that has been all sorts of awful. They're outside the top three in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per possession basis. But after last year, they were just a really ghastly offensive team. At the very least, they found a go-to score. That'd be Keith Lamar. He's been able to give the team 14 points, six boards per contest. They've been dealing with some injuries all throughout the season, including Jalen Spear being in and out of the fold. But Spear has been back for the last six games. He has applied 14 plus points in every one of these games and three plus assists in every contest. Now, three plus turnovers in four out of these five games. But you know what? He's been able to elevate this team and they go up against an Elkhorn State team as in the bottom 20 of the country with regards to points allowed on per possession basis. Jeremiah Kendall should be the best rebounder in this game. Seven boards, 16 points per contest. Both of these teams outside the top three are with regards to rebound rate. And for Alcorn State, they only turn the ball over 12 times per contest, but they only shoot about 32.5% from three. With regards to opponents, two-point shooting percent. Alcorn State, a bottom 40 team with that regard. And Alcorn State, in a roadside shooting corner environment, do, does allow teams to shoot north of 38% from three-point. Meanwhile, for A&M, 359th at all of college basketball. With regards to opponents, three-point shooting percent. This is an Alcorn State team that has like of a Byron Joshua, Dedrick Thorne, who are both able to give you a combined about 20 points per contest, both shooting in the mid to low 30s from three points. But Jeremiah Gambrell shooting 41% from three. He should be able to get things cooking for Alcorn State. I do think that both of these teams are going to be able to find open looks against two very shoddy defenses, to say the least. I did some by total 150 looking at the over, but I feel like Florida AM on their home floor with them being able to do a relatively solid job of being able to get some offense generated recently. They've been able to get to at least 70 points in three of their last five games. Meanwhile, Alcorn State, they have given up at least 72 points in three of their last five games, 71 plus points surrender in pretty much all but four of their games this season. I do think that you get a high scoring shoot out game with Lamar being able to take over this game. So I did set this line at two. I'm going to be taking a look at Florida A&M outright on the money line. And set by total 150. So also going with the over three of six, five, 95, three of six, five, 96 compensate. It's a word face off against Norfolk State. Norfolk State just find themselves as a big favorite of 14 and a half to 15 points. So it's between 127 and a half and 129. I said Norfolk State as a favorite of 18 and a half points. So I'm going to be willing to lay the number compensate bottom 10 team in all of college basketball. The guards point scored on a per-possession basis, and other than Justin Williams, who's been able to do a solid job, giving you about 12 or so points per contest, comes in from St. Bonaventure. You just have not been able to find anything whatsoever. I should say Justin Winston, not Mr. Williams. As for Norfolk State, they do have someone that is able to really take over a game as well. That'd be Jamari Thomas. He comes over from UNC Wilmington, 17.5 points on 39% three-point shooting for a Norfolk State team that's in the bottom five nationally with regards to total possessions per game. Now, Jordan Dart 
Harden is really the only guy on the roster that gives you north of five rebounds per game, and that is a kryptonite for Norfolk State. They are not a very good rebounding team. They, in terms of rebound rate, find themselves at 267th at all of college basketball, but for compensate for how bad they, they are offensively. They really don't make up for it on the glass. They're 54th in the country with this regard. Now, on defense, they're not a complete disaster. They're about 170th in the country with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, but this is a compensate team that they just don't do a very good job of being able to hit the glass, and plus they do allow quite a few open looks when they're in a road slash shoot record environment as well. Part of it is they've benefited from going up against some of the worst shooting teams in all of college basketball, but on the road, they do allow opponents to shoot about 35% from three-point range. You've been able to have some good shooting for this Norfolk State team. Thomas has been able to shoot about 39% from three-point range. Alan Bentrin, he's able to shoot about 33% from distance. And you've got a 55% three-point shooter. And George Beal, who's been able to give you in that neighborhood of about seven and a half points per contest, has been in and out of the fold, but was able to return in the team's most recent game against Howard. That's a big addition for them going up against the Coppin State team that they've been able to exceed the 70-point plateau just three times all season long. Meanwhile, for this Norfolk State team, they come in playing some relatively solid defense. They have given up against Division One opponents 72 points or fear in each other last three games. So I do think the compensate going to be all down here. Did sell my total at a 125.5. So it is a situation where I'm going to be looking at the under and I'm willing to lay up to 18 with North Folks 8. 306597, 306.598. That where State is going to be playing us to South Carolina State. South Carolina State does find themselves as a 6 to a 6 half point underdog. Total this game is 147.5 with South Carolina State. Made them a dog of five points. So here at six plus, I'm going to be willing to take those points to say South Carolina State team that has been a bottom 50 team with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. They shoot below 30% from three point range, but Davion Everett, what he's able to do down low, nine points, seven boards per contest. I do think he's going to be able to keep this team lively against a Delaware State team that they turn the ball over 15 and a half times for contest. They only shoot about 29% from three point range. Now, Jevin Munoz, Alonzo Martez Robinson, they're a big two that combined to shoot about 34.5% from distance, 31 points, about 11 and a half boards, five and a half assists. They're two at all players, but outside of this, you really don't get anything out of this team. You do get six boards out of Wesley Oba, who's been able to give you about seven points per contest as well. And for South Carolina State, you just need to find a little bit of outside shooting. And feels like they have found that in Wilson Dubinsky. He's been able to give you eight points, shooting about 35.5% from three-point range, eight-plus points each out of the last four games after he was a little bit of an afterthought to begin the season. You've been able to have this team just be able to round into form a little bit more with regards to not turning the ball over. And they've been able to generate eight and a half steals per game as well. This is a Delaware State team that they're a little bit more comfortable when they're playing a little bit more low and slow. South Carolina State, they're looking to push the tempo a little bit more. I do think the Delaware State, a team that is 341st in all of college basketball, the guards opponent's three-point shooting percentage, going to provide some open looks for South Carolina State. I do think that you're going to get somewhere in the middle with regards to these tempos. So I did sell my total 147, even when the late game falling. I do think that this is a little bit too far. So going to be looking at the under, but at five plus, taking a look at the points with South Carolina State. 306, 599, 306, 600. Maryland Eastern Shore is going to be playing us NC Central. NC Central is a favorite of five points. Delon's game is between 135 and a half and 136 with NC Central. I did set them as a favorite of six half points. I'm going to be one to lay the number. It's an NC Central team that has been in a little bit of, shall we say, transition with regards to losing quite a bit of their backcourt from the season ago, but this team has been able to find their form in terms of really being able to guard the arc. Tenth of the country with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, and for the NC Central team, you've been able to have so many guys like a Poe King, like a Jerry Smith, be able to do a solid job of being able to contribute in the backcourt as this is an NC Central team that they really do have a big three with regards to that backcourt as you've got Jadarius Harris, not Smith, Fred Cleveland, along with Boy King, being able to combine for about 45 points per contest. 
Harris has been able to shoot about 40% from three-point range, and the team only turns the ball over about 11 half times for contest. NC Central outside the top 250 with regards to rebound rate, but so is Maryland Eastern Shore, and Eastern Shore is a bottom 10 team in all of college basketball with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis, turning it over 13 half times for contest, and they just look to Troy Hupseed for a little bit too much of everything. 13 half points, nine boards per contest. Last year, Maryland Eastern Shore was a top 10 team with regards to turnovers, forced on a per-possession basis. They lost darn near all that a season ago. They're not forcing as many turnovers as they did a season ago, going up against an NC Central team that has been able to hold up very well defensively. This team has now given up 71 points or fewer in each out of the last seven games. Meanwhile, you've got a Maryland Eastern Shore team that they themselves have scored 71 points or fewer in each out of their last four games. Defense has been able to do a relatively solid job. Offense has really not been there, and I do think that NC Central they're going to be able to carve up a Maryland Eastern Shore team that is outside the top 250 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, and it is an Eastern Shore team that is right around about 195th in the country with regards to points, three-point shooting percentage so did something total 136F. I think that NC Central bombs it from the outside and is able to win the game that way. And I do think that you get some late game fouling. So looking at the over semi total 136F and one delay with NC Central. 306601, 306602. St. Francis PA plays us Merrimack. Merrimack is a favorite of 10 points on the road total on this game is 132. And with Merrimack, I did set them as an eight-point favorite. So here at the 10, I'm gonna be looking at St. Francis of Pennsylvania. Merrimack, a top 10 team in the country with regards to turnovers force on a purpose action basis. That said, they shoot less than 30% from three par range. You've got a Merrimack team as good to have the best player out there on the floor as you've been able to have Jordan Detcock be able to give you right around about 15 points, two steals. He does a relatively solid job there, but other than Devin Savage, you really don't have a lot of three-point shooting with this team. It's also a Merrimack team that's in the bottom 30 nationally with regards to rebound rate. You've got St. Francis of Pennsylvania team outside the top 250 in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis, but Eli Wilborn might be the best rebounder in this game with seven boards per contest, and then you've been able to get Cam Gregory going. He's been able to give you about 13 and a half points. He's able to shoot from three-point range about 35 and a half percent from distance. Now, it is a team that they only shoot about 63% of the free throw line, but with the St. Francis of Pennsylvania team, I do think that they're going to be able to hold in there. Again, it's a Merrimack team that they've had their tough times being able to just put the ball in the basket. They've scored 66 points for fear and four of their last five games. Meanwhile, it's a St. Francis team that all of a sudden they've been able to do at least 70 points in three of their last four games. So this is a circumstance where I'm going to be going to be taking a look at the points with Merrimack. I set them as an eight-point dog, set my total at 126. So along with taking the 10, I'm going to be taking a look at the under. 3 of 6, 6 of 3, 3 of 6, 6 of 4. Bradford is going to be playing a Presbyterian. Blue Hopes find themselves as an underdog of 7.5 to 8 points total on this game. They're between 138 and 139 and a with Presbyterian, I did set them as an underdog of eight points. So now that we're getting to seven and a half, I'm going to be one to lay the number. This has been an uncharacteristic grab for team that has been outside the top 150 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. But this is still a grab for team that they do a relatively solid job with regards to their backcourt. You've got a big three, a former top 50 recruit in Brian Antoine, coupled with Keenan Giles, Taquan Smith. Smith and Giles combined for 29 points per contest. They've been able to combine for about 2.2 seals per game. And then Antoine shoots 42.5% for three. And then Justin Archer down low has been able to give you about seven half rebounds per game. Chandler Turner down for what? About about 11.6 rebounds per game out of him ever since he has transferred in from Bowling Green. And this is a for team that, though they're not necessarily supreme with regards to the rebound rate, 243rd in an off-college basketball. It is a Presbyterian team that they've been a little bit up and down wishy-washy with regards to their entirety of their defense, and they're only about 234th in off-college basketball with regards to their rebound rate. Marcus Bennett has been able to give you 14 points per contest, and Sabaje Teal, he's been able to shoot about 45.5% for three, 13 points per contest, but he's the only guy out there, top four scores 
that shoots above 28.5% from distance. It has been a Presbyterian team that has turned the ball over about 12 times for contest. It is a Presbyterian team that, as well, they do allow a lot of open looks as well. This is a Radford team that just all throughout the tenure of this current coaching staff, they have been able to do a relatively solid job of being a lockdown from three-point range. And I do think that they're going to be able to do so once again in this case. It is a Presbyterian team that, with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, is right around 236th in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, it's a Radford team that, with regards to guarding the York 71st in all of college basketball. So I did set my line at 8. I'm going to be one up to 7.5. Did set my total at 136. So along with laying the number, I'm going to be taking a look at this 138 under. 306605, 306606. Morgan State plays us Howard. Howard is a 5.5-point road favorite. Total on this game is 155.5. Got to be taking a look at South Towns and Howard laying this number. Set my line at a 6 with Seth Towns. He's been able to give the team 15.5 points per contest after he was the Ivy League Player of the Year in the 2017-18 season at 6.9, shooting in the mid-30s from 3 point range, supplying the team with 15-plus points per contest. Shy Odom has been able to give you double figures as well. And this is a Howard team that they're looking to run. They're a team that when they're at their peak, they're a top 50 team in the country with regards to total possessions per game. And you've got a Morgan State team that they're looking to push tempo as well. That said, this is a Morgan State team that's outside the top 325 with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis. Morgan State's still right around 57th at all of college basketball. In terms of total possessions per game, and for Morgan State, they've been dealing with the injuries recently as Miles Thompson, the transfer from St. Francis of Pennsylvania, has missed much of the season, but they've now got Winston Tabs back at the fold. He's been the main scorer, 16 points on 36.5% three-point shooting. He's scored 20-plus points in three out of the last five games for a Morgan State team that is throwing the ball for 15 times per contest. They're only shooting about 31.5% from three-point inch, and other than Ellen Inamedu, he's been able to give you about six half rebounds per game. Nobody else gives you north of five and a half boards per contest. Meanwhile, Bryce Harris, 15.5 points six half boards. He's been able to lead the way for Howard team that, I mean, they've been far from a terrific team at being able to guard the arc, but when you go up against a Morgan State team that is well outside the top 275 with that regard, Howard's mark, they look a little bit better as Howard from three-point range with regards to the three-point shooting defense, they're allowing opponents to shoot right in the neighborhood about 35.5% from three. That improves at 31% at home on the road. That does decrease to right around about 37%, so I do think that you're going to get plenty of scoring in this game. This is a spot where I did set Howard as a six-point favorite. Could it be one to lay the number? Did some my total 154 with the way that Morgan State has been turning the ball over. Howard they themselves north of 15 turnovers per game. I did think that Howard and their turnovers going to cost you an over in this game. So looking at the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at Howard laying up to five and a half with them. Three or six, six, oh, seven, three or six, six, oh, eight. You've got New Orleans. They hit the road. They're facing off against McNeese. McNeese is a favorite of 18 and a half to 17 and a half points. Draw this game between 151 and 152. And with McNeese at them as a 16 point favorite, I think that we've gone a little bit too far. I'm going to be looking at the points. It's to make these seem that they had that very close call earlier in the week. I believe that was against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. And this is a McNeese team that ranks in the top 25 with regards to fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis. They are seemingly starting to get exposed a little bit. This is an offense that they can be a little bit too reliant upon the three ball. As a collective, they are shooting about 39.5% for three with just 10 turnovers per contest. And Shahada Wells has been absolutely tremendous for this team. 4.3 assists, 5 boards, 18.5 points per contest. And then you've got down low Christian Schulmate who's able to give you 12 points, 10 rebounds per game. It is a New Orleans team though that They've been able to do a relatively solid job with the top score in this game, and Jordan Johnson being able to give you 22.5 points per contest. New Orleans, they're only shooting about 31.5% from three-point inch. You're going to be outgunned down low. Jamon Vincent is the only guy in the roster that gives you north of five rebounds per game. He's giving you 5.7 rebounds per game. 
Sanchez, six foot four. So this is a team that's lacking a little bit of size. But this is a New Orleans team that they themselves have cut down on the turnovers from recent years. They're now only turning the ball over about twelve and a half times per contest. This is a maintenance team that they also offer you a few three-point shooting looks as well. That's been one of the main kryptonites of this defense with McNeese in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. They're clocking in right around 178th in all of college basketball. And ironically, McNeese at home, they're allowing opponents to shoot north of 38% for three-point inches of the New Orleans team that certainly they have had a tough time guarding the arc as well, but they're more around 167th in all of college basketball. McNeese should be able to get the job done. Do think that this line has went a little bit too far, though. Set my line at 16. I'm going to be willing to take the points. Set my total at a 146 as well. McNeese in the bottom runner with regards to total possessions per game, so diving under, and I'm going to be willing to take the points with New Orleans. Three are six six zero nine, three are six six ten. Grambling plays those two. Mississippi Valley State. Valley State finds themselves as an eighteen to a seventeen half point underdog total on this game between one twenty eight and one twenty nine. Mississippi Valley State continues to be a dead last in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. But I do think that we went too far. I'm going to be willing to take the eighteen. It's a Grambling team as turning the ball over north of fifteen times per contest. And when it comes to Grambling, last season they were a top twenty team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Two hundred ninety second in the country this season, though. They are giving up 24 points fewer per one hour possessions at home, rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. It has been a grambling team. Has been able to get Jonathan Aku going down low. He's been able to give you right around about six boards per contest. And for Mississippi Valley State, not only are they dead last in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, but they're dead last in terms of taking care of the ball, turning it over north of 16 times per contest. They're in the bottom five in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. It is a team, though, that they do have Requan Brown. He's able to give you 15 points, five boards, a Reco Gibson has been able to chip in there right around about nine and a half points per contest as well. And this is just not a Grambling team that's going to be able to knock down enough threes to be able to cover this number. And I just don't know if either team is going to be able to do their part with regards to the total. You've got Kentavia and Dozier be able to give you about 15 points per contest for Grambling, but they only shoot about 30 and a half percent for three points. They do generate about seven and a half seals per contest, but when it comes to the scrambling team. They've been far from impressive on offense. They've been able to exceed the 70-point plateau just four times all season long. Meanwhile, for Mississippi Valley State, they have scored 70 points or fewer in all but one of their games thus far this season. They've gotten tattooed, giving up at least 71 points in pretty much all but two of them thus far this season as well. But I do think that Mississippi Valley State, they're going to be a hold within the number because I do think that both of these teams just flat out aren't going to give you anything in offense. Semi-tall 125, diving in on the under and will take north of 17 points here with the Valley. 306-611 3-6-6-12. Charleston Southern plays those two. UNC Asheville. Asheville is an 8.5 to a 9.5 point favorite. And your total, that is between 148.5 and 149 with Asheville. I did set them as a favorite of 7 points. So I'm going to be willing to take the 9 here with Charleston Southern. Charleston Southern has been able to get a little bit of something down low. And Tajay Kelly has been able to give you about 8.5 rebounds per game. And Though Drew Pember on the side of UNC Asheville is by far the best player in this game. For Pember, he's been able to do an absolutely amazing job. He's able to supply the team with about 18.7 boards, 3 assists per contest. It is a team that is outside the top 200 with regards to the way that they just defend in general down low. They are a team that from beyond the arc, they are a top 50 team with regards to opponents 3-point shooting percentage so they've done a solid job there but they also turn the ball over right around 12.5 times per contest even though Caleb Burgess has been able to give you right around about 5 assists per contest. You've got a Charleston Southern team that they themselves have been relatively okay at being able to guard the arc. Opponents are shooting right around about 34.2% from three-point against them. 
R.J. Johnson has been able to give you 14 points per contest. It is a team that as a whole, they are able to shoot north of 35% from three-point range. It is a Charleston Southern team that they do rank outside the top three in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and I do think that both of these teams are going to be able to rack up some points. I did set my total at 149, so here at 147, 148.5, looking at the over, but being able to get nine, going to be looking at the points with Charleston Southern. 306-613, 306-614. You've got Incarnate Word playing us the Eastern Christian. Eastern Christian is a underdog of between five to uh, five and a half points. Totals between 151 and half and 152.5. He's a Christian top 20 team in terms of total possessions per game and a team that ranks well outside the top 275 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, we got an incarnate word team that has been cranking up the tempo themselves and they've got John Robinson who comes in from Austin P. He's been able to do a nice job being able to give this team double figures. So it is a circumstance where I'm going to be taking a look at the overhand with this incarnate word team. Could set them as a seven and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number against a Houston Christian team that has had a tough time with with regards to just being able to guard down low. This is by the fact that they're actually not the world's worst rebound rate team. Michael Ibanjenje has been able to give you about 8.5 rebounds per game, and Bonke Marang has been able to give you about 8 boards per contest, but for Houston Christian, this team is shooting 28% from 3-point range, bottom 40 mark in all of college basketball. They went 7 of 11 from distance against New Orleans, much to my chagrin a few days ago. Do you think that that's going to be cooling down a little bit? Meanwhile, for Encarnate Word, Skybooks doing it all. 14 points, 6 half boards, 2 assists per contest. You've been able to get Avery Anderson back after he was a two-time transfer that was barred from playing at the beginning part of the season. Chipping in their three assists, 10.5 points per contest with Incarnate Word. The Seamus Collective is able to shoot 34.5% from three-point range. Houston Christian, actually a top 75 team with regards to being able to guard the arc, but this is a bunch that I feel like they've been just a matter of just some good fortune in general. I do think that Incarnate Word is going to be able to win from within. I do think that Incarnate Word is going to be able to do a nice job punching the ball inside, and Houston Christian with the way that they turn the ball over north 14 times for contest will give Incarnate Word some run-out layups when they generate some seals. I did some my 157.5. I'm going to be looking at the over. I'm willing to lay up to seven with the card at worth. 3-6-6-15, Texas Southern plays us at Alabama AM. AM, A9.5 to A9 point underdog. Totals between 139 and 139.5 with Alabama AM. Made them a 10.5 point underdog. I'm going to be willing to lay at Texas Southern. They are a bottom 20 team with regards to uh, points scored on a per possession basis. But now you've got PJ Henry giving the team double figures. And Jonathan Cisse, the transfer from Encarnate Word, has now been able to give you double figures as well. This is a Texas Southern team that traditionally is one of the best rebound rate teams at all of college basketball. They have been outside the top 250 this season, but they get to go up against an Alabama State team that they themselves have been really having their woes on the glass to earn 81st in all of college basketball in that regard. It is an Alabama State team that has been able to get quite a bit of the father-son duo of Tony and TJ Madlock. TJ Madlock has been able to do a solid job, give you 15 plus points per contest, but really doesn't shoot a ball from three point range. It is an Alabama State team that as well, with regards to their field goal shooting percentage at 38%, one of the bottom marks in all of college basketball. Teams really been able to rise up defensively. They have given up 73 points or fewer, and now each out of the last five games. And I mean, this has been a bunch that has been all over the place with regards to their three point shooting percentage. You're only shooting about 30.5% from three, but They've been able to get much more out of Isaiah Range since he's come back in the fold. He and CJ Hines combined shoot about 35% from three-point range. They've been able to supply the team with double figures but Prairie View. They are generating about 9.5 seals per game in terms of turnovers for a per-possession basis. A top 40 team in off-college basketball. Brian Miles has been able to give you about 6.5 rebounds per game with his team now getting Charles Smith. The fourth being able to give you about 12 points per contest in Prairie View. Typically, this is one of the worst teams in off-college basketball with regards to three-point shooting percentage. I'm not saying that it's amazing, but they're up to about 30.5% from three-point range. 
with a 44% three-point shooter. Chris Felix being able to do a solid job, being able to provide the team with eight and a half points per game. I do think that their ability to be able to generate turnovers is going to be just enough in this spot. Separated View as a two-point favorite. We're seeing a few ones out there a little bit earlier. If we can get back to a one, one to lay it with Prairie View at north of two. Going to be taking a look at Alabama State and get some by 138. These are two teams that play up-tempo but are relatively inefficient on offense. So looking at the under and I'm going to be willing to lay up to one half with Prairie View. 3 of 6, 5, 19. 3 of 6, 5, 20 Southern. They play as Arkansas Pine Bluff. Pine Bluff, an 11.5 point underdog. Total on this game is 156. Arkansas Pine Bluff in the bottom 10 in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession base and opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Going to be taking a look at the over. It's a Pine Bluff team that has really been able to do a good job of being able to shoot it from three-point range. Rashad Johnson, Kyla Melton, they've been able to combine for about 35.5 points per contest, shooting north of 36% from three-point range. Going up against a Southern team that they themselves don't necessarily shoot it the world's greatest from three-point range, but Tayron Joseph, he's been able to give you north of 18 points per contest. This has been a squad that has been really lacking any sort of rebounding, but other than Ismail Plett for Arkansas Pine Bluff, they haven't been able to get a lot of rebounding as well, and this is an Arkansas Pine Bluff team that they're playing at warp speed, top 30 pace with regards to total possessions per game. This is a Southern team that has been looking to run it and gun it as well. And for this Pine Bluff team, going a little bit more specific with them with regards to their opponent's three-point shooting percentage, they've been allowing opponents to shoot right around about 38% from three-point at home, 36.5% in a roadside shoot court environment. And Southern, they're probably going to give up a few open looks as well. This is a Southern team that they're allowing opponents to shoot from three-point range more in that realm of about 36% in a roadside shoot court environment compared to 15% at home. I don't think that that 15% is going to be able to maintain. Both of these teams have a rough go of it on the glass. And I do think that Southern should be able to get it done against an Arkansas Pine Bluff team that really gives it up defensively. But I do think that this number is a little bit too steep. At 11 plus, taking a look at the points with Pine Bluff and the over 306-621-306-622. Lamar plays host of Southeast Louisiana. Louisiana finds themselves as underdogs of four points. So on this game is 144. I set Lamar as a five-point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the number. Lamar has three separate players that give you north of two assists per contest. Scary Terry Anderson. It's we give you about 12 points per contest. It's a Lamar team that has a collective. is shooting north of 36% from three-point range. Going against the Southeast Louisiana team as about one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball. North of 300th with regards to total possessions per game. But 274th with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. They do a relatively solid job down low. you got Rocco Eastman who's able to give you about five assists per contest. You've been able to have Alec Woodard to be able to give you double figures. He's shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range along with Nick Caldwell who stands right around 6'8". He's been able to pop quite a few threes. Lamar certainly has been having their doldrums with regards to giving up the arc as well, allowing opponents to shoot 37.8% from three-point range on the road. But that falls to about 31% at home. It is a Southeast Louisiana team that does an okay job of being able to maintain the ball. This is a Lamar team that they're looking to play at a more up-tempo pace, but this is a Southeast Louisiana team that I just don't think that they're going to be able to do their part with regards to this total. This is a Southeast Louisiana team that scored 71 points or fewer in every single Southland game this far this season. Meanwhile, for Lamar, they have been able to step up a little bit more with their defense and regulation giving up 70 points or fewer in three of their last five games. Did semi-total at 143, looking at the under. Ethelmar wanted to lay up to 4.5 with them. 3 of 6, 6, 23, 3 of 6, 6, 24. North Alabama plays us to Queens. Queens is an underdog of 5 points, so on this game is 161, semi-total at 164.5. Going to be looking at the over Queens, a top 50 team with regards to total possessions per game along with North Alabama. And for both of these teams, they rank well outside the top 250 with regards to... Uh, 
points allowed on a per possession basis. I did set Queens as a six and a half point underdog, so here at a five to five and a half, I'm going to be one to lay it. North Alabama should be able to do a relatively solid job down low with having Devonnie Forrest be able to give you eight and a half rebounds per game. And with regards to this North Alabama team, you got a big two in KJ Johnson, Jacory Lane, who have been able to combine for about 20 and a half points per contest. Shoot right around about 33% from three point range. Not necessarily the world's greatest with that regard, but North Alabama, they've been giving it up from three point range. They got a Queens team on their hands that has a guy in DeAndre Albury, who's been able to shoot about 35% from three point range. He's giving you North of four assists per contest, but for Queens, while they do an okay job of being able to do off the ball, this has been a squad that certainly has been getting carved up from the inside. They're actually okay at being able to guard the arc 172nd in all of college basketball with that regard. Meanwhile, you've got a North Alabama team that is right around 284th with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, but with Queens being well inside the top 300 with regards to rebound rate, having Will Sosi on the side of North Alabama that's able to shoot 50% from three-point range, and North Alabama only turning the ball over 11 half times for contest. Queens turns it over a little bit much. I do think that North Alabama going to get it done on their own floor. This is also quite a bit of travel for Queens going from North Carolina to Alabama. Set my line at 6.5. Got to be one to lay the number. And looking at the over set, my total 164.5, 3626, 3626, UMBC plays us, NJIT. NJIT, a 5.5 point underdog. Total on this game is 153. Set my total 154. Looking at the over, UMBC, a top 30 team with regards to total possessions per game. It is a UMBC team that has fallen on some tough times with regards to their offense, but I do think that they're going to be able to pick it back up. I did set them as a 6 point favorite, one to lay up to 5.5 with them. Deion Brown, most versatile player in this game. He plays for UMBC with 17.6 boards, shooting about 33% from three. UMBC as a whole, they're shooting about 36.5% from the outside, and they have been a bottom 50 team with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, but that misery has some company, as NJIT has certainly been just getting completely cash from three-point range. This team is well outside the top 250 with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, and in a roadside shooter corner environment, allowing opponents to shoot 42.6% from the outside. Elijah Buchanan, who comes over from Manhattan, he's been able to give you about 12 points per contest, and Adam Hess has also been able to do so, 12 points on about 40% three-point shooting. NJIT, though, they don't have anyone that gives you north of six half rebounds per game. UMBC has been one of the worst rebound rate teams in all of college basketball. That's not going to be earned if you've got Tariq Frank who's been able to give you about 11.5 points per contest. And for NJIT, it's been a rough go of it for them offensively. 64 points are fear surrendered in each of their last five games. Meanwhile, they've given up at least 70 points and every one of them. You've got a pair of dormant offenses. You've got a pair of really brutal defenses. And I do think that the offense has exploded in this one. Somebody told 154, looking at the over. And with UMBC, one to lay up to five, one and a half with them. And wrap things up with your at 6627, three at 6628. FGCU, Florida Gulf Coast, plays us awesome P, awesome B, an underdog of two points. Tallest game was 137, sub by total 137 half. Looking at the over Florida Gulf Coast as outside of the top 300 with regards to opponents' three point shooting percentage, despite the fact that Austin P is outside of the top 300 with regards to total possessions per game. And the leader in three point shooting percentage last season among qualifying players in DeMarcus Sharp has yet to make a three this season. He's still been rock solid. 18 points, seven half boards, four and a half assists per contest. Austin P has been a top 50 team with regards to a three point shooting percentage defense. So I did make them the one half point favorite. Looking at Austin P outright on the money line, Javonta Black, along with Isaac Haney, have been able to combine for about 22 points per contest. Both are combining shoot north of 40% from three-point range for Austin P. Top 30 team in all of college basketball with regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis. Nine turnovers per game. You do have the better rebounding team in Florida Gulf Coast with Keyshawn Kelman, Lonsack Anderson combining for 12 boards per contest and Anderson shooting 51.5% from three-point range. I do feel like there's going to be a little bit of regression there and Isaac Thompson, he's been able to give this team right around about 11.5 to 12.5 points per contest, but 
He's only shooting about 39% from three points. As dealt with injuries all season long, does not look like himself. Isaiah Thompson, 10 points or fewer in four of the last five games. They've still been dealing with the injury to Andre Weir. He's been in and out of the fold all season long. Chase Johnson has been in and out all season long as well. It's the Florida Gulf Coast team that has been just very, very befuddling to say the least. And for us to beat, this team has now gotten to at least 77 points each of their last four games. Meanwhile, Dunk City, they've allowed at least 78 points in four out of their last five games. So 7 by 12, 137 half. Looking at the overall 137 half. Take it out to be all right on the money line, and that will wrap things up for the Saturday edition of Coast to Coast Soups. Now, part of the Visa Family Podcast. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you've got one or two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is by Twitter slash X timeline at GN underscore one. Keep in mind, there's the name means doesn't matter, so as per usual, please accept these into the timeline. Other way, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.